Hello, everyone. Welcome to Patreon. Patreon. Welcome to Between the Sheets. I got Patreon on my mind. I'm your host, Chris Zelda. Joining us always, my co-host, David Bix and Span. And Bix, we do have a Patreon show uh, this week, a Patreon-requested show. And it's a big one. Uh, yeah. It's a very big one. Yeah, William Lanham uh, asked us to do uh, 2001 and uh survivor series 2001 and all the stuff going on in that week and yeah this is probably the single largest section ever in the history of the show oh, um geez, really as far as page count goes um yeah because so much going on in the span of three days at world wrestling federation but yeah you can uh you can have your pick of a show to do if you want to at patreon.com slash between the sheets. So uh, you do that. $25 allows you to pick a show. $50 you can send in for a segment. $100 for the whole show. So uh, you do all that. And um, yeah, just you know, send in information to Bix and we'll make sure that we get everything set up right. Now, I do want to apologize to Sean um, on Twitter. Um, he, he knows who he is. He had requested a show that somehow did not get in the calendar. Yes, which is weird because I know I've gotten a pretty good system down and I I never email anyone with a confirmation unless I had just put it in the calendar. So, so we're going to we'll take care of him uh, sometime whenever he wants to do a, a, a pick. And, I mean, my uh, calendar the one he already picked for next year, but he, he actually did send in a uh, a bonus pick that uh, we'll talk about later. But anyway, um, so if if something like this happens again, um, make sure that you know everything's set up correctly. Um, if you hear he heard me plug on the uh, show for the next week, the the year that wasn't his. So if you hear something like that, let me know, okay? So you know we'll we'll or do something. We'll 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 make it work. We always make good if anything like that happens. If I have to change it, I'll change it. It's whatever. Right. If we you know if we have time to change something, give you extra picks. You know we we figure it out. But anyway, all right. So there's that. All right, let's get started. As we discussed the week that was November seventeenth to the twenty third of two thousand and one. And yes, we begin with World Wrestling Federation. And this section is a grand total of 24 pages. Are you kidding me? <laughs> so let's get going. The WF reset its entire promotion last week, or this past week, plus brought back Ric Flair and Jerry Lawler. And the result was the first undisputed positive sign for Raw ratings with an increase to 4.81 on November 19th. Because the show started so strong, the rating in- increase should be more attributed to curiosity over how the supposed demise of WCW and ECW and talent firings would be handled. And what would happen next? Then the Ric Flair, Jerry Lawler, aside from the overrun. That probably could be attributed to the fact that Flair's return after long absences has traditionally drawn major rating spikes. The Alliance vs. WFU was dished as Survivor Series after being perhaps the biggest disappointment in recent wrestling history, where WF won a confusing series of events. Chris Jericho first turned on The Rock, then when Rock and Austin were final two wrestlers left, but Rock survived. 
Nick Kurt Angle playing double agent, turn on Steve Austin, allowing Rock to win the match, and put in storyline form that turns WCW and ECW to rest, even though the reality is both were put to rest early in the year. With the exception of the Invasion pay-per-view, all the potential money of doing promotion versus promotion was squandered due to an incredible string of bad business decisions, one of which is WF not buying Flair's contract at the time of the sale, leaving it with a weakness in established star power. The show with the biggest stakes in history had little buzz going into the final few days. Preliminary indicators, strong walk-up is the famous Players Theaters in Toronto, plus the rainy next night, seemed to indicate the buy rate was well above that of the weak, unforgiven, and no mercy numbers. If that's the case, much of the anticipation would have to be credited for the last week's sale of the stipulations, including and perhaps primarily the Paul Heyman promo on SmackDown. As a one-match show with Stips dividing into the last week was taken seriously, it certainly wasn't the undercard. In the advance in the Greensboro Coliseum indicated the main event week out wasn't getting over either. Still, with all the enthusiasm to come up with new storyline and returns of Flair and Lawler, those who have kind of a memory of history will recognize the overall reaction was nearly identical to three different restart periods booked by Vince Russo. One being his debut show, the second being the Nitro at the Star K, where he reintroduced the NWO, and the third being his return to next year to Eric Bischoff. All shows were considered huge successes because of the abrupt dropping of virtual storylines that were going nowhere and changes to new storylines that seemed to have a direction. In all three cases, the restart shows drew significant ratings increases. In all three cases, the ratings had a few weeks declined to well below previous low levels. This is not to say this will or won't happen, only that what happened this past weekend was almost a duplicate of what happened many times during WCW's decline. In the long term, a lack of discipline booking resulted in long term being more of a negative. As the confused crowd grew disinterested. Now, WF has made the changes and positioned people in new roles. They need to slow down on things like turns and title changes until people are established in new roles and strengthen the value of the titles by both lessening them in number and greatly reducing the number of changes. Without a change in booking philosophy, while there will likely be a six-week bump for the novelty of Flair and the WF, Austin back as a babyface, and no return to Triple H, then most likely a January .2-week bounce back from without NFL competition. Ultimately, for long term, this isn't going to change the direction things are going. The company still needs a new approach to creative, storylines that make sense, and more consistency of the main characters. Without them, as history has shown clearly, the changes this week would only amount to putting a Band-Aid on a cancer patient. All right. So as far as those ratings, um, do you have any guess as to what this number translates to as far as uh, households and viewers two plus? No idea. Oh, we actually have 1849 for these. I'm looking at the uh, very useful spreadsheet that Court Gibson has. Put I mean, in. I got ratings later, but go ahead. OK, so. The week before. So this is the, you know, the way it's listed separately for each hour. They had, um, do I even have the rating right here in front of me? I, it's further in the spreadsheet, so forget it for now. So the week before was, um, about 3.3 million households, just under 5.5 million viewers to plus, just, oh, and about 3.02 million viewers in 1849 in our, that was our one. And then, uh, no, excuse me, that was our two. Hour one had been a little bit higher, and then on this show on the 19th, um, both hours did over 4 million households for about 6.5 million viewers, 2 plus, and about 3.7 million viewers in 1849. So big jump, and then the next week it went back 
down a fair bit to uh, about 3.8 million households in one hour to, you know, 5.8 million viewers and about 3.2 uh, in 1849. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I mean, it's... Uh... That's just the way things went when, they, when these restarts, you know, strong, and then fall off. Yeah. Well, at least no one asked anyone if they brought their scissors. <laughs> no, no. All right. The signing of Ric Flair and a deal verbally agreed to by Flair and lawyers for Time Warner at 7.30 p.m. on November 16th. The officially signed to the lawyers sent the contract to the Charlotte Coliseum on four, at 4.30 p.m. the day of the Raw show is to play Vince McMahon's adversary, who will be the point man in setting up the break into separate promotions because the two will be unable to get along as 50% owners. The timetable for this seems to change daily. But most indications, including statements by Linda McMahon at the announcement of the quarterly report to investors in media, indicate the split is imminent. McMahon talked about the storyline becoming evident on television within two weeks. The actual split will occur shortly thereafter at which point the talent will be broken up into two promotions, likely by a draft with Vince McMahon heading one side and Ric Flair heading the other. The storyline is that Shane and Stephanie McMahon sold their stock to Flair, thus becoming 50% owner. Flair had been in talks off and on with Dennis phone at W70 in late March. The holdup had been that Flair had a guaranteed contract from Time Warner through February 16, 2003, which called for between 500 and 800000 per year. Since some money was deferred and owed, and it was a different figure each year, he was asking for WF to guarantee him the money he'd be earning to stay at home, plus an additional several hundred thousand per year. WF had bought from the start about offering so much to someone who wasn't in their plans to be a full-time wrestler. It was largely considered a given in early 2003 that Flair would then work for WF in some capacity, which would include occasional matches, but not as a full-time wrestler. We come up with plans for the split once the plan of a few weeks ago was next for Vince and Leonard to reprise the original divorce angle from the spring and summer. The idea of a new mystery owner who had gotten Shane and Stephanie Stott to be a stronger television personality than Linda surfaced, and Flair was a natural choice. Particularly since timing was with Raw and Charlotte, where a Flair appearance would guarantee a crowd reaction that none of the stars would have been able to get on that given night. Decided to talk for a few weeks. Flair was also talking with the XWF, which indicated it wanted to buy out his Time Warner deal. Ultimately, XWF didn't come through with the money before his first taping last week. When they came back after the taping and verbally offered a strong deal, Flair had already entered into serious negotiations with WF. It made some of a verbal commitment once everything was settled with Time Warner because he loved how the storyline was being laid out. With WCW officially closed and nobody left working in the office on things like negotiation of contracts, negotiation with the Time Warner side for Flair's release went slower than everyone would have liked. Late last week, there was real concern in WF that it wouldn't be done by Monday, and there was really no backup plan in place. You know, some of my photo finished with the contract being faxed to the Charlotte Coliseum with release from Time Warner literally hours before the show was to go on the air. Flair, who turns 53 in February, signed a three-year contract on November 19th, expected to work some matches, but only on big shows, and his first match won't be at least for a few months as he'll be given time to get back into cosmetic shape, i.e. changing his physique because he's already close to cardiovascular shape that he needed to be performed. And real quick, been over the next couple of years in The Observer, that would turn into... Rick does not what he needs to do to be on TV without a shirt at his age, I believe is how Dave would phrase it more or less. Yeah. He'd been out of action more than one year to lose a retirement match and having his head shaved by Vince Russo since he was legitimately undergoing surgery to repair a torn rotator cuff. 
an angle he had never allowed to happen to build for one last return and never materialized. Since the company was in disarray, and Russo was gone by the time he was to return. Flair did return for one final match on March 26th, put over Sting in the last match ever held in WCW, although he hadn't trained for it since it came up with little notice due to what was going on at the time. It is expected to be anything that far in advance in today's ever-changed environment that Flair would wrestle Vince McMahon at some point, perhaps at WrestleMania. Flair's deal also calls for him to do about nine dates per month, the Monday and Tuesday television shows, and one pay-per-view. All right, now real quick, as far as his WCW contracts, this is interesting. And clearly Dave has information from Rick as far as the specifics, because we don't have all the information. So, he was signed on February 16, 2000, to a $500,000 a year deal that also paid 4000 per house show, 5000 per TV taping, and 12500 per pay-per-view, plus... Uh, bonuses specified for performance bonuses and also uh, fees for PR appearances that were outlined in his contract. However, less than three months later, on May 9th, there is a memo from Diana Myers to Brad Siegel and others talking about uh, the talent budget and where things are. And one of the things in there is that they negotiate increased contracts for, among others, Richard Flair. So, he presumably, yeah, Dave knows something more about whatever these negotiated changes were that he was given a new contract right after his new contract. A little weird. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Flair appeared on television for the first time in nearly eight months. Got new expected pop. That surprise appearance by Flair and Charlotte at the BL television. That law would get. You know, they bring himself to tears for getting into the ring. He did many of the Flair mannerisms as he introduced himself as a new co-owner. Flair stopped McMahon from stripping off the WF title belt and giving the current angle and what he later called one of the three or four biggest highlights of his career, largely due to the insane crowd reaction to his surprise appearance. Flair compared it to his famous return after a lawsuit set up with WCW in Greenville, South Carolina, and when many would say it was the single greatest moment in history of Nitro, although this wasn't close to that magical level of unforgettable response. This resulted in Austin coming out and laying out both Angle McMahon, Tournament Man heel, Austin face with Flair, who wasn't about to be booed, stopping a title switch. Austin and Flair did nothing physical and just stood back as Austin was attacking both men and ended up drinking beer together the show went off the air. The next night, Fayetteville, North Carolina, Flair's main role was to work out a compromise which resulted in a series of main events for the December 9th Vengeance Show, where Rock first wrestles Chris Jericho for the world title, which is what the former WCW belt will be called for the next few weeks. Austin will wrestle Angle for the WF title, and the two winners will then face off in a title unification match. There's some internal disagreements about Flair's character, as in the role of 50% owner, they want him to play the low-key, dignified Flair, but fans want to see the out-of-control Flair mannerisms and promo when he's in front of them and compromise how to do both as a work in progress. All right, before we get into uh, more of the Flair stuff, uh, comments he made after this, um, the Flair owning part of the promotion angle would have had so much more fire if they would have done that in March. Bought out his contract with Time Warner, 
have him instead of Shane being the one taking over WCW. You have Shane be involved, but have I you mean, can still have, have, do the simulcast. Shane, yeah, Shane would be the, Shane would be the the conduit. Basically, Shane. You have Shane being the one that's basically, I guess, in charge of being, I guess, being the owner of WCW, but putting Rick in charge of it. That would have had so much more juice to WCW to have making that angle work. And the fact that they just would not do that is one of the big, big mistakes in in that whole debacle of uh, the invasion angle. Um I mean, just imagine how, how that would have gotten over, you know, if they would have done that yes. at the time. And also, I got to think they're not paying the full value of the contract, although that's what Flair was insisting on. So maybe they are. Either way, though, at most, you're what? You did you really need to save the two hundred fifty thousand dollars max that you would have had to spend? spend in addition to what you spent here to get him in March? Well, no, wait, it's eight and, months, so it's a little more than that. So it's like, yeah, well, let's say, let's say, what, three, 325,000, something like that? Yeah, I mean, and knowing Rick, he probably, he probably would have, you know, gave them some time to, to do it. You know, he probably would have gave, gave, gave them maybe a sweetheart deal at the time. Who knows? I don't know. But... Yeah, it just would have been perfect to have him at the beginning of the whole thing. Him and Shane working together, you know, or something like that. Yes. It would have gave more gravitas. And as we mentioned, maybe it was on one of the WCW Patreon shows, um, this is the one where there's no excuse because they still end up doing the expensive buyout. As we talked yes, about before. Yes, do it like, anyway. Hall, you know, of the people who come in the next few months, Hall was not under contract. Nash, I think his contract had just expired. And Hogan had only a few months to buy out. And it, during a period of his contract where he was not necessarily being guaranteed a lot of money. So, like, the, those are, like, yeah, it feels like it's so much so soon after, but they didn't buy out the contracts in any substantial way. Goldberg, I believe, ran through his whole contract. So mm -hmm. this is the only one where it's like, come on. Yeah. Makes the, I mean, Sting, that's another one they could have done. Goldberg, of course. But yeah, Rick is the one that would have been the easiest to do considering his relationship with Vincent Mann. You know? Yes. Now he had a contract running longer than most, but so they could have. Again, they could have worked it out. Okay, so here's the thing too. So for what it's worth, Sting was making one and a half million with an expiration of New Year's Day 2002. Yeah. So for him, if they had brought him in in March, well, not March, April. So let's say like. Eh, Say nine months left, three quarters of the, wait of that. They'd be paying over a million to buy him out if they were paying the full cost. Mm -hmm. If it was less, it would still be probably in the at least half a million. 
Yeah. All right. Well, Flair, let's go to Figure Four Weekly now. Flair an interview on November 20th on WF.com said his Time Warner deal expired in February 2003. A few weeks back, he claimed on the radio show that he'd probably be in WF within the next six months, which got people thinking that his deal was up in February 2002. Brian thinks the reason he said that was because he was currently working on his autobiography, which is due out in the middle of next year, and his intentions were to get a buyout and time to appear in WF to promote book sales. Now, The Torch says a source reports that Paul Heyman actually lobbied heavily for Ric Flair's hiring, despite their past problems. Heyman was seen working with Flair on the night of his debut and is believed to be responsible for scripting Flair's first Raw promo. I personally volunteer to put aside. <laughs> source reports that. Oh, a source, a single source. Mm-hmm. It is interesting, considering the history. But there you go. All right. Uh, politically, the Steve Austin term, which was kind of as a power play by Austin and Jim Ross, although all logic indicated it was necessary because Austin's a heel was much to the detriment of the company business-wise, was a win over the forces of Triple H and, to a lesser extent, Paul Heyman. The Austin term was largely where programs with both Rock and Triple H and what theoretically were to be big money feuds. Triple H blew, his, blew out his quad, which is considered a negative long-term because the feeling he'd be fresh coming back in an obvious program of Austin's babyface. As it turned out, they did the rock matches, but never pushed the program hard on television. And there were huge disappointments at the gate. From a strong TV standpoint, they turned Austin before really getting to either program. There had been a half-assed long-term plan, so such things really don't exist for Triple H to win the WF titles of babyface and mania from Austin. And position and change will probably throw a monkey wrench into that. Oh, he wins. <laughs> and just say Austin, but he wins it. <laughs> the undisputed champion. Oh, yeah. But that is interesting reading that. You know that probably had to piss Triple H off that it wasn't Austin that the one to one he beat to win the undisputed title. You know? Oh, I'm sure he loved that it was Jericho. The fact that it's, it's WrestleMania, and you know, you would if you, I mean, you definitely would want to be beat Austin at WrestleMania, and they never even had a match. Think about, did they? Did Austin Triple H have a match after Triple H came back from injury at all? No, because uh, three stages for Hell was two thousand. Uh, three stages of Hell was two thousand one, right? Yeah, that's from before the, the turn. feud. Yeah, so I don't think so. I don't think they. No, I don't think so either. Well, because Triple H I, is feuding with Jericho for three months, and then Austin is gone three months after that. Yeah, I'm looking now. Um, I don't think so. No. Nope. Wow. <laughs> Well, they never wow. actually did the split, and then they were both baby, baby faces for understandable reasons. Yeah, the last Austin Triple H match where they faced off against each other. Um, I'm looking now because there's all their tag matches. Was at a house show in Worcester on March 25th. 2001. 
they were tile shows. Their last, their last big match was three stages of hell and no way out. So there you go. But yeah, the plan was for Triple H to beat Austin and Mania for the title as a heel, but Austin and Jim Ross pulled the power play. <laughs> it's all about the game, how you play it, folks. And Triple H ain't there. See, it makes you wonder, how different is it that Triple H is there all the time? You know, in the years. Oh, with the invasion, who even knows? Oh, God. All right. For Jerry Lawler, yes, there's a lot going on here, who had agreed to a deal with XWF and worked the television taping last week. The situation was similar. When decision was made as part of the blow off the view that Paul Heyman and Shane Man be taking on television as a concession and making the huge steps not come across as a ripoff, the natural next step was to bring back Jerry Lawler. While Lawler had an internal opposition based on his statements made by McMahon, the company after leaving, and even more when he needs to come back in July, which we covered on Between the Sheets earlier this year, with the plan to remove Heyman, the opposition at this point wasn't strong at all. It's an interesting move politically, since Lawler had, as quitting the company in late February, been very vociferous publicly about McMahon and the unfair nature of the firing of his then-wife, Stacey Carter. There was such heat on Lawler, though, he ended up pulling all his developmental talent away from Power Pro Wrestling and Randy Hales, whatever base at the time, because Hales had agreed to use Lawler on his TV show. After Carter left Lawler for former WF wrestler Mike Howell, a.k.a. Mike Hard, a.k.a. Mike Maverick, Lawler began mending his fences, but Doyle's feeling was as long as Lawler was consumed by the divorce, there was no point in bringing him in. WF first called around November 12th to get Lawler in for the November 19th tapings. Lawler, by this point, already agreed to do XWF tapings, as well as the WA tour of England in late November and early December. He considered canceling doing the XWF tapings and negotiate with WF, but Jimmy Hart assured him that even if he signed his XWF contract, which called for a 45-day non-compete, that they would let him out of a deal owing to their friendship that dates back decades. And Hart asked him to work the shows anyway. The two, who both attended the same high school in Memphis, Hart several years older than Lawler, popped in Memphis territory as a top star and top heel manager, respectively, in the late, 80s, early, late 70s, early 80s, when it was one of the hottest wrestling markets in the country. Not until recently, due to the political situations, they haven't worked together for any length of time since Jimmy left Memphis for WF in 1985. Lawler actually spoke with Kevin Dunn while in Orlando for the tapings, but to outsiders, the entire reason wrestlers are signed to contracts is to avoid situations where they can be taken on a whim by another company. Why Lawler or anyone be signed to a non-compete deal and then be released from them immediately brings up the question as to what purpose the contracts had in the first place. While XWF doesn't want to get on the bad side of WF and have the thing turn nasty, the bottom line is WF's history when it comes to competition doesn't indicate the roles were reversed, that they would be acquiescing. According to Lawler, the decision wasn't easy, because he enjoyed himself working for XWF. Ultimately, Lawler said he made the decision for the expected reasons. At his age, and at the stage of his career, it's better to make the commitment to the company with the exposure and the more solid footing than getting in on the ground floor of something far less certain. There are positives and negatives to both, he said. It'd be fun to be on the ground floor of a new company, but it's also a bigger risk. I decided to go with the established entity. Those in XWF, by late in the week, expected Lawler to be leaving, and he made the front commitment WWF on November 18th, but the deal wasn't worked out with the lawyers. He actually didn't sign a theory contract, believed to be for roughly the same 250 grand a year he had been earning when he left the company, until three hours before Raw went on the air. Lola went on the air and not having seen Survivor Series or much of television since February, and went on with very limited storyline knowledge of the product and zero preparation, 
Although if he himself felt comfortable doing so, feeling his role was to entertain Jim Ross's job to get the angles over, very different from Paul Heyman, who felt his primary role was to get the talent angles over, and the jokes and entertainment were secondary. At the time the deal was made, Law was scheduled to only work Raws on Mondays for every events once a month with Ross. Because crowd response to the term was so positive, he, had, he was asked the next day to do SmackDown Michael Cole. It was only a temporary thing, because when the promotion split, Lawler and Ross remained together with one group, and the other group would have an entirely different roster of talent, and the announcers don't want any talent appearing on both shows. Talent and announcers, and they don't want the talent appearing on both shows. The agreement was that Lawler just turned 52, would like Flair, Russell occasion, shooting angles like the ones earlier this year with RTC or last year with Taz. Lawler shot an angle to start program with Simon Diamond in the XWF. Well, imagine that, folks. In a surprise of source, given the nature of wrestling Lawler, who works for WF, and Jimmy Hart, and maybe the most influential person on the wrestling side of XWF, will still work together as business partners in Memphis. Lawler's WF deal doesn't preclude him from working independent shows, helping him restart the promotion, which takes on November 22nd in Tunica, Mississippi, and will debut on WMC television as a new promotion with first-run weekly episodes on December the 1st, as something of an XWF farm system, with Lawler and Hart working against each other as the main program. Hart himself noted that if and when XWF gets to match television, he feels it wanted to be a sentiment of a plus because it appeared due to the advanced tapings that Lawler's working on their TV at the same time as the WWF. <laughs> now, uh, oh, you'll like this bit. From the torch, observers report that Paul Heyman was among the first to approach Jerry Lawler at last week's Raw. Heyman is said to have welcomed Lawler back to the company and told him he was simply keeping his announcer's chair warm. I apologize for getting you so angry that you conspired to break my jaw in 1987 in Louisville, Kentucky. The fact that we had these two intimate news details on Paul Heyman from The Torch is amazing, isn't it? Yeah, isn't it amazing that they're also both about people who Paul famously has very, like, violent heat with? <laughs> yes. Huh, I wonder why. Okay. Lawler. Well, we got. Uh, there's more. Well, yeah, here. yeah. Wait a second. There is more. All right. So I'll. I'll, I'll well, tee let you me up. just mention this because I don't want to. I don't want to forget this thought because it's not mentioned here. Holy shit! Is he lucky that they did not hold the comment about Bruce Pritchard and Stephanie McMahon sleeping together against him more than they did? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He actually said that. For people that may not know that, or don't remember. One of the many, many radio interviews he did in 2001. Well, there's we got radio interviews to talk about now in just a second. It was really something my photo finished on a lot of deal. Ed Kaufman, WS attorney, John Flood, XWS attorney, and Jimmy Hart were in negotiations regarding his release until about three hours for a raw went on the air. The XWF positions that they didn't want to make enemies of WF because it'd be like fighting bazookas or water guns. Reality is, they could have kept Waller from going on for 45 days, but what would have been accomplished? Because he was still going, up, still going, and it would just screw up the thing on Monday with no benefit to them. Well, that's nice. Well, Lawler uh, Torch has Lawler uh, talking to the Wrestling Guys radio show on WPFBAM in Cincinnati. He said that WF initiated all his dates for return to Coast Raw. This is on the twenty first. He said until the phone call came, he was unsure whether he would make a day of return. It's been a roller coaster ride there, and there are times I thought I'd be back, and then other times I thought I would never be back there. 
Mob City began feeling confident he would return after visiting the locker room and Duff was in Memphis for SmackDown. Finally, I went to Vince's office and I was basically made to feel really welcome. He gave me a big hug and said, King, this is your home. And whenever you get your personal problems straightened out, we would love to have you back. The surprising thing was that last week I got a call that they wanted to do business and they weren't worried about the divorce. Lawler added he was originally slated to host Raw and pay-per-views. He said Vince told me his return was like a breath of fresh air and decided to have him do SmackDown for the next couple of weeks, presumably until the company is split. Lawler may also wrestle occasionally. He's 52, almost a year younger than Flair, who turns 53 next year. All right. So Lawler coming back. Um, yeah, I mean, that... That was a deal they they pretty much had to do. It was a, it was going to happen eventually, and it just so happened to work out that Stacy and Jerry had split. Now here's the question: If Stacy and Jerry were still together, do you think he goes back? No, I agree. I think as long as they were married, that he wouldn't have went back. No, because it's why he quit in the first place. Yeah. So. I think we have to agree because there's nothing else that makes sense. The reason for her mysterious firing without explanation. And, you know, I'm going to give the caveat. It's 2001. It's 20 years ago. I'm not excusing it. Obviously, if this happened now, it would be something that they should not do. I mean, they shouldn't have done it then either, but it would be clear now that they shouldn't have done this. They must have fired her because they knew that there was going to be a photo leaking out, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think there's anything else that makes sense, is there? A, fo- a photo that leaked out thanks to Jerry. Well... Well, we don't we don't know exactly how it leaked out. Uh, he clearly took it, but well, he took it. He took it. Let's put it that way. He was he he definitely wasn't surprised by what happened. Mm, presumably, right? But it's because it, people don't forget that you know the kinglawler dot com was uh, something else when it came to photos. Of right. Well, also in two. Well, in in two. Here's the thing, and this is going to sound ridiculous, but it's it's the truth. 2001, not a lot of people have digital cameras. Lawler had no. a fairly new digital camera. Yes. And when that photo showed up, it was clearly shot by the same type of camera. No. Everyone knew. Yeah. Now, obviously, in this case, it's all consenting adults. It's not their fault that someone stole it. It's absolute bullshit if that's the reason. And, you know, as we've seen from recent happenings, you know, the modern, more modern version of that, they don't punish people for that anymore. But I don't see anything else that makes sense. If they're not telling Lawler why she's being fired, or they're not telling JR why she's being fired... Then, or, you know, then what else is there? Yeah. It's, uh... I mean, it was definitely a, a controversial issue at the time. And, 
And it really baby-faced Lawler publicly because they're not contesting his version of the story. No. They're not contesting his, like, I, no one's saying why. So he quit, you know, in solidarity with his wife, and of course people are going to love him for that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he did what he felt he needed to do. So, you know, I mean, it's just that simple. Mm -hmm. And again, like I said, it was he was going to come back. It was going to happen. You know, I mean, it's just that's, that's the business. Up, it, yeah. it's, well, I, if they still would have stayed together, that probably would have happened eventually. You know, because that's how wrestling goes. Okay, I get what you're saying. Who knows how long it would have taken, but it would have yeah. happened eventually. Yes. Yeah. All right, the same television show that we saw Flair, Ric Flair and Jerry Lawler return also saw the departure of Mick Foley from the WF. Yeah, there's, there's more hits coming. Foley and Vince had secretly agreed to a party on the ways about two weeks earlier. But Foley agreed to appear on a few television shows to give the fans a story on explanation. Foley didn't appear happy in any of the promos, but those close to the situation said that Vince won a television farewell to Foley, where a man would thank him for his work, because earlier that's never happened with a departing character. Historically, most of McMahon's biggest stars leave him on bitter terms. As noted from several interviews, Foley hadn't been happy with his role in WF, and the writing team wasn't happy with Foley, since he next storyline and ideas for his return to the ring. When he did return, the material he was given was unusually lame. Not that Foley was the only person with lame material during the creative dearth, but it did almost come across as that some wanted him back in the company while others were mad at him and didn't put him in a position where he'd be anything but a disappointment. The final promo saw Foley say he would quit, and McMahon refused to fire him, but McMahon let him leave. During a skit while they were inside McMahon's luxurious airplane, shown on television for the first time, Seeing me public acknowledge that sacrifice by people like Foley led to the business boom that paid for things like a WF jet. As Foley left, McMahon smiled and said, have a nice day. It was a clumsy farewell. Four more like a sitcom star leaving the show suddenly with no logical explanation other than something forced with the writer's clues on how to handle it, as opposed to the kind of a farewell a unique wrestler would be expected to get public publicly parting from a company he'll be forever associated with. Even with a character as important WS business turn around as Foley, who Dave would rank behind only Ross and The Rock, it's very well pale in comparison to what New Japan did a few weeks ago to longtime prelim wrestler Osama Kido, let alone the farewells most Japanese wrestler stars and America sports stars of a similar magnitude, considered the recent example of Kyrick and Jr. gets. Triple H's big period came at the turnaround, the turnaround, and Foley was very much responsible for taking Triple H up the level by putting him over time at the time in early 2000, which made him from a guy being pushed hard to a guy fans accepted in the role. And this is after Foley's mobility had been taken away from him due to injuries and double knee surgery and had two match-year candidates. He also prolonged Undertaker's effectiveness and probably more than anyone else got Kane over to where he could be a major player. He also helped Rock in a similar way, not so much elevating him because Rock was there, but he gave him the great matches on top so Rock proved in the ring he could perform at the level of the other top guys. He was Austin's opponent in tremendous matches during the period where Austin was solidifying his short-term success into being a long-term icon as part of the group setting the standard that the show every month ends with a four-star match. Looking back of all the top guys during the Grove period, Foley was the one who did more than anyone else to get the rest of them over strong in the ring. One year ago, Foley and most everyone involved with WF expected that even though his career as an active wrestler was over due to all his injuries from his crazy bumps, that he would in some form be part of WF as a goodwill ambassador for life. 
As history has shown, lifetime deals with WF don't usually last very long after you've taken your last bump. Foley seemingly wanted to be in control of his various non-wrestling deals for future TV appearances as well as future books. Since while the WF contract, they largely controlled him. The negative is that without WF's television exposure, where the Foley has the ability to write entertaining books, the sale of those books won't be close to what they would be if they pushed on television. Dame is absolutely right about Foley's impact on the Attitude Era WF. Without Mick Foley, there is no Attitude Era WF as far as success. He is the guy who did so much for those other guys to get them over and to, you know, enhance their overness that he, he does not get the credit that he deserves and that he was the glue to mm-hmm. everything. He was Austin's first challenger. For uh, I mean, he wrestled Austin for months. The first, what, the first two or three pay-per-views? At least two. Actually, basically, no, he... He wrestled Austin at three of the four post-WrestleMania pay-per-views. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then the other one was was uh, King of the Ring with Undertaker, which is the most memorable moment probably of the whole Attitude Era. Mm-hmm. <laughs> most memorable in-ring moment, certainly. Yeah, well, I'd say the whole shebang. You know? Yeah. Because, I mean, that's that's just indelible, you know? Yeah, if he's not if he's not there, they they there may not be a WF as we say it right now. WE. There probably isn't. And that's, I'm, I'm being dead serious with that because you look at what WWF was after WrestleMania 98 on the heel side of things. Sean's hurt. He can't work. They have nobody. Because Austin and Rock had already been feuding for, for months. I mean, you can't, you just can't go back to that well again. You know, milk it dry. You need to keep them away for a little bit. There's nobody else because they turned on Triple H, babyface. So there was nobody else for for Austin to really work. You just jobbed Kane at Mania, the Undertaker. So you just did the stuff with him and Rock, and Rock still needs more yeah. remain event program. Yeah. So Foley being in that spot, you know, and yeah, Undertaker. Undertaker's status before King of the Ring is, I mean, he's Undertaker, but he's not the Undertaker. The Kane feud had some entertaining television and it engaged their fans, but there, there didn't seem to be any further direction for him. No. I mean, the Kane feud yeah. really technically keeps going on until they unite later in the summer. Yeah. But you have the King of the Ring match. And that just... It, it, it is so memorable and everything. That that just puts Undertaker on, on this level again, you know? So and, and Triple H in 2000, Triple H, you know... That was so huge in getting him the acceptance 
of all the fans. He already had his fans, but the acceptance of all the fans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Mick Foley, definitely uh, his place in the history of the uh, WFWE is undeniable. Yeah, if you just and, look at the WrestleMania card, you know, with Michaels out of the picture and DX turning, which it seems like was happening no matter what. Your top three heels are Kane, The Rock, still new to the gimmick. And I think D'Lo Brown is your number three heel. And Sing great appeal. performer, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, nothing against D'Lo as a performer, but yeah, that kind of shows that they had not been building up enough heels. Yeah. And Foley has been treated like shit for years. <laughs> I mean, they bring him back and he comes back, but I mean, still, they, they never give him the treatment that he deserves. Still to this day. Yeah. So. Although it seems like they haven't retaliated against Dewey for Mick becoming more openly critical of them. No. All right. So now let's talk about Survivor Series. Now we're good to that. All right, Survivor Series, November 18th from the Greensboro Coliseum. It ended up being a one-match show with the storyline that people's jaws were on the line. The reality is, for me and undercar wrestlers, whether they need to worry or not, it was feared that their jaws were really on the line. Also, I just realized something, Chris, that doesn't even seem to be mentioned here. Do you think it was deliberate that this show was at the Gr- Greensboro Coliseum? That the final symbolic death of WCW is in Greensboro? At Survivor Series, I th- I, I, I... the pay per view that was invented to block Starcade going on pay per view. I mean, I don't know. I'm curious to know when they originally put the building. And right. there, it could be just the the, the greatest uh, uh, version of happenstance that you could probably ever have. But yes, I mean, it is interesting that this is happening in Greensboro. At Survivor Series. And at Survivor Series, yeah. It was as good a show as some of the respective views because all the stars were in one match, so you only got one blowaway match, but the main event delivered, and then some. As far as storyline and business continuation, the show would have been considered as something of a success, as a curiosity stemming from the outcome led to the largest ratings bump in a long time for Raw the next night. The show drew 10,142 fans paying five ninety four seven twenty and another 91409 of merchandise. You probably have to go back more than four years for the WFW event, which drew barely half the capacity paid. Yeah. That's, that building definitely holds more than that. <laughs> so, yeah. They did decent. They did pretty good. That building, they could have did a whole lot better. There, I mean, Crockett did some... Not non-major Crockett shows at times in the eighties was doing twelve to fifteen thousand, but there were Crockett major shows. Genius at Tank too. Yeah, the, the so, capacity that's listed on Wikipedia is twenty three thousand five hundred. It's a big building. So with <laughs> a set with the type of set they used in this era, yeah, that would probably be about twenty three. I mean, excuse me, twenty thousand for wrestling, right? Mm-hmm. With this setup. So, yeah, that's not good. Do we know the gate? 
59420. I already said it. Okay, yes. Sorry. I was looking away from the notes when I was tracking that. Uh, yeah. Not bad merch per head, though. No? All right. Heat. Last Storm, Just Incredible, and Raven. Me, Albert, Sky to Honey, and Spike Dudley in 308. Very good action. Just too short to build anything, so it came off like a better-than-usual throwaway TV match. Spike did a plunge off Albert's shoulders to the floor. Series of big spots as two, Sky to Honey gave Just Incredible the worm. Raven DDT Scotty. Spike did a deadly dog on Raven, and then Lance used a super kick on Spike for the pen. Now, this is n- he is n- not yet the hip-hop hippo, right? That's later. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's later. Albert, that is. Mm-hmm. When the mini gimmicks he did, yes. All right. Um, first match of the pay per view: Christian retaining European title, pinning Al Snow in six thirty. This match was made on the challenge during heat. Very good for what it was. And a live crowd, which is hot all night, were into it. Which in many cities, even when the good work, that wouldn't happen. Christian hit the unprettier after several no falls for the pin. Two and three quarter stars. And by the way, we should probably note, because it had gotten very confusing by this point, which side each is on. Christian is a heel on the Alliance side. Yes. Stephanie confronted Austin about also smiling at Vince on SmackDown. Tons of what chance? Vince and Linda were talking. Michael Cole confronted them, worried about his job, but Vince basically said he had the odds stacked in his favor. Regal confronted Vince at the kiss-ass spot the next night when Regal stood up to it. Yes, because Regal had turned and joined the Alliance. I think it was mm-hmm. to, it was to cause to angle the belt back to Austin, right? Mm-hmm. Speaking of, William Regal beat Yoshiro Tajiri in 259. Good while lasting, but again, too short. Regal got something like his third bloody nose of the week. He even got a work of the house show at Bristol, Tennessee. Tajiri did a few hard kicks while Regal ended it with a double arm suplex to a powerbomb. After the match, Regal gave Tajiri a second double arm to a powerbomb. Then Tori Wilson came out, and he gave her one as well. Star and a half. Okay. Um, since this doesn't really fit the pattern of the card and the type of matches they were booking, which was mainly title unifications, the reason is that originally this was going to be Tajiri versus X-Pac for the official unification of the cruiserweight and light heavyweight belts Tajiri I believe actually yeah wait a second X-Pac X-Pac wasn't on the alliance side so no wait was and Tajiri wasn't in the alliance right no so this was going to be a title that's what I'm saying this was going to be a title unification between two WWF guys they had already done some double champions on the cruiserweight side but not officially unifying the belts but uh, Waldman basically went AWOL, right? Um, his last match was on October 28th. He beat Sky Tuhani, and then he doesn't appear again until March for Doya. Right, and Foley even does, in the promo, I think his go-home promo for the pay-per-view, has this line like, I don't know where X-Pac is, and I don't know if I care. Or it's, it's either I don't know if I or I don't know if anyone does. I don't remember exactly. Yeah, because he's still, I mean, he's still X Factor. Yes. Who are baby, I mean, not baby faces, but they're WWF. Yeah. And him and Tajiri had been working against each other. So, yeah. So they do that. 
to still have a Tajiri match. They do this to pull, to continue their issue that they had from their split from Regal turning towards the Alliance side, and he squashes him, and then a few weeks later, Tajiri resurfaces still with the WCW Cruiserweight belt as WWF Cruiserweight Champion. Mm-hmm. And the light heavyweight belt is just forgotten. Mm-hmm. And eventually, several months later, they get a, uh, a new belt. Stacy Keebler was teasing Test, who thought he was all that. What a sentence. Uh, Edge interview mimicking Test. It was pretty darn funny when he talked about Test being a guy who'd been dumped more by women than anyone. Well, um... Uh, it ain't over yet. <laughs> so, yeah. With Stacy. <laughs> also, by the way, shows what a priority the cruiserweight division is. That every other like unification or title that was kept and renamed, um, got an explanation on TV. Cruiserweight title didn't. He was just WWF cruiserweight champion one day. Yeah. Edge. Pin test to win the Intercontinental title and retain the United States title in 11-17, thus ending the history of the United States title, which was dropped. Ironic again for both WCW, which was spawned by Jim Carver Promotions, whose best seat was Greensboro, and the U.S. title, which was created in 1975 for Johnny Valentine when George Scott won the change territory to a serious singles territory. It always been a tag team territory. It was really put on the map when Valentine beat Harley Race for the title in the same building. Very good match. Check out your falls over the last few minutes. Ending with that, scoring the pin with a double with a front rolling cradle, three and a half stars. So yeah, Edge is getting uh starting to get get that push here as a singles guy. Got two singles belts, and there's gonna be more stuff going on with him on the uh, upcoming TV. So yes. they're getting him going. Yes, and then about a year and a half or so later, they bring back the U.S. title, claim this part of the same lineage. And get rid of the IC title on the other brand. Yeah. And then bring it back years later with the same with, with a lineage too. So there you go. Dudley's retained the WCW tag titles and won WF tag titles from the Hardys in a cage match in 1545. Some cool spots early, including Matt doing a Russian last sweep on Devon off the top rope while the cage balanced him, and then Bubba doing a bubble bump off the top rope with Jeff. Real cool spot with the Dudleys doing the usual hot shot like that move must with have Jeff. been intended as Bubba Bomb, right? I don't know. I just it's what was our website had. I, well, I don't uh, think there's a Bubba Bump, but there was a Bubba Bomb. I don't know. But Jeff grabbed top of the cage, started climbing. Matt was injured legit when both Dudleys knocked him into the cage, really knocking out his two front teeth and badly splitting his gums. Ugh. He ended up visiting a dentist the next day, and a brace was placed on both the front and in the back of his teeth. There's said to be a slim chance of nerve damage. Oof. Dudley's uh, both came off the top and missed a splash on Jeff. Matt came off the top of the clothesline on both. Both parties came off the top on Bubba, but Devon made the same. And being on Jeff, and told Stacy to get the tables. Referee Nick Patrick was holding the key, and Stacy basically shook her ass at Nick, who was paralyzed by the sight. And she got the keys and opened the door and put a table in. Hardy's blocked 3D through the table. Matt and Bubba climbed to the top, and Matt escaped. Even Jeff in by himself. Jeff got pounded on him and made it come back and climbed to the top with Bubba laid on the table. Instead of climbing over, Jeff did the swans on top of the cage. Bubba moved, and he did the table explosion spot, and he was pinned. 
Jeff wasn't seriously hurt. Other from a larger standpoint, Jeff came across like a real idiot having the match won, but instead blowing it by jumping off the cage. Jeff did a stretcher job with the idea of Sun and by Kimov TV, three and a quarter stars. Anytime they've done the top of the cage spot, the guy could be considered an idiot because it's lead the cage rules in WF, WE. So, yeah, he, he could have the chance to get out of there, but he does. He has to do his valiant spot as a babyface. Yes. You could just stop doing escape rolls. <laughs> There's that too. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, and this is, of course, Stacy Keebler as the Duchess of Dudleyville. Oh, yeah, that, yeah, exactly. Which was super random, but I kind of liked it. It worked. I think it helped get them over. I think that's probably her best work at ringside, right? Yes. And she is an actively good heel second during this brief period. Although, you know, the Dudley's Hardys, all their matches, they all run together. All these cage ladders, all these matches, they all run yeah, together. Tables. Yeah. Yes. It does make me think about, though, like, some of the bumps that Jeff did take that were in, like, obscure early SmackDown cage matches. Like, remember... And he he didn't clear it. He he's grabbing the cage as he goes over. But remember the one with the New Age Outlaws where Jeff got back body dropped out of the cage. Mm-hmm. And it's just a like. Could you imagine w- what that spot would be talked up like today if that was on a pay per view? On oh, absolutely. They should have pre-taped earlier. Where Tess beat up Sky Too High to take his place in the Immunity Battle Royal. Tess won that Battle Royal 740. Basically a rush job. Not awful, but no better than the usual Battle Royal. Sean Stasiak was actually dumped before the bell rang to start the match. Not like anyone's complaining. Tess came in late and got a big pop. Dave was just waiting for him to be humiliated, but he had to wait till Raw. Hugh Morse Chavo Jr. also came in late. Came out of Tess and Billy Gunn, of all people. But Tess kicking Billy Gunn over the top for the win. One star and Tess cannot be fired. And then Jeff Probe shows up and gives him the immunity idol. <laughs> yes. So, there you go. Alright, Trish Stratus won the women's title in a six-way over Jacqueline, Jazz, Lita, Mighty Molly, and Ivory. And for 435. Okay, wait, wait. So... Your in your uh, alliance women. I almost said invasion women are Molly. I think Ivory switched, right? Mm-hmm. And is that it, or because I don't think Jazz ever joined the alliance, did she? I think it's just those two. Which is weird too, because the one that had the most high-profile ECW run didn't join, and uh, well, also because she really they didn't. They didn't have anyone switch over to the Alliance as a quote-unquote ECW person after the initial angle, really. No. And because that was guys beating up guys, she wasn't going to be involved in that. Really not bad until the finish. The only real point of interest was whether that Jim Ross or Paul Heyman would mention the name of the last women's champion. China. They did. Oh, oh yeah, that's and right, too. They, the belt was just ignored for six months, more or less. Yes. Heyman put over Jazz huge in commentary, and she looked good for the first few moves. Match was fine until it came time for Trish to sell. With the rest brawling outside, Stratus surprisingly pinned Ivory after Bulldog one star. 
Yeah, Trish is not there yet. <laughs> Still early in her game. Well, Finley. Finley's not uh, training the women yet. No. But That's coming. You could always see with her, you could always see she was athletic. She was enthusiastic. You could tell she had pre-WWF training. She had potential. Yeah, she always had potential. I and mean, the big thing I remember is like the early the early physical stuff she did always looked better than all of the other women who did not really have previous wrestling experience. Yeah. You know, when she took the power bomb through the table from Bubba, um, the early Lita stuff. Like all of it looked really good. You know, she took some really good bumps. But she needed because she wasn't, look, she's not, unless she's working with Molly and Jazz every single night, she's not going to get the, you know, you know, for lengthy ma enough matches, she's not going to get the rep she needs to improve. So that's, that's where Finley came in really handy. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, so we have Team WF, The Rock, Undertaker, Kane, Chris Jericho, and Big Show. They beat Team Alliance, Rob Van Dam, Booker T, Shane McMahon, Steve Austin, and Kurt Angle. And a loser promotion has a full elimination match in 44-56. And real quick, for some reason, Dave broke from his usual pattern, did not give the gimmick names for anyone. He just put in all their real names instead of doing gimmick name. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Vince gave his guys a pep talk and talked to the Lexi WF and people like Buddy Rogers, Dr. Jerry Graham, one of two of Vince's childhood favorites, Andre the Giant, Gorilla Monsoon, most modern names mentioned, and a guy Big Pop, and Peter Maivia, mentioned because he's Ross' grandfather. Peter Maivia, I mean, he did not work very long for WF. No, but he's the Ross' he, grandfather. He worked, yeah, he worked about a... Uh, he worked about a year and a little over a year, probably close to a year and a half in late seventies, and, and did some uh, pop in appearances after that. That's it. Mm -hmm. That's it. But he's Ross' grandfather. Yes. Good ask for start to finish. Story: of The first falls, Alliance members were constantly ready to be pinned, but Shane kept breaking up near falls. Undertaker's would be the theme of the evening for him, since he was doing a clean job somewhat early. Didn't hardly do any selling. Finished off show, come in very aggressive at their hot tab. It was taken down, and Angle gave him the angle, angle, gave him the angle slam. Booker gave him the axe kick. Van Damme the frost splash for Shane pinned him in 1242 with the elbow top rope. Second fall was everyone killed Shane. Kane choke slammed him, Undertaker tombstone, and Majerico pinned him at their line salt 1430. There was that secret heat afterwards on Shane because of not only how lame his firing on Raw was, but because he took everyone's finish the night before, including a tombstone a move that's basically unofficially banned for regular use, was helped out, but didn't steal anything the next night. <laughs> After Angle came back from stretcher jobs and didn't steal on the next TV in the ring, it's not just a false son problem. That's a creative problem. Third fall saw Van Damme pin Kane after basically one leg of thrust kick off the top at AT21. Undertaker then destroyed all four main alliance members all by himself for several minutes. As Undertaker was bouncing everyone around, also gave him a stun and Angle pit him in 2003. This left four alliance members Van Damme, Austin, Angle, and RVD against Rock and Jericho. And Dave forgot about Booker. 
Rob pinned Booker at 2233 at the rule to roll up at the Booker uh, bumped an angle. Next fall was Jericho and Van Dam. Van Dam got a bunch of near falls for Jericho pinning clean with the breakdown. A minute usually when he does it for some reason doesn't look right. A month ago, Jericho looked buried deep once again while Van Dam was the rising superstar. Now Van Dam is buried deep and Jericho's being pushed to the next guy in the top rung. That's what they give up on him and they always seem to do. And real quick, yeah, I'm glad Dave pointed that out because I always noticed that too. So the the, the breakdown was the struggle, basically. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing... I'm guessing everyone else did it from one side as far as where they swept the leg and he did it from the other, right? Yeah, he, he did it on the opposite side, if I remember correctly. That's the only thing I can think of. Because usually if, it, if a... If a wrestling move looks weird when one person does it and you can't figure out why, it's because usually it's done left-handed and now it's being done right-handed or vice versa, something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, like Hulk Hogan's vertical suplexes. That's because he does them right-handed. This left Rock and Jericho gets Austin Angle with the exception of two messed up spots. One with Austin and Jericho having total miscommunication. The other with Jericho and Angle having it, and Angle killed him in response to the clothesline. Technically, got very sloppy during this fall. Rock got the fall on Angle with a sharpshooter at 3152. Austin's bleeding from the mouth at this point. Apparently, was slapped to the mouth by Jericho. A couple near falls for Austin pinned Jericho with a sloppy cradle on 3430. This left Rock and Austin for survival. Crowd was so hot. Jericho, mad about losing, immediately hit Rock with the breakdown, but Rock kicked out. Another came out, yelled at Jericho, brawl around the table. Austin used a sharpshooter. Rock used a stunner. Had match one with Referee and Patrick pulled Referee Earl Hedner out of the ring. Austin used the rock bottom, but Rock kicked out. Austin decked Patrick and tried to get Hedner in. Hedner was bumped. Austin hit Rock with a stunner, but no referee. Angle showed back up, hit Austin with a title belt, saving the day for the F. And the Rock score pin with a rock bottom eight months at WCW. After eight months of WCW has died, at 10 months as ECW has died. Their names to WF were vicious taking off life support and allowed to die with no dignity after Brandy Manslaughter, four and a half stars. All right, well, let's watch the finish of this match, shall we? Oh, wait, that is Jazz in the Alliance. Well, there you go. That answers that question, didn't, didn't it? I forgot. Yes. I'm sure her joining the Alliance was shot in a very memorable angle that was not at all redundant to other people jumping. Yes. Fool! Chris Jericho has 
put in jeopardy even more than the Army Worldwide right to jail. While the Rock may have kicked out, but petty, the damage has been done. Petty personal immature jealousy by right to jail. And your whiny irrelevant opinion is you haven't noticed, there's one man left on each team. And the Alliance will replay that soundbite over and over again tomorrow night on our Raw television show. Alright, we're gonna jump ahead a little bit because it actually, it had more left than I realized it did. Yeah, there's a little more space there between Jericho and the end, so. Yeah, they put it, I think they had it as closing moments, so I didn't really, normally they don't add an extra chapter if there's that much left. Well, normally you have something like that happen that leads almost directly to the finish. Right. Not here. Well, and Dave's description kind of read that way, too. Yeah. And I didn't really remember how much post-match there was. So, all right, let's see. Uh, is it about... Because there's a few minutes... Is this it? Let's see. Because they're cutting back to the locker room again. Uh, we got to... I don't want to say double down and offend any wrestler readers who don't like that that's a more recent term. Also, Nick Patrick is wearing a different color WCW referee shirt. There's All no right, red. Just... Yeah, it's only gray. All right, yeah, this seems right. So Hebner's down, Austin's looking out of the ring, and Rock is in the getting ready for the spinebuster or rock bottom position. Oh, yeah, he's looking in the first pass. Surprisingly big crowd reaction for the visual fall there. Well, they've got a lot of heat spots. Oh, and of course, Hebner's bumped, so...
Also, boy, how obvious was it at the end there that that's not the original Big Gold Belt? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, also, have you ever seen a more clean-shaven Heyman in your life? Uh, Well, since some of his early days, no. Said, but he had a very close shave here. Yeah. At least in this, yeah, for this era. You know, post-WCW, certainly. Um, also, even at the end here, you know... WWF lives, Alliance dies. Not WCW dies, not ECW dies. Mm-hmm. Even with Paul wearing the ECW shirt. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's just what it was called anyway. It was the Alliance. I know, but for the... They had already given up the, you know, really the names. But given the symbolism and everything in what you would think Vince would be wanting here, it's a little surprising. Um, Just a reminder from our... Uh, patreon shows it as far as how they you know they end up making a deal with the bankruptcy trustee to use the you know ecw ip during the duration of the story of the invasion storyline starting in july in the well in the summer because i don't i'm not sure they make the deal until august but there was also the whole thing which we talked about on the last ecw patreon show where the trademark for extreme championship wrestling was registered to hhg corp the trademark for ECW wrestling was registered to one Paul Heyman. Mm-hmm. And at no point during the angle do they ever refer to Extreme Championship Wrestling outside of it being said in the uh, This Is Extreme song. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, Paul is not thinking this far ahead in 1995. I think that's a bit much even for him. But... It's not as cut and dry as WWF just used the IP entirely without permission from the bankruptcy court. There is an argument that if Paul gave them permission that they ha- did have the rights to use ECW. All right, regarding how this all played out, um, how do you think they, that they uh, they did with the creative on, on the end of the alliance here? Grading on a curve relative to the bad booking of the Alliance program in general? Basically, yeah. Um, I like Angle being a double agent because that might have been the least logical turn in the whole storyline. <laughs> yeah. Because of the timing they, was... and relative to who he'd been feuding with, and yeah. They, 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 they did some turns to people at the Alliance It just made no sense. And had no reason. Like, why are you even bothering turning Terry Runnels? Exactly. You know, Christian I get because he's turning heel anyway. You know? Yeah. I get that to a point, even if it really did dilute the whole thing. You know, like, at least Austin had been in WCW and had the ECW cup of coffee. I mean, what? And Terry had been WCW too, but just like... yeah. Angle, I mean, Christian, I, I mean, you know, I understand where you're coming from, but still, you know, just, uh, it was still too test, much. Yeah. Test. But we wouldn't have had T and T without, uh, without. Yeah, it's just, it was some silliness. Mm-hmm. 
And wasn't Chump Palumbo on the WF side? At the end? Yeah, wasn't he in the locker room when they showed it? I think he was standing there with Billy Gunn. That sounds right. I don't think they were teaming yeah, it, but I don't remember an angle being shot. Again, yeah, there's so much stuff that's hard shit. to remember. But. Yeah, it's a stupid shit. But yeah, Jericho doing what he did and the angle thing. I mean, yeah, I mean, I guess they did about as good as they could have in hindsight at the end of this. Okay, yeah, so, you're right. There he is. So. Next, next to, is that Billy? Yeah. Okay, so for the record, here here's our roll call of who we can tell. Um, I can't see who this is on the far left, but we've got Funaki, Coachman. What blonde woman is uh, that? Well, Lillian's back there. No, no, Lillian's further back. That's Lillian. Lillian Lillian's standing with Trish, shockingly. Um, oh, so is that Trish in front of her? Okay. Yeah. So Spike, who's that in the middle? Bald. Probably just incredible. No, no facial hair. It doesn't really look like him. Perry Saturn. Oh, that is Perry Saturn. Chuck Palumbo, the one Billy Gunn, John Bradshaw Layfield, Farouk, Harvey Whippleman standing next to uh, Steve Lombardi, of course. Uh, Scott Taylor, Kane, Jacqueline, Big Show, and Teddy Long. Now, the, the, the one thing, I, here's the thing. The the one thing about this whole angle, though, was they made the WF side seem like such a loser side other than, the, the like, the main few guys, you know? I mean, you look at, you just name that oh, list. Oh, and Albert of, and uh, <laughs> someone else, too. It's like God. Look at this. Look at those guys. Meanwhile, on the Alliance side, yeah, you had guys that had, you know, had had their status dropped in in recent months and stuff. But they were still guys that had cachet, like Raven, Taz, the Dudleys. I mean, you had guys that people could support that were not seen as WF guys. But, you know, you look at that WF side. It's like past past. Rock, past Rock, Undertaker, Jericho Edge. You just got, ugh. <laughs> you know, in a lot of ways. You know, very just blah. Yeah, and outside of people we talked about earlier, the people you'd expect, it's basically Deborah on the WCW side that we really haven't talked about, you know. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I do not remember what the Palumbo angle was. Do you? No idea. I'm curious to check on Wikipedia now because I really don't remember that at all. All right. Well, we got four, 14 more pages to go. Gotcha. All right. So, triple, <laughs> figure four weekly. Triple H worked out in the ring Sunday night prior to the show. There's talk of having him do the, the run in hit Austin with their title instead of Angle, but obviously those plans got scrapped. He should return to TV literally any time. It's coming. It's coming. Okay. And Stephanie had thrown. Uh, Palumbo out of the alliance on the October 25th SmackDown, and then shortly thereafter he joined the WWF side. Well, there you go. He, live before Survivor Series, only did a 1.15 rating and a 2 share, which isn't good. Replay show which shared after the conclusion review did a 0.66, which is above its usual 0.5 range. Excess on the 17th remained at the 0.51 level. Uh, more figure 4 weekly. Brian heard the Survivor Series webcast did very well this time. Last month they tried it and it did so bad they had to offer refunds. This month they had a cutoff registration date of Saturday night. 
promised they can make sure they had the right amount of bandwidth for the broadcast. Think about that, folks. Well, it was a success. They limited the 5,000 feeds at $14.95 each for an absolute possible total of $74,750, which is nowhere near the $800,000 of $1.2 million they lost because of DirecTV debacle. Speaking of, DirecTV had the following statement Sunday night. WF refused to authorize DirecTV to offer WF Survivor Series DirecTV customers. We apologize for this inconvenience and are working towards a future resolution. For other exciting baby events, please tune in Channel 102 for UFC or Channel 191 and catch your favorite AWA wrestler on Wrestling Legends. That last line was really funny for some reason. Hmm. Yes, I could not watch Survivor Series on DirecTV. This was the era with DirecTV, with this spot, you know, got me to get a cable box. So I could order the paper, the pay-per-views from my cable company while I had still had DirecTV. Right, right. Because you had cable, but you had no reason to rent a box. Yeah, well, we had we had the cable situation set up for a while there where, uh, you know, they were supposed to come and undo the cable when we canceled it and they didn't do it. So we rehooked it back up. <laughs> so we had free cable for years. And that that stopped when I got the box. So we had to unhook it. The show was still unhooked. And then they put the box in and blah, 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 blah. So that's how I was able to watch early TNA because directly didn't carry TNA at the beginning. But, um, yeah, that was a big problem for a while there. And they, you know, they bowed it out for a little bit, but they, they resolved it eventually. Hmm. That's one of the longest direct TV beefs ever. Cause direct TV is usually good about, uh, squashing their beefs with whoever they have had them with after maybe even a week more likely is a few days if if it even gets to that far like the most famous ones of course the one for me is with espn a couple years ago where they were like doing deals throughout the last day throughout the day like they were making hour extensions until they got the deal done because they were cut they were going to cut espn off on a college football saturday and when Monday Night Football coming up that Monday, and, and yeah, they they dicked around and dicked around and dicked around and eventually got a deal done. But uh, yeah, so it's one of those things. But yeah, that's that's, uh, that's quite the time to be a DirecTV uh, subscriber and not have your day of pay reviews. It's your only a few uh, months, this, right? Yeah, you missed a few shows if you if you didn't get uh, alternative means. So yes. to speak. Now, all of that said, so it's not saying 5,000 people bought it. It's set up. Yeah. Um, and in those days, it was mainly, well, I think they had the pay-per-views by then, so I'm not sure what. It was mainly people in Europe and stuff, I feel like, who bought it. But I don't remember why, because they did have access to the pay-per-view. Um... I'm curious how these did, though, in this era, because broadband is starting to become a lot more common, but it's still not super widely adopted. So I don't know what quality they were streaming at, but they did this for years. I don't remember when they increased it to the regular pay-per-view price, though. I'm, I'm sure it's further into the broadband era, because otherwise it would seem like a ripoff. But they did this going back to, I think, WrestleMania 15 and 99, right? Mm-hmm. Long time. Yeah. 
and clearly was successful enough to do it. Mm -hmm. I don't know if they did it for every pay-per-view, though. It might have only been for the big four, big five. Well, let's go to Raw now. Raw on November 19th and Charlotte drew 9,606, paying 332,470, and it was the start of all new storylines. Show up on a tape feature from that morning where Foley quit WF and Vince being gracious about it. Vince came out and said, every, and said everyone owes Kurt Angle a debt of gratitude for saving WF. When there were numerous sides in the crowd that were pro-Angle, the crowd actually did boo the name from the start. The crowd also booed Vince when he mentioned that WCW and ECW were dead. But there you go. He said it on Raw picks. <laughs> so there's that. So there would be lots of changes. He called Paul Hammond out, and they teased he'd stay as an announcer, so of course that meant he was being fired. Before leaving, Heyman went after Jim Ross, who got to throw a bunch of punches at Heyman before he was dragged off to a big pop. It was designed as a total blow-off, as Heyman would strictly be a rider and work behind the scenes. After that promo on SmackDown, he should return at some point as a heel manager, although that has always made sense for Arn Anderson, and he's never used on camera either. Yeah, for people that don't know, the SmackDown promo was uh, uh, the one where he went off on Vince in the go-home show before the pay-per-view. For driving every promoter out of business. Yes. Yes. Although, apparently, it was even stronger as taped than it aired, as it aired, that they did cut some stuff out. Yeah. Jerry Law is then brought as the announcer to a big pop. Trish Pin... I guess we probably need to play that, though, don't we? I think we do need to play I the reception. I think so, yes. We do need to play the Lawler's Return, because... No Nobody was expecting it. I mean, that was a total genuine surprise. All right, let's see. I mean, we have Mr. McMahon assesses the state of WWE, which I'm guessing is that... Well, Heyman's already out of his chair, so wait a second. Where are we here? Oh, or does Heyman come out? Okay, Heyman's not there at the beginning, that's why. All right, let me, no. let me, let me find where to cue this up real quick. Because I, I surprisingly, given how they did Survivor Series and stuff, this does not have a specific chapter mark for the Heyman thing. All right, start. And yeah, like I said, it was a surprise. Because people knew he worked the SWF tapings, the internet fans knew that. So, yes. Which, by the way, the announcement team of uh, Tony Schiavone and Jerry Lawler. Mm-hmm. So Tony's last pre-MLW announcing job for in-wrestling, right? Because TNA, yes. he just did the one-off promo thing. Mm-hmm. All right. I think I got the right spot. Hello. I'll be right back. Come on in. You know, I, uh, just for the record, I appreciate people who speak their mind. And, uh, and, you know, I remember some of the things you said about me just the other day. I'm all right with that. I'm a First Amendment advocate. So exercising the benefit of my First Amendment rights, I would like to inform you that you're fired. All right. <laughs> Cuckoo, the chew, the walrus is gone. 
now. Now Heyman wants to fight. And Vince McMahon's going to tear Heyman completely up. <laughs> and fire. King is back. Mm-hmm. And I do so, like the execution, too, of Vince making the announcement and Lawler coming out and pointing and laughing as Paul's <laughs> being carried out by security. Yeah, because it's Lawler and Heyman, you know? The, the, the history there, and Ross and Heyman's history, you know? I wonder if Ross uh, put a little extra oomph on some of those punches. <laughs> this is for making all those jokes about my divorce in Atlanta. <laughs> so what's the first match that Jerry Lawler gets to announce? Trish Stratus pin Lita to keep the women's title and probably the worst 244 of wrestling in the major promotion all year. If there was ever a match the epitome of the saying it went to hell in a handbasket, this was it. <laughs> so Jerry got some puppies uh, in his first match back. Apropos. Yes, it, it, it is interesting when you think about, you know, these two. And, of course, they had a legendary rivalry, but uh, it didn't start off good. It definitely got better as time went on, that's for sure. The singles matches, yeah. Vince, and getting back at RVD for not joining the OEF, booked him in a handicap tables match against the Dudleys. 
RVD went for a frost splash on the bubble on the table, but Bubba Moon and RVD went through it. He actually landed short as the table's way out there. The match didn't end as he had to be put through the table. So they gave him a 3D onto the table that didn't break. Had to do it a second time for the finish at 427. These two first matches made you realize how great it is that SmackDown's taped. Oh, yeah. and RVD is here because he's hardcore champion. Yeah, the joys of editing. Yes, yeah, so if you were a champion, you could not be fired. So yeah. there's that. Just why the others are here. They're tag champions. So there you I go. Forget, did Stacy stay? Uh, I don't think she was part of this. No. Okay. It's also. I don't think. Was it in either newsletter that did anyone mention that part of the rules or? And you, I think that I, I think it was mentioned in the build, but not on in this. Yeah. Issue. Not, okay. Yeah. Angle, acting totally heelish, went to Rock and asked him to be thank. Rock said he saw through Angle, didn't trust him, never asked for his help, never wanted his help, and wouldn't be an Austin on his own. This one up with Rock agreeing to defend the title, which for the next few weeks would be called the world title until it's unified against him. Vince came out again to fire Shane and Stephanie. Shane said he just lost to a better man and walked off. There had been a lot of discussion over the week prior to this. Shane won't be a TV character from this point forward as he's going to spend full time working in the office overseeing publications and internet at first didn't even want to do TV after losing. Well, nobody could publicly say anything about it. Probably a lot of wrestlers were mad that Shane showed up, not selling, taking everyone's finisher, including the tombstone, having me carried off the previous night, but showed up fine. There was a plan proposed for Shane to be humiliated and dragged off, but he wouldn't do it, and ultimately Vince agreed with Shane. Stephanie, who obviously will be back on TV very soon, was dragged off kicking and screaming after blaming everything on Shane. She was whining and crying before Vince ordered security to take her away. Interesting interesting to see the dynamics already this early in the game and how Stephanie is so is so much like Vince and Shane so much like Linda. Shane wanted his dignity. He didn't want to uh, be portrayed as that type of character. Meanwhile, Stephanie is full-on ham like the old man. Pretty much. That's <laughs> exactly what it is. Even though Shane did all this crazy shit, he still didn't want to be seen as you know that type of guy. But Stephanie's all in, because she don't care. Vince confronted Jericho, and to get back at him, made him wrestle Kane. This made zero sense, as Jericho theoretically nearly cost Vince's company, and largely anything but a firing would make no sense. Rock pin angle at 608, when he reversed ankle lock into a cradle. These two always have good matches, but this is on the lower end of that scale. Still good, but nowhere near their usual four-star level. Angle attacked him after the match, but got laid out with a rock bottom. Jericho then came in, and Jericho and Angle destroyed the rock when Angle... Putting on the ankle lock, and Jericho put him in the walls, being pulled off, putting him back on a second time. Oh, okay, so do we should we play the next thing, or has everyone seen it so many times that we don't need to? I don't think we I don't think we have to play this. No, I don't I don't think so. Um It's more of a visual thing, although Vince has his lines and stuff. I can make my ass do tricks. Yeah, I mean, it's up to you. I don't think so, because also I feel like everyone's seen it. Vince called out Regal. Yeah, Vince called Regal out, pulled down his pants, revealing black briefs, then pulled down his briefs from the back and started flexing his butt in order Regal to kiss his ass, save his job, which he did. This was quite disturbing as you start thinking about a 56-year-old man who's flexing his bare ass in front of the world. Evidently, viewers must not have liked it with such a massive number tuning out during this segment. And who would have thought this is all, all this was? Another way to humiliate Taz. As Regal left the building, Taz made fun of him, and he beat the hell out of Taz. 
let's just play the the the, the climax of it. I guess. I think. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we could at least play that. Regal's, Look at Regal's face. <laughs> he Regal's got a look at Oh wait a minute! Wait a minute! I'm not about to let anybody kiss my ass who has chap lips. Oh, no, you're kidding. Put that on. <laughs> and now he's got to use Vince's own chapstick. <laughs> Can I borrow your toothbrush? Oh, I'm so glad to be back to see this. <laughs> I thought Regal, I, I just don't think Regal's going to. That was weird because the, <laughs> the rapper was on it, but perforated so he could pull the thing off. Uh, this the way where you have a pause is a great visual. Regal's face and Vince's face looking at Regal. Yeah. <laughs> I'm go through with this. What do you mean? Right on, let's get this over with. He got some big lips too. He can French kiss a moose. Come on, get down there, kiss it. <laughs> this is All be right, good. now damn it, kiss my ass. Join the club! Charter member. <laughs> Is it going to do it? <laughs> oh, I'm about to faint. What if he passes, what if he passes gas? <laughs> I don't believe it. This is the greatest moment in the history of the WWF. The dignified William Regal, as he's sort of do. Do ass kissing to keep his job. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Gonna look himself in the mirror. How's he gonna look his his tears in the face? How's he ever gonna return to, to the United Kingdom? <laughs> Forget about that. Little does JR know he's gonna be doing the same thing <laughs> in a few weeks. Yeah. Um. That one is much more disturbing than this one. Oh yeah. Because a it's. This has a storyline purpose. That and it's comedy. Not, and it's comedy. That did not. I, it the part that turns Undertaker heel. I really like where Undertaker is seemingly coming in to save him, and then you know he's like, "Oh, Jr., you don't think you should have to kick it, kiss his ass, do you?" And Jr. is like, "Oh, hell no!" And then Undertaker is like. So you think you're better than me? Yeah, because Undertaker had to do it. Well, he didn't do it on camp, but the idea was, it's like, I think he meant, I don't think he meant he literally had to, but. Yeah. It was in, it was in, I don't know if it even really made sense the way they didn't build it up, but it, the, the way, Undertaker's delivery really works. But then you have Vince galloping around the ring wearing the cowboy hat with his pants around <laughs> his ankles. <laughs> yeah. And Lawler, and Lawler made this. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Lawler made it. So. Yes. So anyway. Also, speaking of high-pitched squeals, I need to watch the Nick Cage Invitational and see how many, yeah, we get from Prezak. <laughs> Kane Vickers Jericho on 307 by a chair shot DQ. Bad match. Messed up one spot early. Afterwards was weird. And then Jericho was supposed to be Kane the walls twice. They didn't know if Kane wanted to make Jericho look bad or what, but it's one thing to mess up a spot off the rose, but it's another to twice mess up a Boston Crab spot. There's definitely more to this, but Jericho sure looked bad in the spot designed to make him look strong. Hmm. I wonder what's going on here, huh? For his rep hmm. as a pro, I don't... Th 
Kane doesn't strike me as someone who'd be sabotaging him. But, you know, we talked about it earlier with the right-handed, left-handed, you know, Phil Nelson uh, reverse Russian leg sweep thing. Jericho, in general, during at least the shift towards the heel turn, uh, looked much less smooth than he had in the previous, like, year and a half or so, once he had gotten used to the WWF style. Yeah, it's just weird. It probably didn't help that he was putting on some muscle. Yeah. Anyway. Angle confronted Edge saying he should thank him for saving his job. Edge had both U.S. IC belts and said they saved his job, and he saved his own job. He accused Angle of being an opportunist and that if the Lions was going to win, he'd have helped him. He said he stole the opportunity to be a hero by interfering. As we have the Edge-Angle thing getting going. Um, Regal and Beak Taz, 53 seconds with a Regal stretch. The whole building was full with smoke. I guess from the pyro. Finish on the show. Saw Vince about to give Angle the Devtiles a reward wait, and ship off. How is Taz still there? I don't know. Was it? Well, was he kicked out of the Alliance before that? Didn't Oscar kick him out? That's right. He had been kicked out. Yeah. And there were a few times where they just beat him up, but he wasn't kicked out yet. But then eventually he did get kicked out. Yes. Yeah. Finish the show, saw Vince about to give Angle the Devtiles a reward, ship Austin. And then Flair came out. So let's go to that. Me. As the sole owner of the World Wrestling Federation, allow me to. Wait a second. What is that? It can't be what I think it could be. But it is! What? There's the Nature Boy! What's he doing here? Something that never really hit me before and is a great touch. Flair is wearing more of a business suit than the usual Flair suit. Yes. He's got his little pocket square. And that never hit me before. Like, I always thought, like, there's something different about how he's dressed. And I realize here, oh, it's a business suit. I'd love to know whose idea that was. And also, uh, no graphic. On the Titan Tron. No, which I remembered him having one, but nope. Wait. And there and and he's using the real flare music, not WS version of real flare music. Yeah. So there's that too. Well, short notice and all that. But I like this little telegraph of what's about to happen here, this little hint. That he's wearing the business suit. Is this a mirage? What, look at that sight! What's 
Richard. Am I seeing Ric Flair on Raw? Also, look how different his face looks from uh, not having recently done what it takes for him to be on TV with his shirt off at his age. <laughs> yeah, sitting at home for the past uh, eight months. But I, I don't mean this in a negative way. Like, when was the last time before or after this that his like that his face looked this skinny? Yeah, not sickly, just skinny. Mm-hmm. We've got a multi-part move sign on the play. Oh, I almost forgot. And you know, that's pretty typical, cuz. You're almost forgotten, but uh -oh. this is your hometown, isn't it, Ric Flair? That's why he's here. I like that Vince kind of tries to play it off, but he doesn't. Mr. Flair! Why don't you listen to the crowd and tell me this is my hometown or not? Charlotte. That's all right. This is your hometown, Charlotte, North Carolina. That's great. But this is my ring, and you're standing in it, and I want an explanation. There you go. The explanation that I'm going to give you all revolves around the fact that I bet on a winner last night. Oh, no! 
Fallon. What kind of business is this? What's happening to you? My God, what has happened to the sports entertainment? What a journey we're about to embark on in the WWF. Ric Flair and Vince McMahon part. How do you know what kind of journey we're about to embark on? Flair's got Austin title belt over his shoulder. Flair, no champ, no stranger to championships. Vince McMahon's dream of being the man in sports entertainment has been altered at the hands of nature boy Ric Flair. Uh-oh, look at this. And Stone Cold once again in possession of the WWF Championship. But by God, you've got to wonder for how long. Look at the veins pop out of Vince McMahon's neck. Awesome thinking. Let's go to that rattlesnake's mind. Now, wait a minute. You gotta be kidding me. Vince McMahon can't believe it. My God, I can't believe it. ending i mean hell of an ending crowd going ape shit i mean good lord it's, a, it's fantastic stuff there everything on point and well and also really we should point out too flair and austin's facials at the end are tremendous in cementing that austin's baby face again mm-hmm well when, when austin takes the belt off flair's shoulder flair smiles and austin kind of almost smiles back at him yeah, and uh, yeah, it's, it's it's great stuff. Um, and Vince and Angle are amazing in in their roles and all this. So, yeah, I mean, just tremendous stuff. I love Kurt. Hey, wait a minuteing him over the house mic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, just fantastic. Um, well, Vix, you asked for it. Here it is. The given for Survivor Series is that all champions will keep their jobs. <laughs> Van Dam, Christian, and Dudley and Austin are guaranteed to stay. Pussy about Regal back to kiss Vince's ass. Taz is back because Vince was happy he choked out Heyman. Well, there's that answer. Tess stayed because winning the Battle Royal, and Stacy stayed because she's so hot. <laughs> I mean, technically, it's probably because she's the manager of the tech champions. And she's hot. So hot. there you go. Yes. Raw, uh, Drew, it's best number since August 27 with a 4.81 rating. 4.78 first hour, 4.83 second hour, 7.2 share, estimated 6.1 million viewers. NFL game going against Raw was the New York Giants against Minnesota Vikings, which drew an 11.83 and a 20 share, which is well above its season average. Real quick, that he's saying estimated, does that mean he thinks they're applying one of those average viewers per home things to it and not the actual viewers total? Possible, but... That money in that football game, you have the Giants who had just been to the Super Bowl playing Minnesota, who was one of the best teams in football that year, Randy Moss. So 
yeah, that's that's going to do a big rating no matter what. So there you go. The show started strong as opening segment where Heyman fired McMahon fired Heyman drew a four point five three, which is better than me. The main events on the show have drawn since football started. It was not a constant growth show, but the audience stayed strong in the first hour and then peaked at five point one five for Rock and Angle, which increased about four hundred fifty thousand viewers from the segment where Vince dumped Shane and Stephanie. It should be noted that Vince dumping Shane and Stephanie actually lost viewers, even with the major store implications. Oh, no, not a significant amount, about 40,000 from the RVD Dudley's match. There was a huge drop after the Ross match of 536,000 for the next segment, which was Regal kissing Vince's ass. 4.73. The repeated appearances of Vince on the show, with the exception of the one with Flair, lost viewers. And even the final segment where Vince was promising to get there about the angle at 4.73 was below the show average. The appearance of Flair and Austin in the final five minutes kicked the overrun up to a whopping 5.45, the highest rated segment on a Raw show since the NFL regular season started. The last Raw show to pull an overrun like that was 5.89 for the angle milk truck angle on August the 20th. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. When Flair shows up, I mean, people call him, people say, hey, Rick Flair's on Raw. Mm-hmm. You know? So, there's that. All right, so... We got some notes from Raw from the figure four. Dark matches saw Albert beat Randy Orton with a Baldo bomb. And Chuck Palumbo and Billy Gunn beat Ron Waterman and Brock Lesnar with Billy Pin brought with a famouser. Brian can't believe he just typed that. Nobody cared about any of these guys, which is strange because Billy Gunn usually gets that inexplicable, inexplicable huge pop. How is it inexplicable? Yes, folks. He's the one. <laughs> Chuck Palumbo and Billy Gunn beat Ron Waterman and Brock Lesnar with Brock doing the job. The Billy God. Wow. Well, at least it was someone that's bigger than Brock. <laughs> From Metal, Perry Saturn beat Funaki with on bar. Christian beat Spike, the retaining European title, and Tajiri beat Crash Holly. Nobody cared about this match because they're all distracted by Mr. T coming through the crowd to take his seat. <laughs> Lawler got a huge pop and sustained ovation in the first commercial break. There are flare signs all over the building and lo- lots of light chance for him throughout the show. He was said to get by far the biggest pop of the night for his return. After the show ended, he walked backstage and let Austin bask in the glory of the easiest babyface turn maybe in wrestling history. Yep. Just perfect timing and everything falling into place. Absolutely. All right. SmackDown, November 20th in Fayetteville, North Carolina, drew 77.36, paying 219.267. Fayetteville was going to sell out whether or not Ric Flair appeared or even having to do the angle on Sunday as the advance is very strong. It's more going to a new market. They haven't done TV in years in. Now, including the pay-per-view in Greensboro, merchandise for the week was 197288 or 712 per head. Another strong SmackDown show. It's there on Thanksgiving night, of course. Shoving with Flair coming out to an enormous pop. Vince came out as well, and they started teasing problems with Vince complaining that Flair didn't do anything when Austin attacked him and just watched him get beat up. They set a tough situation for the pay-per-view. Michael Cole throughout, throughout the show and what appeared to be lines edited into the show in studio kept saying that for the first time in 100-year wrestling history there would be only one undisputed world champion aside from that not being true dave was amazing actually claimed that they were part of the wrestling business for the first time since the early 80s chad <laughs> <laughs> spence got too high with a not so high kick of 302 charmel sullivan was brought from a vw at a very little time there amazing that women can progress to the big time in a few weeks while men take years in her new role as a backstage interviewer she interviewed tad so if Bunaki make fun of him for losing to Mr. Kiss-Ass. Taz attacked Funaki until the show broke it up. Hmm. They did a My, My Sacrifice video on Edge. This was awesome. Oh, yes, the Creed My Sacrifice video era. 
Over the past five days, it seems Edge's star power has really been elevated, both in one of the match Survivor Series and Mourner's interaction with Mangle the next night in this video, which included showing his high school yearbook picture where he was listed as most likely to be WF champion. Wonder if Christian went to the same high school the same years was jealous of that. What a, I mean, what a perfect thing to happen. No, that for the his for Edge's future to actually have that in your high school yearbook mm-hmm. and have that being used when that day came, absolutely. And these my sacrifice videos were very, very, very well done. Although they didn't play it up when he actually won the title because he was a heel. <laughs> yeah, Vince and Angle had a discussion. Christian came in giving Vince a turkey. Undertaker came in and actually had an interesting banner with Vince, complaining about Vince not letting him in on his plan with Angle. And also that Vince didn't ask him to do it, as well as about Angle being his boy. I forgot. Hmm. I forgot Vince says that he wasn't in on it. Mm-hmm. Big Show pin Taz in 91 seconds, which is the attorney for a Taz match, but falling back with Taz it had him in the choke. Show sold the choke a lot more than you think afterwards. Vince asked Regal if he'd do him a favor. Regal's faces were priceless. <laughs> Well, it's regal. It's always like that. Undertaker and Angle went to no contest. A very good match. Angle was great. Undertaker just sold a lot for him and like in their previous bouts, making Angle appear to be on his level. Undertaker reversed an ankle lock and gave Angle a choke slam. He sold his ankle for a low tie. They put Angle in the ankle lock, and Angle made the ropes. Vince came in with a chair, but then froze. Vince handed Undertaker the chair. Undertaker threw it down until Vince. He just wants some respect. Regal the interview, calling out Austin. Austin, I told Bayface, mostly made fun of Regal's breath for kissing Vince's ass. Austin, the crowd, kept chanting, what? Austin gave Regal a stunner, but the Dudley's tested Christian in the ring. All right, look, we're going to play this because um, it's not often that you see Austin take this type of beating. So um, let's go to that, shall we? The whole thing, or should I skip ahead to when it gets physical? I mean, just 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 play just play a little. Just, yeah, I don't. Yeah, just play the right thing. Yeah. So let's see. Like right before it gets physical, I guess. I mean, right here, right here, right here. Okay. Yeah, that's what I say. We obviously can't hear you. Get to the ring now, you pathetic pillock. Get down here right now. Oh boy, a pathetic pillock. Uh oh, he's gone too far now. Take this bloody s- what? 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 I brought you something. What? I brought you something. <laughs> he can't hear, but he can smell. I brought you a gift. A gift? What is it? 
Stuff this gum and candy and all this crap in your mouth. Please. <laughs> what do I put it in your mouth? Your breath stinks. He needs a tic tac oh, no, on, 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 don't, don't open your mouth because it smells worse. No! Here, maybe that won't work. I got something else. Well, you kiss one person's there butt you and you're. These are the Altoids are made in Great Britain. What? 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 What's this? Go ahead, knock it out of my hands. Oh. Knock it out of my hands. I dare you. Uh-oh. Let me ask you a question, you little mealy mouth. Mm. It smells like you just ate the ass end out of a skunk, my friend. Hey, wait a minute. Did that feel good? Right. What? You won't feel good. Kissing Vince McMahon's ass. Did you like that? Uh-oh. I love how he did, man. <laughs> what do you mean, did I like it? If you think this is the ass kissing of some you ever saw, give me a hell yeah. What? What? Did you like that? Because you and me got something in common. I love how every time he asks him if you like it, he deadpans it with this look on his face like, no, I'm genuinely curious. <laughs> yes. That's the only way I can describe his facial expression here. It's like, no, seriously. Like, did you? <laughs> yeah. Believe it or not, as far as asses go, you're in the kiss ass club and I'm in the whoop ass club. Uh oh. You, the... you listen to me for a second. If it wasn't for you being outsmarted by Vince McMahon and Kurt Angle, I wouldn't have had to get down on my bloody knees and kiss his bloody ass. Do you hear me, oh. you horrible little toad? If it wasn't for you, go, go. Speaking of lines that were obviously dubbed in in post. Mm-hmm. God, for once I mean, in yeah, life, let's explain why no one's running it. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Austin got 3D, got Regal Stretch, Regal got a six or seven bloody nose the past few weeks. Uh, yeah, Austin got beat down in that segment. So, yeah, a rarity. So how do you follow that up? Trish Stratus beat Stacey Keebler and was started as a food fight, end up in a trough of gravy... With a chin lock. It was basically a mud wrestling match with women all dressed up. Yeah. Ah, yes. It's Thanksgiving. <laughs> so. Why is Thanksgiving on the, what, on the 22nd that year? Thanksgiving's on the fourth Thursday of the month. Oh, it's fourth Thursday? Well, wait a second. 22nd, 15th, 1st. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. It's, I didn't it's the realize it was fourth Thursday and not last Thursday. Okay. It's the, yeah, it's the earliest you can have Thanksgiving. It's on the 22nd. Yeah. 
So Matt blamed Jeff for blowing the match when he had it won so he could get a clip on a highlight reel saying it lost the most important tag match of all time. Jeff kept saying he was sorry, but Matt kept yelling at him. Lita then yelled at Matt for being selfish in their relationship. Uh, here we go. Edge beat Christian by DQ and 201 in the IC title match. Obviously too short. Edge had a one with Tess and Fear and they laid him out, finishing with Christian giving him a prettier on a chair. Man was a handicap bout with Jericho and the Dudleys over Rock and RVD in 930. Really good match. Finished saw Rock give Devon the rock bottom. Then Jericho gave Rock low blow and rock bottom for the pin clean. So, uh, yeah, how about that, huh? Hmm. Now, there was a there was a promo shot for Thanksgiving SmackDown with RVD and The Rock to explain teaming why they're teaming up and to officially turn RVD babyface. You know he's always been one. It was next from the show by Kevin Dunn. Apparently, because it inferred that Van Damme was stoned. Even though the building and favor when it played, people laughed. RVD, stoned. Oh, we can't Shocked. have that. <laughs> I mean, really? It's RVD! Well, I just realized something. Chris, what show is this? Smackdown. It's, it's Smackdown. Who is the... What company owns Smackdown? CBS... I mean, Viacom. owns UPN, CBS Viacom. Viacom. Who also owns TNN. Who did it seem like did not want uh, Rob Van Dam on TNN? Well, let's just say on their properties... Presumably because of pot-related things that we deduced in the Patreon shows, Rob Van Dam. Yeah, but that was ECW in a different different power oh, structure. I know, I think. It's still dumb, but it. I, I wonder if it's in part because it's SmackDown. I mean, eh, then it's also possibly. network TV on top of the other stuff, but I wonder if it's, it's also a, it's a Viacom thing. It's possible. Yeah. Well, SmackDown drew a 3.3 rating. 3.8 realistic rating, which sounds low, but actually a very good number because Thanksgiving night viewership is always down. Last year, the show did basically an identical 3.26, and most weeks, the year to year is down about 10 to 20%. The show tied ABC for third place, Hanley beating Fox, and Dublin WB. WB. Double B. This rating being up more, can more directly be attributed to Flair signing its first show where the masses would have known. For example, Friends, which is a top rated show nearly every week, was down to a 12.7 for a heavily promoted Thanksgiving episode with Brad Pitt. Of course, Dave's going to hit friends up on here. Of course he is. So there you go. So, it's good rating for Thanksgiving, though. Yeah, really good. All right, back to the figure four weekly. Most of the former Alliance guys sent home for SmackDown since there was nothing for them to do. They were told they'd be written back in the storylines within the next few weeks. The original plan was for Flair to slowly start bringing back the guys that the writers had plans for. Of course, there are guys who will never be brought back at all. So a lot of people justifiably worried about their future. All the Alliance guys are still put for their house shows this weekend. Not sure they're going to explain it, but they're apparently deciding it's using the old contractual obligations excuse. Yeah, they just don't explain it while some of those WCW guys work house shows. <laughs> I guess it's that, yeah, I guess it's, just, it's that deal, but, you know, they, you know, why not? Mm. You know. All right, so where do we go to next? It's time to talk financials. <laughs> Yes, as we discussed, I think, last week, last week we used the Torch version instead of the always long day version when we did 03. Here, because we're in the year of the XFL and the WWF, excuse me, WCW purchase, we kind of have to go to the Observer and get granular. But not too granular. No, all right, so. no not Barrios-level granular. All right, so let me read and then we'll go from there. Unlike previous investor 
conferences after quarterly reports showing decline in revenue. The November 21st WF conference call for investors and media headed by Lindemann Man and Chief Financial Officer August LaCorey made few excuses for the declines, blaming most of the company's struggles on a weakness in television creativity. Even with declines in most of the key revenue streams over the months of August through October, most notably pay revenue showing a 29% decrease over the same period last year, and live attendance being down 25% for the quarter, and the decline was far more pronounced in October than previous months in both categories. The company was still running at a significant profit even before laying off 9% of the workforce and getting rid of Stuart Snyder's sizable salary. Okay, two things. <laughs> One, the more things change, the more they stay the same. The other, <laughs> boy, <laughs> some thanks he got, or did he leave on his own? <laughs> I think he left on his own, but I, I think they weren't trying to keep him, so to speak. So, go from there. So it was more of a, my work here is done. Yeah, he killed WCW. So there you go. Yeah. Well, he's one of the people. For, no, for, for more on that, patreon.com slash between the sheets. Yes. If you want to find out who Steve Heyer is as well, that's. Uh, yes. And, 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 and why and he's this, actually to blame as well. And the connections to Brad Siegel. Yes. All right. The company has also greatly downscaled its projections for the year, in particular being very conservative in the next few months, and expecting business to decline from current levels. Before an expected huge pickup in February through April. Oh, no, he was toy- fired. Oh, there you go. Yeah, I, I With a toy video game. Story about it. Yeah, wow. From the Christmas season being received, plus huge revenues expected for WrestleMania. There's already a guarantee of the company setting up a North American record for a live gate that will approach the world top 4 million U.S. at Skydome in Toronto. For the fiscal year, the end in, in the end of April, WFE is expected to earn roughly $50 million in profits, about half of the original projections. Although looking at projections to get that figure, they seem very optimistic, particularly on the previous side, without a direct TV settlement. For the company as a whole, that figure would be a significant increase over last year's $15.97 million in profits. But that figure included XFL losses and WF New York expenses. The pro wrestling profit for the year was $84.91 million, and WF profits of business was $99.3 million last year. If you take out items like the purchase of WCW, purchase and assortment of WCW, and the Owen Hart lawsuit settlement. And real quick, um, I mean, it can be inferred. But at this point, they're still using a non-traditional calendar for the fiscal year. They haven't switched over to the regular calendar yet. Okay. That's, that's why it might be a little confusing, I'm saying, because he's talking about how they're, you know, years, whereas now they use the regular year. To reach proposed 50 million dollar figure would require a huge increase across the board in revenue starting in late February. For the first six months of the fiscal year, total profits have been $16.833 million, so largely due to the XFL, the company as a whole made more money in the past six months with business down than they did the entire previous year record-breaking business. Revenue in the past three months was $98.208 million, broken down into $16.1 million from live house show gates, 16.4%. On the reality, if you throw a merchandise sold at the events, house shows accounted for 20.3% of the company's revenue in the quarter, $22.2 million for pay-per-view events, 22.6%. $13.5 million for TV rights fees, 13.7%, and $20.9 million for television advertising revenue, 21.3%, and $25.5 million for merchandising and licensing, 26%. Well, it's probably more fair to include merchandising revenue from area events, arena events, and live show revenue, so realistically, outside merchandise and licensing is 22.1%. With the huge decline in pay-per-view, the combination of rights fees and ad revenue have made television show itself stronger 
than the revenue, the strongest revenue stream, which is why television and not house shows and pay-per-view has become the company's top priority. 20 years ago, everybody. And, yep, exactly. And that's where we're at now. Even with some make goods due to ratings falling below the 4.5 to 5.0 level promised advertisers on the Raw SmackDown shows and the overall soft advertising climate, they have had revenue only fell for $22.5 million to $20.9 million, a 7.1% drop during a period where ratings and sales dropped 20%, and generally speaking, ad revenue across the board for television was down 15%. They is projected to maintain that level of ad revenue over the next six months. This is where those who propose they have get more risque have to balance things out, because television ad revenue has been far steadier as a stream than most everything else of late, so they have to make sure they go risque only to the point where they don't make sponsors squeamish. And so in 1999, sponsors leaving becomes a very quick domino effect. Even though they have lost the over 30 audience to a great degree, as on these pages over the past year, they remain strong in males 12 to 24 and are considered a strong advertising buy in reaching that group as noted by recent signups by Microsoft promoting Xbox, Adidas, Foot Locker, and other advertisers looking to reach male teens. Interesting. And that group of males is the strongest demo in wrestling today, 20 years later. Because, there you go, They, this is the, the, uh, that group of fans that, that stuck with wrestling all these years. Mm-hmm. Overall, overall, yeah, and yeah, good luck finding the young ones. Overall revenue dropped 12.2% over the same period last year, a number somewhat misleading because the company had a huge increase in television rights fees with the Viacom deal as part of this year, and just picking up in the final month of last year during the same time period. While a lot of media sources know the drop in profits over the quarter from $9.473 million last year to $4.841 million this year, a decrease of 48.9%, those figures are totally misleading. Last year's profit margin was nearly $20 million in reality, as the $9.5 million figure listed was taken into account a one-time $7 million lawsuit settlement as part of the Owen Hart wrongful death settlement, not covered by insurance, plus another $2.902 million figure in what into that total from the WS half of the XFL's expenses before the start of the season. This year's pro wrestling profit is also slightly misleading on a low note because it includes $1.1 million in losses for the quarter from WS New York Restaurant, blaming the greatly decreased foot traffic and tourism business headed to Times Square since 9-11. And that's another thing, too. Uh, I, I'm, it's interesting to me that, if, that it took this long for 9-11 to come up, but 9-11 had a big effect on all kinds of business. You know, at this point in time, and we're two months from it. And there were a lot of people that were still skeptical on going to big public events. And it's understandable. Yeah. But there were a lot of people skeptical in going. So that was affecting their house show business as well, I'm sure. And and some of the maybe the larger towns, you know, people not thinking, okay, we're I'm in this building with, you know, close to 10,000 people or so. Who's to say that somebody may not try to do something here? Right. You know, indoor more than outdoor, I think. For some reason, I think I think there's more of a stigma for indoor than outdoor. I don't know. Maybe it's me. I don't know. But yeah, I mean, 9-11 had a huge effect. Of course, business and profits are down from last year's wrestling isn't nearly as hot as it was. The good sign is that even with most business indicators such as pay-per-view, house shows, and ratings have declined, the company revenue increased over the $90.699 million from the previous quarter, up 8.3%. And that's what taken most of a $10.9 uh, million license fee from the video game rights for, to THQ over several years of putting them on their last quarter books. 
As compared with the previous quarter, live attendance increased from 415,100 to 475,000, largely due to increasing from 43 house show days to 55, as the per show average declined by 10.5% of the previous quarter. Pay-per-views dropped 21.6 in the previous quarter due to a combination of the huge invasion show the previous quarter, and to much lesser extent, the effective direct TV's loss for No Mercy, but mainly just decline in product. Ash preview numbers for the last quarter were 527,000 buys for SummerSlam, which worked out to a 1.11 buy rate for a show headlined by Ross returning against Booker T and Austin vs. Angle. 350, a 0.74 buy rate for Unforgiven, headlined by Austin and Angle and Rock against Booker and Shane. And 305,000 estimate, 0.80 buy rate, higher buy rate with fewer buys due to no direct TV for No Mercy, headlined by Austin vs. Angle versus Van Dam and Rock vs. Jericho. Keep in mind, it showed at recent, the estimates historically at this point wind up being much higher than the final numbers come in, usually by about 10%. So it'd be no surprise if that show wound up doing a lower buy rate than Unforgiven. The Unforgiven buy rate would have tied the Judgment Day buy rate earlier in the year, Austin vs. Undertaker, as the company's lowest preview buy rate dating back to an Austin Do Love match on the May 31st, 1998, over the Edge Review of Milwaukee. The actual amount of revenue lost by DirecTV not carrying no mercy, if we're assuming the current estimate is accurate, would be somewhere between $630,000. You figure it would have done the same buy rate as the previous show, and $900,000 if you figure that nobody would access DirecTV had cable in order from another source, the buy rate would have held the same level. The reality is likely somewhere between those two figures, but due to the overall lessening of the interest in WWF, well below the one, the $1.3 million per month they were expecting to lose. That sounds like a good thing. They didn't lose as much as expected, but it's really a bad thing. SummerSlam's buy rate was the lowest for that show since 1997 for the famous Bret Hart title of The Undertaker, .80, with Sean's referee and the Undertaker with a chair that was set up for the famous Survivor Series match. Yeah, I mean, it's obvious that fans did not like the creative direction after, after the Invasion pay-per-view. And if they would have, if they would have had strong creative coming off that and kept the alliance strong, mm-hmm. who knows? Who knows? So they, they, I mean, they screwed this up in so many ways, business wise, and it's showing up here, you know. Yeah. And all the other stuff going on, DirecTV's debacle, nine um, eleven. I mean, you have all this stuff that adds up to you know make this where we're at. But Linda McMahon has other thoughts. At the conference, Linda McMahon had first noted the cyclical, cyclical nature of pro wrestling, saying it's always been like that and will be again, which she's right. She said the company has gone through similar cycles in the past, but has shown overall strong growth long term and predicted the same thing, pushing hard development of more international business in 2002, which they do. There was blame placed for the declining attendance on 9-11, which may have had small effect, but a large effect is the current product strength. When it comes to preview, she said those numbers are tied in with the ratings, and since one is low, it falls the other, would be as low as well. She talked about brand building. Ironically, the brand building mentality is larger would kill the alliance angle, as men in the front office who won out said it would weaken WS brand and have its wrestlers look weak next to the undeveloped ECW and WCW brands, which doomed the feud. And talked about building a new brand next year, the second group as yet named. Yeah, <laughs> whoever were the ones that wanted that angle to to fail knew the exact right buzzwords to use to convince them to do it. Mm-hmm. Brand. I mean, they, 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 they knew exactly what we get, you know, on the McMahon mind. Oh, they're this, these two brands, they, they, 
they have low Q ratings and you know they're not like us. We we got the beat down. We can't lose it in. She noted even with the ratings decline that Raw is the number one regularly scheduled weekly television series on cable. Still true to this day, <laughs> not a long ways. Uh, actually, NFL Sunday football beats it most weeks, but if you don't consider sports as weekly TV series, which you shouldn't, except for the occasional blockbuster movie, a huge news store, CNN, Raw usually does finish right behind football. She admitted the integration of the WCW brand in the store, and that was a failure, and it brought the 4.8 Raw rating on November 19th, but also admitted people, perhaps surprisingly, that's too soon enough. This is indicative of any kind of a trend. At the last investors conference, she did try to proclaim the strong July numbers after a week, several months as a sign of a turnaround, that the problem was largely the absence of the rock. And time turned out to make that predictions look bad, so she was a lot more tepid how she played the wrong number this time. She didn't try to claim the ratings showed the ratings should start turning around, but did state that she felt the consistent decline period had bottomed out and leveled off. She did call the other results of the B tour events as encouraging, without knowing the disappointment of the A tour shows. She knows that Andrew Whitaker has been with the company for 14 years. We'll be moving early next year to head up the new office being opened up in London, England, to set up company being more aggressive in running overseas. She said they've announced early next year some international tour dates and gave the impression tours will be held quarterly outside of North America. And noted new television deals over the past few months having been signed in Japan, which actually does very poor ratings, South Africa, Finland, India, and Brazil. When talking about DirecTV in past, she said they had to walk away from negotiations after 10 months because they weren't going to agree to a worse deal than the last deal. What she further mentioned is that the proposed deal from DirecTV is actually a superior deal to what they had already get from cable. As compared to the previous year, licensing was way up. Merchandise was down 23%, largely due to the decrease in live attendance. As per cast are slightly up, the total crowds were way down. Although the per cast assists dropped as well when top characters' merchandise stopped dropping as they got stale. Publishing revenue is significantly down due to lower magazine circulation. Home videos are way down, but they expect the distribution agreement with Sony to turn that around by getting videos and DVDs into more different retail outlets. That was a problem, folks. There were some major chain stores that did not have WWF stuff. I remember that I, for some stuff, I would have to go specifically to a certain mall that had Suncoast and get it from Suncoast. Yeah, they were not in like Best Buy or place or Walmart. They were not that best, widely yet. They weren't. Yeah. They weren't that widely in media play. So yeah, exactly. It's, uh, it's the Sony distribution that really kicks that off, right? Egg. Yes. Yeah, that's what changed it. Which is a few years. Internet business. Yeah, internet business decreased greatly due to the drop in internet and ad revenue. And WF New York was down, which was blamed on nine eleven. The company also expects to spend approximately fifteen million next year to upgrade its television production facilities. When describing the failure of the invasion angle, Linda blended on the differences in the level of performers. Basically saying the newcomers weren't as good as the established WWF guys. Audience reactions, that famous night in Tucson, forcing a change in the established plans and what she called creative confusion. Tucson? That's exactly what I was thinking. Tucson? Tacoma. Tacoma. Dave. She said the company would increase its number of baby events with the establishment of a new brand. But this wouldn't take place until after WrestleMania, so it'd be during the next fiscal year, which starts in May 2002. And that's correct. She knew there are currently 165 performers under contract. She gave no indication that number would change over the next few months. It's largely believed that many wrestlers will be let go and cycled out. Others with no cycles but in their contracts are going to be offered contract buyouts. Brian Adams said the buyout because they had no plans for him, even though he had worked his way into some of a key position with HWA 
doing a lot of the training drills and having right television show. It's hard to expect that there would be a number of developmental wrestlers, and likely some of the existing wrestlers drop between now and the end of January. With the Alliance thing I haven't been dropped, the crew brought in from ECW and WCW, with the exception of Rob Van Dam and Stacey Keeler, were all temporarily written out of the TV show. You know, those from the Alliance who are remaining on TV, Tess, Taz, Christian, Austin, Angle, and Dudley's were assistant to their performers sent to the other side, as opposed to wrestlers acquired when WCW and ECW folded. I mean, the wrestlers are nervous about their futures, some of whom probably shouldn't be, and others probably should. It's hard to believe that the addition of Flair will be used to come up with a storyline to bring me and the wrestlers back, but it's also a larger figure not all will be brought back. It's pretty clear that many, that most of the last wrestlers were given little no serious chance from the start. Most were buried hard within two weeks. With such a Booker T, at this point, virtually none would be missed if they were dropped. At the same time, with two tours constantly running and the injury rate, the company probably needs at least 70 75 wrestlers on the active roster. If you make yourself a depth chart, they can't get to that number to fill two shows, particularly two separate main event television show rosters, without retaining most of the wrestlers that have been buried and probably even adding a few newcomers. The rest of the category being written out with the alliance being dropped were told this week they'd be brought back to TV in a few weeks. None worked. Even dark matches on the shows this week and anything to do with the shows. With two crews on the road, most are still put for house shows this coming week. There's a television explanation going to be given for the wrestlers from the organization that doesn't exist and simply fire appearing at house shows. There's talk on Tuesday of making a statement that wrestlers would have to fulfill previous commitments to make sense out of the situation, but the decisions made instead to totally ignore that fact and just not acknowledge it on television. And now we get to the XFL. When asked if the XFL has something to do with declining ratings on September 11th, Linda downplayed both. And again, blamed on the invasion angle not working out and all original plans being retold. She used a football analogy for dropping on the angle completely this past week, saying the company had to back up and punt. She did blame the injuries to lean talent like Triple H and The Rock doing movies for some decline, although The Rock was bad during the entire quarter in question. There are always going to be key wrestlers injured. She did expect strong increases in licensing and that toys and video game sales would be way up during the Christmas season. She noted that on uh, March 15, 2001, the Friday Before Mania, UPN would air a March 15, 2002, Dave, the Friday Before Mania, UPN would air a one-hour primetime special of the Divas based on the annual Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Issue TV special that coincide with the release of a magazine of bikini shots of the women currently being shot in the Bahamas. When asked if was planning on operating, opening a WF amusement park, she said the company had no interest in doing such thing. I was interested in developing WF theme rides for amusement parks. Would the Undertaker's been the last ride? Who knows? When asked about SmackDown well, the only one that ever happens is the Niagara Falls one. Mm-hmm. When asked about the SmackDown Records uh, recording label, she said that basically it was a slow-growth company, knowing that they would be a, a, doing rock and roll compilation release on February 26th, a April 9th release from the band Neurotica, that they had signed, which would be the first record release from a WFE from an actual band. They have a Tough Enough 2 soundtrack. I said they were considering also marketing Lillian Garcia and her band for a CD later in the year. She said the company is currently interviewing for an executive position to be based in Southern California to look at movie and TV scripts that the company may want to get involved in. Hilarious. The company is not projected $395 million to $415 million in total revenue for the 2001-2002 fiscal year, down from $456 the previous year. Three months ago, I projected $500 million in revenue for the year. They're projecting again the new figure, estimating about $90 million over the next quarter, which would be soft, and $123 million in the February through April quarter, which includes both mania and retail merchandise, toys, video game payouts for the Christmas season. They're projecting TV ad sales and TV rights fees are basically unchanged over the next six months. They're projecting 7,500 paid attendance per show in the next quarter, down from the projection of 10,000 three months ago. 
The company dropped below 7,000 for the first time in years last month. They're projecting 78.60 per show, which will largely be the same figure, but voting 70 shows for the quarter and 6,000 plus expected in Mania in, in the projection. They're projecting an average of 400,000 buys per pay review, even with the rate TV out of the picture, meaning an average of a 1.05 buy rate per show. A figure that, with the exception of the invasion and SummerSlam, they haven't hit since Mania. However, this quarter does include Survivor Series, which, due to the late hype, almost surely beat out the low levels the previous two shows did by a significant degree. And Royal Rumble, by tradition, I'm the number two and number three show of the year. They are far more ambitious for the Mania quarter, predicting 1.8 million total buys, which would mean that if Mania were to equal last year's 900,000 buys, which at this point we had to be considered optimistic since you're on Direct TV being involved, and it'd be surprised to see wrestling in March as strong as it was last year, and a main event with as much marquee value as Rock versus Austin had last year, they'd have to also average a 1.18 buy rate for February and April shows. In other words, if you're getting those shows, your figures will have SummerSlam. Based on current business conditions, and it appears baby projections are still very optimistic. As we noted in the last projections, correct correctly, all projections all, all that time were. Unless business heats up significantly and consistently, those baby numbers won't be reached. The live opinion is possible it's impossible to reach. Yeah, it is possible to reach, excuse me. But Day still tabs those figures increases from the current levels as optimistic because good crowds of late have been largely B shows and novelty markets that a company has a running years. Once they've run those markets, odds are the second time when the movie shows won't draw as well, and there are no signs yet of regular market strengthening. Of course, everything in this industry in reality starts and finishes with the quality of television, creating new stars and fresh angles, storylines, and programs. And real quick, the company is now projecting a total, from a total of cutting 39 employees as well as the departure of Stuart Schneider, the former company president, as well as other cost-cutting from office measures that they will total about $12 million in savings now over the next year. $14 million in savings for the company spending $2 million over the next year in severance packages for the departed employees. While Schneider had a huge salary for more than a million in a year, most of the employees cut were earning fifty to 55000 per year range, so most of the revenue saved is from non-salary expenses associated with those jobs such as travel. All right, Bix, what do you got? I don't know. I mean, where do you want me to start? <laughs> well, just whatever. Whatever, catch, whatever tickles your fancy. Um, hmm... XFL having to do with the decline in the WWF ratings. Um, I think it hurt the brand overall. I don't know if it would have led to the ratings decline at all. Do you? No. Yeah, I don't Not at all. think so either. Um, they are. This is the first time in a long time where the creative has just been aggressively bad, and that's the big problem. Yeah, when it shouldn't be. That's the thing. That's that. That should be the most frustrating thing of all is this happening during the invasion angle where they should be just doing big business, you know. Mm-hmm. But what? Uh, what else? Um, I, I tried to pull up to see what other coverage there was. So there's this from Fairfield County Business Journal, which I think is interesting. So I'm gonna just reading a small portion of this. Uh, so it says, the promotion scored in July with its Invasion pay-per-view, one of WWFE's 10 most popular ever, with 681,000 viewers, they mean homes, 75% above what events in April and May drew. TV ratings for the following month spiked up by 18%. However, successes like Invasion have been overshadowed this year by mistakes made in the quote-unquote booking or creation of character storylines and matches. According to comments made publicly by industry observers and fan websites, these problems include... The sacrificing of wrestling matches to lengthy soap opera style dialogues between characters. Too frequent title changes, 
too frequent, excuse me, too constant flipping of characters between good guy, quote-unquote, face, and bad guy, quote-unquote, heel roles. Quote, they dug themselves into a hole, but it's not impossible for them to get out of it by any means, said Dave Meltzer, publisher of the Wrestling Observer Newsletter, a Campbell, California weekly publication that back, excuse me, that tracks the industry. And, you know, also mentioning that it's not too late because WrestleMania ticket sales have been so strong and on, are on course to set a new record, at least how they're putting it, with more than 50,000 sold. But I feel like that sums it up for the most part, and the having the doubled belts uh, didn't help with the two frequent title changes. Yeah, I mean, it's just... All this points to the fact that they botched the creative for the invasion. That's the biggest, the biggest issue of all yes. of this. And as we've alluded to before, obviously the buck stops with Vince, and he should have known better. The person who pushed it in this direction was almost surely Kevin Dunn. Uh, absolutely. Because Vince, absolutely, explicitly told Meltzer right after he bought WCW, I know that I have to. Give WCW Raw to make it stronger because it's the weaker brand and blah, blah, blah. And I have to learn from everything that Crockett messed up when he bought out Watts, etc., etc. Dave has stressed this. No, that's what I'm saying. Vince knew what he had to do. And that's been a problem for for all these years. Vince, Vince knows better. Kevin Dunn has so much sway and knows how to sweet talk Vince and change his mind. You know, mm-hmm. that's how everything has been affected of these years. You know? Yep. Absolutely. And, you know, we always thought, we always thought that once Triple H, you know, got in charge, when Triple H definitely got in charge, that Kevin Dunn be gone, we have to worry about that no more, and all that. Well, <laughs> now... That was Nick before Khan. Nick Khan. Yeah. Yeah, Nick Khan's in charge, and yeah, Triple H is now the guy that nobody talks about, and he's you know persona non grata in a lot of ways. So it's Kevin Dunn, man. He he knows how to to to, to grease that wheel, man. And he's he's a lifer, and he he's 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 done a he's done a lot of damage. He's done a lot of good things. He's done a lot of damage to the rest of Pithis over the last twenty plus years. Yes, if only uh, his dad hadn't saved those videotapes from the burning car. <laughs> yeah. No, seriously. How different is wrestling if Dennis Dunn doesn't do that, and Senior doesn't make Vince promise to take care of the Dunns forever? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yep. I mean, it's one of those deals. It's like, you know, all the other guys that Vince had to take care of, well, you know, they're all dead now, but Kevin Dunn's still living. Because also remember, too, like, Dennis Dunn didn't work for Vince Sr. He worked for uh, whatever Video One was called before it was called Video One. Intermedia Productions? Yes, thank you. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. And, but because he had the car accident or whatever it was where the car caught fire while he was hauling the tapes back from a TV taping because he saved the three weeks worth of TV three weeks worth of TV from the burning car earned him a job as long as he needed it and his son eventually too yeah I'd love to know the last time he did technical producing though 
Like, when did Kevin Dunn stop, like, working in editing and stuff? Oh, God. Probably I'm sure it's a long 90s. time ago, but... Probably the 90s. Yeah. Probably, yeah. Once he becomes an executive, I would think. Yeah. All right, anything else before we move on? Um, One other quick thing I'll add from this uh, Fairfield County article. So it, it closes with this. Um, According to Meltzer, WWFE saw its average attendance plunged nearly 40% in October over the same month a year ago to 6,600. Average gate during that time dropped 44% to 192,600. Quote, they need to restructure how they do television, Meltzer said. The audience needs characters that they can invest in emotionally without feeling slapped in the face by changes that don't make any sense. <laughs> You ever notice sometimes some yeah. of his best takes are when he's being quoted in, like, trade articles? Yeah, but, yeah, so there we are. Interesting. Yeah, Go this is one where the Dave thing's so comprehensive, there's really not that much you can add. No. All right, well, let's go to the house shows. Oh, boy. And there's a, yeah interesting interesting one here to talk about. Uh, this November 23rd in Daytona B Street, 32.97, paint 87.985. Daytona Beach and other B-shows were headlined by Edge versus Christian for the IC title. The original main event was Christian versus Chris Jericho, but Jericho turned heel officially during the week and ended up being injured. Jericho attended the shows but was walking with a cane. He gave speech for the first match explaining his not wrestling. He ended up trying to interfere in the main event, but Edge got the cane and hit Christian with him for the pin. Dundas Page was scheduled against Edge, but that was switched to Page and Hugh Morris losing a handicap match to Big Show. Adam Windsor, his Dory Funk Jr.'s protege, Jane O'Connell, Florida promotion debut on this show, winning over Marcus Dillon, another funk student. Dory was in Windsor's corner. No real reaction to Dory in Daytona, but a better reaction in Lakeland, so that's because Ocala where he's from. Dory not getting a reaction to be a surprise considering this is a new group of fans in a business that also ignores history. Crowd reaction to the matches weren't good from all reports. Fans also aren't accepting in many cities of the OVW guys, so it's a partial reaction to seeing people they don't know from television. This is Dory's first appearance on Dario's show with the exception of the 96 Royal Rumble appearance in about 15 years. You know, he was out at one time the company's developmental coach for the days of developmental territories. He did work as a manager on indie shows for Bayface Kurt Angle and Angle's first pro matches in developmental. The two were booked for the Florida weekend that requested Dory. Hurricane was putting up a crash Holly in the opener, which is a comedy match with Holly imitating Hulk Hogan, including Hulkin up and doing the high kick and leg drop combination. Bali had a fear... Newton Tori Wilson made the save, so that Crash is relevant to the distraction. Crash kissed Molly at the house show, so apparently they forgot forgotten they were cousins, so it's not that we're using the Holly name anymore, or doing house show incestuous type angles. <laughs> I don't know which it is. That's the main reason why I put this stuff in here was for that and Adam Windsor. That's the reason why this show made it to the notes. Well, yes, we got the royal stud from Royal Blood, and we've got that again. Uh, did John Stossel book this? <laughs> He's vocally oh. pro cousin marriage. <laughs> what? The, what the if you hell? Ain't gonna be if you ain't good enough for your fan, but who are you good for us? That's what they say. Hey, 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 hey. What do you think Vince's Pornhub search history looks like? <laughs> oh, um, I'm sure Vince is definitely uh, mommy's girl. Uh, 
Or at least KD is for sure. Definitely have an account from from Mommy's Girl. Oh boy. All right. Uh, uh, so, do you th- now? So do you think he makes a point of putting step before every search? <laughs> well, not a lot of them have step in the description anyway. Well, so they. Speaking Helpful reminder, though, by the way, that there are people who have worked in WWE who genuinely believe that Kevin Dunn's production and style inspiration is porn. We shouldn't know that. Wait, well, he watches a lot of it. Uh, and that's and that is a shoot. Um, so speaking of Vince from the tours, there's a lot of talk that Vince McMahon plans to overhaul the way Jim Ross books house shows. Ross earned himself some heat with a writing step by booking developmental worker Rico Constantino for house shows. The writers are unhappy because they have told Ross repeatedly they feel Rico is too old to invest in. Rico, though, lost a loser's town match last week in Ohio Valley, so it appears a like full-time day of runs in his future. So if you wonder why Rico got the positions he got in the main roster, that's why. Also, the more things change. And it's Kevin Dunn. Old, old, people that are old, considered old and or foreign, good luck. Now, Rico was a very unique case in general, though. Yeah, but still. Because, okay, let me refresh my memory on his age. Okay, so at this point, he had just turned 38. And he's been wrestling for what about a year? He was wrestling in two thousand, I think. So it's, it's, it's oh no, I'm sorry. I was thinking the year wrong. No, it's about three, two, three years. Yeah. Yeah. So he he was. I mean, he's fantastic in OVW though. And when he got a chance to show it on the main roster, his work was really good. Um, and he didn't look his age. That's a thing, you know. Yeah. You know. It, if they don't look their age and they can do their thing, you know, what what's the issue? Especially for someone like him who didn't have a lot of mileage on his body. Don't matter. Unless unless you have the right connection, don't matter. Yeah. Or a look. All right, Ross Report. Jericho suffered a deep heel bruise as match with Kane on, this, on November 19th. So that explains why the match wasn't good. Well, there you go, Vic. In the post-match with Jericho seemingly unable to do a boss to crack correctly happened. He was in a lot of pain and able to put any weight on one foot. He did work SmackDown the next night for a limited capacity, but was taking off weekend house shows because the port he's healthy for the Stibber Dype show. Boy, I imagine if he would have got fucked up. <laughs> How that would have changed all their plans. <laughs> Mike Austin be undergoing reconstructive surgery in early mid-December and be out of action until probably next summer. Regal be having a CAT scan to determine the problems with his nose. Rikishi starts this week in HWA, and there are no plans to bring him back until at least till January. Sean Stacey has repeated problems with fluid on the knee will be addressed by the removal of the bursa sac in surgery. Not a major surgery, but he'll likely be out for a few weeks after the surgery. Xbox surgeon said he had no new damage to his neck and needs therapy before he returns to action. Well, there okay, you go, Ben. So that's. So. Jesus Christ. Even when he's in the company, you're scripting the lines where you're basically calling him an unreliable drug addict when he's just injured? Oh, yeah. Boy, they do not get enough credit for being shitty to him. They really don't. No. Regarding Triple H, Ross said due to the advice of Dr. James Andrews, dun, 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 his return to the ring may be held back until January, which it was. There's a chance he would appear on the December 9th interview, doubtfully in a match, more likely an angle, since the advertisement was built around him. Raven Draper to Jerry 
We work via WA Puerto Rico for the weekend of December 14th. They'll be running house shows on Super Bowl Sunday in Seattle and Reno. Tradition, the company would run Super Sunday in Philadelphia and usually drew well. With early start times, noon, noon Pacific, to make sure fans have plenty of time to get back home for the kickoff. Kidman was pulled from this past weekend's house shows to attend the wedding. John Cena, a.k.a. Prototype, is probably being brought to TV for the art match starting in January and singling him out as a prospect, which means his status appears to be safe. Oh, Dave had bet on that one strongly. I uh, said that worked out. Shomo Sullivan will continue to train at OVW and work their TV as well as work as an interview on, on SmackDown. Triple H will appear on Mad TV there as on December 8th and TV show The Other Half, which airs on November 29th. Hardy's Lita, Jackie, ha- uh, Holly, Tess. They'll be taping an episode of The Fear Factor from December 12th to the 14th. No air dates finalized. I forget. So is Charmel with Booker yet or did they get together while in WWE? I think I think they got together while in Indonesia. Okay. I think. One of those unavoidable truths, ever since they did drug tests and developmental talent several weeks back, so, suddenly some of the OVW guys have been on several pounds and got more ripped. What? Shocking. Is he saying they punished the guys who didn't work test positive for steroids? No. No. Oh, they got off they- to pass the drug test. Okay. Yes. Yes. Um... Speaking, well, speaking. Well, also, when was the, let me look. When is the, when was the Lesnar arrest that people didn't find out about till later? Well, speaking of the developmental and steroids, Dave caught the November 17th HWA show. Some very strange stuff. Maybe it's a setting, but it seemed the former WCW guys have lost all whatever charisma they may have had. And the cheesiest thing Dave's seen in a long time, and the recent WF and CMLL stuff, that covers some ground. They had this guy in a tiger mask outfit. Portrayed as the head of the Japanese booking office, oh, no. and a former former legendary wrestler using the name Tiger Hung Low, and speaking with a Spanish accent, telling the young dragons that while they're great wrestlers in the U.S., it's all about entertainment and they aren't colorful enough, and gave them new gimmicks to get over. Basically, gave them overalls and, and a hasty version of cowboy hats and taught them to square dance. <laughs> hey, Jamie Nova and Jimmy Wang Yang. <laughs> it obviously no, it's, affected it's, their uh, No, it's. Kazayashi and, J- and Jimmy Yang. Well, Jimmy Wang Yang come out of this, huh? It obviously affected wrestling because their battle with the Jablonskis had totally fallen apart by the end. And then in his last TV appearance, Brian Adams wrestled a guy named Medic Number 8. He looked to be all about 140 pounds. Adams actually tried to sell for him early. You can imagine how awful he looked when he tried, about as bad as when he doesn't. He went quickly and did, did a Yo Adrian out of the first Rocky movie like he w- just wanted to title or something. The only saving grace of this was Cornette's commentary when he said that after that line that even Stallone had his flops like Cobra, and Cornette even joked that people were turned off the sets during the match. Either Skipper and Kid Romeo, who had some great matches in Dying Days WCW, showed zero charisma in having a so-so bout with Val Venus and Steve Blackman. They forgot how bad Blackman was when it came to doing a technical wrestling match. Last of the interview, you know, that he got his name from an old-time cowboy character from TV. Queewee, still using that name, but no longer doing the gimmick without the hairspray look. Now with an enhanced physique, looks like a cross between 1980 version of Hulk Hogan, hair, tan, and physique, and Kevin Sullivan, physique and height. Funkster brother. Eddie, yep. Eddie Guerrero worked a match, but it was never in. David Taylor, who was working as a coach there, was, was like, oh, because the company wanted him to move to Cincinnati, and so they went to fly him in every week. He refused because his wife has a job in the Atlanta area. Alright, now he's been moving TV as a character. Paul Heyman's actually taking on a stronger role backstage at the tapings. Because putting together angles and interviews. There's a lot of talk bringing him back in as a heel manager, but probably not right away. 
Regal interview. This is from Figure Four. Regal interview on November twenty fourth. Com. So he thought the ass kissing spot came off great, and he was actually one of the people that suggested it. He said he, gave, he said it gave his character something to be angry and aggressive about. No, it's a TV moment that fans probably never forget. Take that for what you will, but keep in mind, guys, that have learned a lesson from the recently the departure of McFoley. Eh? He suggested it. Yeah. One of them. So there's that. Uh-huh. More on Triple H. He's been training regularly in the ring. They sent to Birmingham, running the roads and the like. He said he'd be close to ready. Dr. Andrews hasn't released him, and I believe he won't be released until after December 9th. The way the preview set up, they already have three strong main events, so bringing him back in a match four from the top, particularly if he's not ready and cleared, serves nobody's purpose except all that promo work that was built around him when the feeling wants to be ready to return to show. Well, probably not fully decided because all the promotion built around him, Dave's especially have him involved shooting an angle in the show, so the six-week break in pay-per-views until the Rumble, and he's expected to be ready by then. Yeah, they shipped their WWF ring to some facility in Birmingham so he could get his timing back once he was physically able to bump around. Yeah. Back to Figure 4 Weekly. Not a lot for Figure 4 in this section. McFoley and WWF have agreed to part ways for the foreseeable future. Foley has been disgruntled for quite a while, which will be apparent to anyone who has heard him on recent radio interviews. For a long time, Mitt was one of those guys who was able to slip through the cracks, bearing the company by not being punished for it in any way. Brian guess Vince finally had her enough. Foley showed up for TV two weeks ago in Long Island. His hometown was told he could leave because they didn't have anything for him to do. Obviously, this upset him. He had a long talk with Vince, and the two agreed it was time to move on. Foley was allowed to come back for Raw last week, say it's goodbye in the commissioner speech, and also get a chance to say everything he'd been saying on the radio under the guys doing a wrestling angle. Strange thing is that they're green to split. Vince and Foley are on better terms now than they were before. They've been problems for some time between Foley and the writing crew. So they're from a part of an incident over the summer where they want him to return to wrestling for a few with William Regal, and he nixed it. Brian believes Smith's going to attempt to get his own book deal and become an offer full-time. We've pretty much been full-time for a while now. It'd be a true test of his popularity as a mainstream author. But WS promotional machine behind him is he's doubtful he'll write the number one bestseller. The seminal Monday where he's written off the show was pre-taped. And we know how this falls. And we talked about Foley earlier. Mm-hmm. With Al Snow working out California for tough enough, he's been replaced by Taz on Heat as Cole's co-host. Taz officially, after all the games over with, the weekly excuses to get him off the air, been taken off as SmackDown commentator were long on the spot temporarily until the split takes place. Well, he's brought back. And he's been Cole doing SmackDown. All right. The, still figure four. The latest on Scott Hall and Kevin Nash is that as of this point, they're no longer negotiating. That mean, doesn't mean they will start negotiating again in January once Nash's contract's up. The big holdup is that even the biggest WS stars are working 15 days a month, and Nash doesn't want to work more than 12. Right now, both sides are being very stubborn, and the WF doesn't want to start making exceptions for him before he's even started. When WCW first went under and WF said they had no interest in Nash, we knew he ended up getting the last laugh. He sat at home, cutting his millions, and knowing by the time his contract expired, WF's products would be stale, and they'd be dying for some new stars. It actually happened faster than we expected. His plan now is to lay low until January because he figures the ratings will be down to another 3.2 at that point, and they'll buckle to all his demands. Sad thing is, he might be right. <laughs> that Kevin Nash, folks. He, he is a legend. We need to eventually do the smartest man in wrestling tournaments with him, Paul, Hogan, and Jeff. Paul Levesque, that is. And the um, thing was, the Raw was not at the 3.2 in January. What did it get down? It was 
I mean, it was an it was hovering between four point four and uh, four point seven, four point nine ish. Okay. So, yeah. So he was wrong in that regard. Uh, Torch. I get this. Paul Heyman said to be high on the developmental wrestler Ron H. Two Waterman. Waterman's a former mixed martial artist who is competing in USA. Paul Heyman, you say? Torch. Said to be. Said to be. Huh. Yeah. Um. And by the way, for the record, Nash's deal is up on New Year's Eve. There you go. Uh, the writers are. This is Torch again. The writers are planning to repackage Lance Storm and give him a push at some point. What if we gave you a huge dick? <laughs> that's later on. That's uh, 2003. Jeez, so I know. Yeah. Uh, Un Americans is before all that. So there's that. Uh, Sunday officials blame Dunn. Producer Kevin Dunn for the invasion. Angle <laughs> the story goes that several people won the Angle Steam to be sports entertainment versus wrestling. But Doug convinced that man that WCW's crew should be also pre- be presented as sports entertainers. Well, there you go. The subtext becomes text. And, yeah, that, and that's just part of it. So there you go. Uh, figure four, WF killed WCW.com literally hours after the pay-per-view ended on Sunday night. Now when you go there, WF logo crashes down onto the screen and you immediately redirect it to WF.com. <laughs> Bash of the Torch. Currently, and things seem to change weekly, WF is not planning to use separate writing crews once it splits the company. Well, that changes. Uh, still a Torch. Several top WCW officials have advised Vince McMahon against the idea of holding a draft to split the roster, but McMahon continues to lean in that direction. And Vince was right in his thinking. And Wait, the draft, well, the draft itself was not a bad idea. No, it was a great idea. Great, it's that tra- they great botched idea. the execution very quickly. Well, shocking. And uh, to close, finally, multiple sources report Triple H is frustrated no longer enjoys attending booking meetings. He has been frustrated with direction WF in recent months and doesn't believe Vince is open to suggestions for change. The more things change, the more they stay the same. Hunter, 20 years ago. Let me introduce you to Wade Keller. <laughs> wow. So... I, I thought that was a perfect closer right there, uh-huh. considering all that's, go- all that's going on twenty years later. Yeah, pretty much. Um, and keep in mind, he's been attending booking meetings for five years or four years, excuse me. Yeah, absolutely. So he's not married to Stephanie yet, but still, he—I mean—they're together. They're an time, official so. couple by this time. Yes. Yes, deep, deeply couple. So. Well, that's it for the first half of the show. <laughs> Good lord! Yes, we had two WF. Hey, we had two WF sections, uh, so we made two sections and out it of it. So it is it's now more than half of the notes. It's twenty, uh, almost just yeah. It's pretty much twenty-four full pages out of forty-one. Yeah, so it's halftime. So as some great two thousand one commercials, we'll pivot to the halftime segment when we'll uh, possibly have a halftime segment. I guess we'll have one. I don't Probably. think the rest of the show. Be, yeah, rest of the show is going to be extremely long. So uh, we'll have a uh, talk about Patreon, which we'll have recorded uh, some of the Patreon by the time that uh, we'll talk about this, I think, maybe. Who knows? Oh. Uh, there's that. So we'll have that. We'll hit the plugs, everything else. And then we'll come back and go international, where we'll have news on uh, Japan, all the major groups and all the stuff going on there. 
including Tetsuya Fujinami and, and Kesuji Nakashima going to Los Angeles for a meeting. Always good. Uh, Vader losing weight, all kinds of other stuff. And a big FMW pay-per-view. And Sakamichinoku injury news and so much more after the break. The all-new Kia Spectra. Drive one and at some moment, it'll hit you. The moment you realize you can actually afford a car available with air conditioning and power windows. Plus, Kia's 10-year, 100,000-mile warranty. We don't know where or when, but it will hit you. Introducing the 2002 Kia Spectra. Finally, a car you can really get into. This Thanksgiving holiday, there's only one place where every family ought to be. And that's Toys R Us. Mm. Mm-hmm. Because Friday morning from 6 to 11, you'll save big. With over 75% off Monopoly Pokemon, Harry Potter Mystery Game, or Cootie Jitterbug. Big savings at Toys R Us. Turkey? No, thanks. No, Leaf Eater. Leaf Eater. This is Friends on America's Most Watched Network, NBC. Next, drum roll, please. Celebrate the holiday with another episode of Friends. Then it's an only one-hour Thanksgiving Meet the Parents on Will and Grace with Debbie Reynolds, Bo Bridges, and Blythe Danner. Will, I'm a scare. You should be. Friends and an all-new hour of Will and Grace next. Get ready. A two-day sale that's so neat. la 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 All the stuff you want for cheap. la 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 Awesome deals you've got to see. Okay, make that dog stop staring at me. It's weird. Okay, I need some me time, puppy. Who's a good boy? Thanksgiving, every furniture store has their big ad for their big sale. Well, American for your home shops those other stores for you, so you get our great prices and everyone else's Thanksgiving sale prices, too. Plus, there's zero interest financing for two full years on bedrooms, dining, and living rooms, recliners, two-for-one low price, free desk chairs with home office furniture, and Friday morning from 7 to 11, American is giving away a $25 gift card free with purchases over $100. Don't miss American's two-day Thanksgiving sale, Friday and Saturday. Iowans impacted by ground zero, touched by terrorism, etc. All right, we're back. And hope you enjoy those great 2001 commercials as we finish at a halftime seven of the show. We begin talking about Patreon, patreon.com slash between the sheets. And yes, we have recorded the latest Patreon show um, that will be dropping very soon. And uh, we are doing part one of two. Uh, it I think it's pretty, definitely going to be two, not more than two. Uh, but our look at John Collins and Main Event Championship Wrestling. And we will be joined by the King of Kingsport, Bo James, who 
had a lot going on with that, as he will get into on this show, as he worked for John Collins, technically, and uh, one of the few people that actually got paid. So there's that too. But uh, so we'll, we'll have a lot to talk about on this show, and uh, yeah, part one, part one is just the tip of the iceberg and the insanity of uh, John Collins as we d- delve into the beginnings of the of the promotion and we'll we'll end it after they run their first show in Philadelphia at the ECW arena and talk about all the stuff that went on there which a lot of stuff happened uh in the ring and out of the ring on that show but we'll have a lot of John Collins quotes he did a lot of media in this area and this Bose just wouldn't shut up and every time he talked, he said more and more stupid shit. I mean, he he was one of a kind. And when it comes to stuff like this, uh, he's very Herb Abrams like, but probably on a different level. So we'll have stuff on that. We'll talk about the people that were involved in MECW, the people that uh, were talking about being involved, that weren't involved. Uh, we'll have uh, various websites and and wrestling radio shows kissing his ass because uh, they're marks. We have uh, all, <laughs> all kinds of stuff. All kinds of stuff on this show. This is one of those shows that you got to listen to because this is just setting the table for part two. So you definitely want to get in on the ground floor with this one. So those of you patrons that are already with us, then you know, you're good to go, but make sure that you, you get the word out to people that might uh, be friends that might not have uh, the access to our Patreon. Tell them, say, listen, you need to put down that $5 to listen to that show and keep and put another $5 down in December to listen to part two when it comes out. And you don't, don't want to miss it. This is a great year in closer for a hell of a year for our Patreon. Patreon.com slash Trinity Sheets. And yes, for that $5, you can listen to everything that we have done in the over five years of our Patreon now. We're at show 62. So we're uh, in year six. So plenty, plenty of audio there for your $5. So get on it. Dollar Month gives you access to the Slack chat, no, excuse me, Discord. And thanks in this segment. $25 uh, gets you access to the Picker Show for the week, as we have uh, this week. Well, William Lanham picked the uh, show we're doing here, 2001. So, uh, yeah, $25 allows you, you to have that uh, luxury. Now, uh, make sure you get the information to Bix, uh, the show that you want to do, the week. Make sure you have a backup choice handy, just in case we have an issue Possibly a show that we've already done. Possibly a week somebody else has already picked. So make sure you have at least two shows in mind. And if there are any issues with how that handles, then we'll uh, you know we'll make it right. So yeah, do all that. Follow the Patreon website rules on how to do that. Of course, you know uh, get this information in before 30 days. Uh, Ten-year rules in effect. Wednesday to Tuesday. All that good stuff. So uh, you do all that, and you should be good to go. Fifty dollars as you send in for a segment of the show, and hundred for the whole show. That's if you want to. You don't have to. At Patreon.com/slash Between the Sheets. All right, Vix. Who does this? Because our new and/or returning patrons. 
All right. We got a few this week. We would like to thank Earl Alfred III. Earl? Yes. Thanks, Earl. David Strauger. Thanks, David. Greg Briggs. Greg. A lot of G's. It really pops. Greg <laughs> Briggs. It's, it's <laughs> I don't know why it's reminding me of this. Like on Saved by the Bell in the Beach Club episodes where Stacy's boyfriend shows up and his name is Craig Strand. Yeah. And it just pops. Anyway, thank you, Greg. And our dear friend, Joseph Blair. Thanks, Joe. And he's got a show coming up. He uh, requested. Yes. Uh, which one was that? Let's see. A 90. That was... Yes, week of the uh, December 15th, the 21st, 1990. And he'll be joining us for that, too. Yes, so we'll have uh, we'll have that coming up in the month of December, so look forward to that. All right, we thank all you new patrons, old patrons, returning patrons, and everybody that's come along the way to support us on patreon.com slash between the sheets. All right, Bix, IWTV, and uh, we got a lot of live wrestling coming up uh, this well, weekend. That's all. That will be archived. Yes, by the time this show goes up. So yes, uh, latest Beyond Wrestling Uncharted Territory, ICW No Holds Barred, The Pit, Six, uh, Freelance has a show. Um, got the latest Stan Styles Intergender Bonanza, uh, the ICW No Holds Barred show at the uh, TWE Arena in beautiful Chattanooga, Tennessee. Well. Wait, are they in Chattanooga? Are they technically in Red Bank or whatever? Red, Red Bank. Yes, Red Bank, Tennessee, in the Chattanooga area. Uh, and there's also a Bloodstorm Pro show. This That would have happened this past weekend. So all all that, or most of that, should be up by the time you hear this is go up. And then as far as stuff that's on demand, um, let's see what it seems like. They've changed how they've been putting up some of this stuff because it's a little. I feel like it's been a little different to navigate. Because I, th- it, I maybe I'm reading this wrong, but it seems like now some of the featured stuff is not always mentioned in the just added. So, if you're having trouble finding anything, that might be why. But I guess the big thing to mention is we talked about it before it happened, but they had the big West Coast Pro versus the World show from West Coast Pro Wrestling featuring. Uh, Friend of the show, Vinny Massaro, getting to have a match with Tomohiro Ishii. And he had a hell of a match with him. And it's well worth checking out if you haven't seen it. Go ahead. So that's good to hear. Yes. And, uh, you know, like we said, when it was coming up, very loaded show, you know, with also uh, Jeff Cobb versus Chris Dickinson and uh, AJ Gray versus Black Taurus as the other top matches. And I, we should also send out get well wishes to Chris Dickinson. Stemming Did from you get hurt on that show? No, it was on the uh, New Japan Strong show. Oh, okay. It was some kind of like bad... Oh, you didn't hear about this? Yeah, some kind of like bad... Petty injury. Like hip dislocation or something. No, it was something worse than that, but it was... It's going to put him on the shelf for a bit. So, uh... Yeah, it sucks for him, man, because he was... He was really starting to, you know, do really good with New Japan, uh, a little strong, New Japan strong deal, and, uh, of course, all of his high-profile indie appearances, and he was working uh, uh, the Atlanta group, the Chantry Restaurant Atlanta group. He was doing stuff for them, and, uh, yeah, it sucks. It sucks when somebody gets hurt like that. 
Yeah, and there I know there's a GoFundMe for him that I think it was Brody King set up. And also uh on IWTV's uh what is it? I think it's shopiwtv.com, right? Let me double check. H-O-P, shop. Yeah, shopiwtv.com also has a uh new Chris Dickinson hardbody karate t-shirt where instead of doing whatever the usual split is with the promotion they and beyond wrestling are giving all the profit on each shirt, which they said is about $15 to Chris. All is recuperating. So everyone check that out too. But uh, he had a hell of a match here too as well. And uh, God, why are so many guys getting injured lately? And it's on freak things too. Yeah, that's right. That's the business. I guess so. Yeah. So, I mean, that shows up. That's probably the most notable thing that's gone up recently. And there's also a new C4 show featuring Speedball Mike Bailey defending against Kevin Blackwood. So that's fairly notable as well. So check that out. And uh, I guess that's about it for now. So, yes, if you have not subscribed to IWTV yet, please use code BTSPOD when you do so. And we will get a referral for each month that you say that stay a paid subscriber so again check that out independentwrestling.tv code btspod and as always with everything we mentioned at halftime all this is also outlined in the uh, show notes show description whatever what about the damn Akabe thing oh almost forgot that wasn't so that wasn't as new we had just forgotten to mention it uh i haven't checked it out yet but in their the life of series where they give a wrestler a camera to do kind of a video diary and then uh John Philip Havage and among others cut it up into a little documentary that is up as well as well as I believe some de- deleted scene segments so check that out and uh, yeah I'm looking forward to checking that one out actually I just haven't found the time to watch it yet Dan's an interesting guy he's got a lot going on so uh, outside of wrestling too so it's interesting to to see uh his life and in and, uh, and how that's uh, been portrayed. I think a lot, some of that was recorded while he was in Chattanooga yes. working for TWE. I think it was SCI Weekend. Oh, SCI Weekend too. Okay, well there you go. Yes, and I see right now there is a uh, uncut, I guess, extended scene they put up of him going through his record collection. Of course. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm, that probably took a while. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, sounds about right. So, yeah, everybody go check that out at IWTV. All right, uh, I guess now is as good as time any morning, but this week especially. Viper VPN picks, and I think a lot of people probably would have done real well uh, over the weekend with Viper VPN if they were trying to watch the AEW pay-per-view on Bleacher Report. So talk about that. Yeah, they have not done a good job getting their service really working. And apparently this time it was a deal where they, it was available, Fight was only live internationally, but then once the replay was up the next day, it also became available on Fight domestically, which was strange, but who knows exactly what's going on there. That said, yeah, it seems like just about everyone who was using Bleacher Report, unless they just decided to use the browser, had all sorts of issues and the replay wasn't up for over a day and stuff, and well, there's a way you can avoid that, which is by using a VPN with Fight and showing you're in a country that can order AEW pay-per-views on Fight, like the UK. 
And uh, as I've said before, they have certain safeguards they've tried to put in place at the payment processing stage. The way around that is to turn on the VPN on your phone and buy the pay-per-view there because they're not using their own payment processing on your phone. They're using Apple or Apple's or Google's. So there may be another benefit to that part that you may or may not notice. But yes, if you want to do that or get uh, AEW Plus and see the commercial free shows and have the full archive, you can use a VPN like Viper VPN, which, of course, on top of various security features that helps encrypt your traffic, also lets you show your connections coming from all sorts of different countries. You can use it for AEW Plus, WWE Network, to toggle the different Netflixes, all sorts of stuff like that. So if you want to check that out, they have a great price, 60 bucks for three years, less than $1.67 a month. And you get it by going to tinyurl.com slash btsvpn. Again, that's tinyurl.com slash btsvpn. And I should check to see, too, if they are doing a Black Friday promotion, because I had missed the email that they did one tied to uh, Prime Day, of all things, a few months ago. A special, even you know, bigger discount. So people may want to keep an eye out. Uh, on the next few weeks to see if they had any new promotions that we can tell you about. All right. Well, there you go. Well, it's less than the next two weeks. What am I talking about? Thanksgiving's early this year. Thanksgiving, as we record this, is a week from today. Yes, so actually. There... Yes. T- keep an eye out later in the week and on next week's show and on our Twitter accounts to see if uh, there's any kind of Black Friday deal or anything like that. The fact, I mean, the All fact right. that I haven't gotten the email yet a week out makes me think there might not be, but we'll see. All right. So, there's that. Oh, you can follow me on Twitter at Chris Zellner, K-R-I-S-Z-E-L-N-E-R, show proper ABT Sheets Pod, Big Set David Bix, and next week on Between the Sheets, we'll go back to 1994, and we'll talk about uh, WCW and all kinds of craziness going on in that in the inner workings of that promotion as Eric Bischoff has got a promotion so we'll talk about that plus we'll talk about all the creative uh, issues going on between Ric Flair the Booker and other for- forces that may wear red and yellow and so we'll have that plus uh, all kinds of other interesting stuff for WCW we got Japan, Mexico we'll have Smoky Mountain, clips from there. No clips from Memphis, sadly. That's, uh, that TV show isn't on YouTube. Uh, ECW, we'll talk about that. And we'll have World Wrestling Federation, where Diesel becomes the new WF champion, being Bob back in the Madison Square Garden. So we'll have all the stuff that happened there before the show with special promos in New York and around the country. And uh, the aftermath of that, plus so much more on next week's Between the Sheets. Should be a fun show. Of course, no guests since we're recording week of Thanksgiving. But it should be fun stuff. All right, Bix, what's going on in your world this week? I'm not sure if I have anything to plug, do I? Well, if you, you do, you do. You don't, you don't. Not off the top of my head right now, but I'll think about it later. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, there's that. But uh, anyway, so we... We want to wish everyone a happy Thanksgiving. This will be the last time you'll hear us yes, before the holiday. So we hope everybody has a good Thanksgiving. Stay safe. 
yada, yada, yada. So on that note, let's get back to the rest of the show. Let's go to the land of the rising sun now in Japan. And we'll start with all Japan pro wrestling. Where Booker Tenugurichiro had a meeting scheduled with Shiyashimoto, discussed possible angles for next year, including getting dates on Shinjiro Otani. Well, doesn't quite <laughs> happen in the next year, in part. Well, <laughs> think about it. What also, ha- I mean, new Booker, uh, new owner. Yeah. That's, oh, that's what I'm about to say. What happens in January? Muto. Yeah. So all of this stuff goes by the wayside because Muto comes in and then the Hashimoto stuff happens in 2003, but still it's Muto, not Tenro. Yes, very early so, 2003. So it kind of makes you wonder what Tenro had in mind, you know, in, in his version of All Japan in 2002. Yes. Well, also at this point, Zero One and Noah are tied at the hip. Which makes this even more interesting that these talks are going on at this point. Well, Zero One's pretty much dabbling with everybody. But no, but Noah was who they had the closest ties to. They had Noah named they were, basically okay. every show. And yeah, I mean, Takeiwa and Hoshikawa. Takeiwa and... Takeiwa and Kenta and Takeiwa and Marafuji. Matches. No, but I'm talking about... Yeah, but Takiyu was on doing Noah's tour. Right. Hoshikawa. Takiyu and Hoshikawa. Yeah, I was right. Okay, I couldn't remember if Hoshikawa did work. No, okay. I wasn't sure where you were going. We're about to talk about it. Okay, gotcha. Um, And also remember what, you know, what did we learn back in the day from Samoa Joe in. That wasn't Death Valley Driver. That was Happy Wrestling Land chat that he was in? Or was it both? Oh, shit. But the, the Zero One and Noah wrestlers pretty much exclusively hung out with each other, too. Yeah. You know, both the foreigners and the native talent. I mean, there's a connection. So, I mean, granted, once Matoka Bob is basically out of the picture in a few months, that's what really allows the eventual thawing between all Japan and Noah. Yeah, but that's down the line, some, so... Foreign Big Japan star Tomoki Homa will be debuting next week in the tag team tournament, replacing Shigeo Okamura as the partner of Nobutaka Araya. And he did really well there. I mean, got him a regular gig. Mm-hmm. Why did he leave Big Japan? Just didn't want to do the style anymore? It, he... It was all part of the whole CCW thing. Um, he didn't really care for what was going on. He, he put him and Yamakawa both were, you know... They were on the verge of becoming something big for Big Japan, and then the CCW angle started up, and they got completely railroaded. And Yamakawa got maimed, too. Yeah, that was another issue, yes. Which, uh, I don't blame him. Yeah, so, and he, I mean, he did well. He did well for himself outside of there, so. Stan Hansen's currently in Japan with his two sons, so they skip a vacation, and we'll be around for part of the tag tourney tour. Why would Stan Hansen be in Japan with his sons on Thanksgiving Bicks? Because he is the PWF president. There you go. In storyline. That's part of it, yes. <laughs> oh, so, oh, what's the other reason? Is there another reason I'm missing? Stan Hansen's wife's Japanese, Bix. Okay, yeah, I forgot, <laughs> yes. So they're probably there with her family. Okay. Yeah. Yes, yeah, Stan Hansen's wife is Japanese, for people that didn't know that. Yumi. Yumi Hansen. All right, New Japan. 
Uh, they got the G1 Junior Tag League going on at the current top. So Cork and Hall on the 23rd. In front of 1883, we have Hiro Saito and Goto going over Kenzo Suzuki and Kasushi Takamura. Dan Devine over Gokudo, Pat Tanaka. Manama Nakanishi and Takayoshi A over Sama Nishimura and Dogosurin Serjibudi, a.k.a. Beef. I thought we, we went have, with Serbidi. Whatever. Okay. Then we have Junior Tag League match. Jado and Gedo defeated Kendo Kashin and Black Tiger, Silver King. Then we have Kensuke Sasaki over Rob Rage. Robbie Rage of High Voltage. Yes, which no. I presume is also to set up... Uh, don't they team up in the tag tournament? In the regular heavyweight tag tournament? Yeah. I think... Wasn't it Kensuke and Divine? Uh... I think so, now that you say it. I, I couldn't remember where Robbie Ridge fit in there. Because Robbie Ridge is also kind of doing the shooter gimmick, and Kensuke has just switched to his shooter gimmick. But I think you're right that it was uh, Dan Divine. Yeah. Then we have another G1 Junior Tag League match. Masito Kakihara and Grand Naniwa defeated Badoro Tanaka and Masuke Naruse. What a team Kakihara and Naniwa are. Yeah. Tenkoji, Hiroshi Tenzan, and Satoshi Kojima defeated Yuji Nagata and Hiroshi Tanahashi. And then your main event is Korkin, so they went with the G1 Junior Tag League match. Kessior Shibata, Wataru Inoue defeated Jushin Thunder Liger and El Samurai. And that's so a big, big win for the big win for the young boys in uh in Cork and Hall, the G one Junior Tag League. Liger. Liger's booking. Of course he Yes, that's his booking. And you know, especially to give them the big win, not just over Liger's team, but Liger teaming with one of his other junior horsemen, so to speak, really gets across what a big deal it is for them to win here. Yeah. yeah. Now also, real quick before we move on to the next thing, because I don't think we've talked about it this way before. New Japan of that era, whoever would have been making these decisions, I guess it's, I guess it's Choshu, because he's still booking, right? Yeah. Whoever would have been in charge of this deserves credit for keeping Dan Devine and Rob Rage on tours and helping them develop, and they don't, they don't stick around that much longer than this, but. They kind of got a raw deal with WCW closing, but New Japan really stepped in and continued to use them and try to build them up and, you know, good for them. Yeah. So, interesting stuff here. All right. Tasumi Fujinami and Kasuji Nakashima, who is the president of uh, New Japan, went to Santa Monica over the weekend to visit with Antonio Inoki. And they're going to plan New Japan's participation in the Inoki New Year's Eve show. Ugh as well as the January 4th Tokyo Dome show. There's a plan for New Japan's 30th anniversary show, promoted debut, promotion debut on March 6, 1972 next year, and they want Inoki and Seiji Saguchi, the company's two biggest stars of the 70s, who turned 59 and 60 in February, respectively, to come out of retirement for exhibition matches. Plus, they want to bring back Hulk Hogan, who was the company's top four in drawing card for most of the period from 1980 to 85, including winning the first ever IWGP tournament to become the first champion, before making so much money in WF that he left the promotion. Hogan did come back, you know, towards the end of his WF raid, worked here between WF and WCW in 9394, made a play to win IWGP title for a second time, but it never materialized. So Gucci was training for a comeback, but was injured in training, and last we heard he'd given up on the idea. 
Yeah, New Year's Eve. <laughs> One of the biggest mistakes in New Japan history, New Year's Eve 2001, putting Yuji Nagata. Yeah, I was going to say Krokop Nagata. Yes. And also, oh, it's a departure from year bef- the year before, where the first Inoki Bombaye show was shooters doing pro wrestling mixed in with various pro wrestlers. Yeah, but this Anoki is now full on Anokiism. Yeah, well, one thing I will say, the one thing about this we need to keep in mind as far as how this looked, or though actually, wait, or had, how many, well, wait, how many MMA fights in is Crow Cop at this point? Uh, not a lot. Because wasn't it that they didn't know that he had been doing a lot of wrestling training? Wasn't I mean, that he was, part of what happened, he was, why they thought he was, Nagata could win? He was, no, well, no, he was mainly K-1. I mean, he wasn't doing none of that crap. That's what I'm saying. Let's see. Okay, I'm pulling up his MMA record on Wikipedia. Okay. Um. Okay. There you go. All right. Here are his fights so far. And one of them, we should probably put fight in quotes. August 19th was the Fujita fight on the Mixed Rules K-1 Andy Hook Memorial Car. Where he knocked him out 39 seconds. Well, technically it was a doctor stoppage, right? Yeah, but... Because he need, he need him on a takedown attempt and caused a huge gash in his forehead that he couldn't continue. Which, if you know, the thing was, um, if I remember correctly, at the time, Fujita was supposed to win that. Win that. Was expected to, yes. Cause, well, was supposed to. You know what I mean, though. I don't think it doesn't work. I don't think he needs him. Because, Crow, the he- because the thing, oh, here, here's why I'm saying that. People forget, Krokop's last match before this, he lost. His last kickboxing lost, fight, you mean? Yeah, Michael McDonald, not the singer of the Doobie Brothers. But he lost to him in Australia on June the 16th and then lost and then had the Fujita fight August 19th. And yeah, he beat Peter Arts, you know, in March. But still, I mean, he was a guy who had been... Losing high-profile fights. He had lost to Ernesto Hoos a couple of times. Bernardo, Andy Hoog. So, I mean, he's... Yeah, he he's doesn't so, have a lot of, like, re, he doesn't have that many really high-quality wins he's recently. A 15, he's a 15-7 K-1 fighter. You know? I mean, he at this point, he's the guy with the flashy high kicks that comes out to the Duran Duran song. Yeah, I mean, and, and then he beats Fujita, then has the draw with Takata. On Which is Pride surely 7. a complete work, yes. And then Nagata on... Uh, Which is 21 yeah. seconds. Just killed that man. And, I mean, it, it just did serious damage to him in, in, in pro wrestling. Yes. On the, same, on the same fucking night that Tadao Yasuda goes out there and gets his big fucking win. Yeah. You know? Who did you sue to beat? Oh, uh, oh God. Uh, hold on. The Wikipedia doesn't have the card linked. I think it's Remy Boyansky, right? It sounds right. But still, I mean, just fucking ridiculous. But and Yasuda got a GP title out of the deal. But we need to stress, though, the difference between this and the other throwing you... No, Jerome, Leba- Jerome LeBanner. Okay. But anyway... This is different from the later fights, though, because the belief was was that Krokop is still too green at MMA to have any wrestling. You know, 
there is that distinction. Was it still a terrible idea? Yes, of course. But it's not the same as the fights that come later. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, there is, there is a sliver of a decent idea in there. Yeah. So, yeah, just, just, just terrible. Anyway. All right. Uh, Kazuki Fujita to Dayasuda are trained in Los Angeles. Fujita will train with the Brazilian top team in December. They want to do a rematch with Yasuda and Rene Hoos from Holland. Who's not that Yasuda on August 19th? And Yasuda was out and carried out in a stretcher. Yeah. Nine seconds, Yasuda got knocked out on the, on the August 19th show. And then this fight doesn't materialize. They put him in with a banner and he beats. Amazing. Simply amazing. All right. Uh, Eddie Guerrero was looking for indie bookings. He contacted New Japan and they told him the earliest thing getting him in on tour would be March. He's got some starting this weekend. And guess when he makes his New Japan debut? March. Unfortunately for New Japan, WWF, well, yeah, it's still WWF then, resigns him in April. Yeah, but at least he has the March tour. So he does get some, some uh, work there as a member of T2000. Yes. As a, sil- well, Tiger Mask 3's tag team partner. I almost said Silver King, but same difference. It's Black Tiger, not Tiger Mask 3. Oh, Jesus. What would- Sorry. <laughs> yes, Black Tiger. All right, Pro Wrestling Noah. Although they were in the same stable as Tiger Mask 3. Because Kanemoto was in Team 2000. Well, yes. All right, um, Noah, and we go to Figure 4 Weekly to start with. New store opened up on November 18th at Differ Ariaki in front of 1,800 fans. Headlined by Richard Slinger, Vader, and Scorpio beating Team No Fear. In full! Satoru Osako, Yoshiro Takayama, and Takao Mori in 10:44 When Scorpio pinned Osako... Donovan Morgan and Michael Modis are in as a tag team, beating Nahiro Hoshikawa and Tetsuya Iwa in 1713 when Modis pinned Hoshikawa. Bison Smith wasn't on tour, mainly because he wasn't booked for the tour in the first place. Okay. No word on his knee injury for King of the Indies, and there are actually people who think it was a work. The skepticism arises from the fact that they were surprised to do a work injury in that match anyway, plus the move he allegedly got hurt on, a drop told by Donovan Morgan, is a move that Morgan never uses in his matches. If it was a work, the referee and Roland Alexander knew nothing about it, which would mean it was something put together by Morgan and Smith for whatever reason. Okay. If I remember right, Smith claimed it was from doing a slingshot flip into the ring and landing wrong. Yeah, it wasn't a drop toe hold, no. No, and I remember... I remember the skepticism about whether this was some weird political thing with them getting ready to leave and start pro wrestling iron. Um... But I also specifically remember, I wish I knew where I could find it to try to find it, but Bison put out a post somewhere talking about how he did that flip into the ring to impress the smart marks or something. Of course. To which people were like, no, that's not really what would impress us. (laughs) But the belief at the time was largely that it was not a real injury. Smart marks. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Anyway. All right, here's the results of that show. Russia Kamara and Mitsuomoto over Haruka Egan and Kishikawabata in your opener. Juna Zamita and Tsuyoshi Kakuchi over Daisuke Akeda and Takashi Sakura. Takuma Sano over Makoto Hashi. Akatoshi Saito over BJ Whitmer. Michael Monis and Donovan Morgan over Tatita Takeiwa and Hiroshikawa. 
Junakiyama, Kataro Shiga, and Yoshinobu Kanamaru over Takeshi Morishima, Takeshi Rikyo, and Kenta. Akira Tawe, Tavon Honda, Masao Inoue, Misao Masao, Yoshinara Ogawa, and Nomichi Fuji. And Invader Scorpio and Slinger over Team No Fear. Now Masao was talking about how if he and Ogawa get the GHC tag titles, that they would like to defend them against wrestlers from other companies. Did they? And uh no because i don't remember them defending against like otani and tanaka or anyone like that but this i mean this is an interesting time because you know masawa you know had already done the zero one stuff and everything but i mean it's a different thing because they were always you know so isolationist that you know you didn't get that and hell masawa and agawa didn't even have a one successful title defense and won the belts on November 30th and lost them on December 9th to Team No Fear. Huh. Okay. Now, they got they got them again in 2004 and held them for a year. But, uh, yeah, this was hit in 2001. Vader showed up for the new tour having lost 26 pounds, dropping from 407-381, which is definitely a good thing. He said, like, drop another 10 to 12 more. Really, at his age, he needs to be closer to 330-340 max. He had the tag title match on November 30th as Vader and Scorpio are the champions defending against Masao and Ogawa. On the November 20th show in Osaka with Vader and Scorpio and Slinger against Masao, Ogawa, and Marafuji, they had Vader destroy Masao with his hammer punches and power moves, then destroyed Ogawa with a powerbomb and high choke slam, leading the Scorpio pinning Ogawa with a moonsault. But ended with both Masao and Ogawa knocked out by Vader. which was also to get Vader back over as a killer for his December 9th GHC title shot against Junakayama. And then on November 22nd, Nokoyama, Vader again laid out Masao doing a run-in, causing a DQ of Masao and Ogawa, had a tag against Scorpio and Slinger. All right, results from Osaka. Osaka Professional Gym number two for 1,800 fans. Haruka Egan and Judas Amita over Rush Kimura and Miss Wilmota. Daisuke Ikeda over BJ Whitmer. Satoru Sako Masayashi Oyagi over Takuma Sano and Kenta. Takeshi Morishima, Takeshi Rikio, and Takashi Segura over Kitaro Shiga, Yoshinobu Kanamaru, and Makoto Hashi. Kiritawa and Shoshikuchi over Tatito Takaiwa and their Hishikawa. And then Skamori Yoshiro Takayama over Makamanis Donovan Morgan. Then Junakiyama Akatoshino over Timon Honda Masao Inoue. Invader Scorpio and Slinger over Masao Ogawa and Marafuji. Okay. So if we're going by build weights and stuff, Vader was generally billed at 450 in his prime, right? Mm hmm. But going into this weight loss was probably the biggest he had ever been, right? Yeah. So, if we're grading on that kind of curve, he probably, like, you would have gone by, like, a 500-pound build weight, and so this is this is probably in the range of the weight he was in in, like, the early 90s, I would say. He was big, I know that. And you mean bigger as far as, uh, stomach that's what i was gonna say is that even at his like super heavy weightest before this he never really had a gut no he's just big yeah but now he's big in the stomach so yeah all right yoshio takayama is looking to get the next shot gsc top to the akayama beta match the idea is that takayama beat simi schlitt those who don't who follow pride will realize flaw in this plan because there's no way that's going to happen it will build him up for the shot against Akiyama. Uh, I don't think that fight happens, though. Or does it? Um, Simi Schlitt? Is that a New Year's uh, Eve fight? 
Uh, yeah, that's tw- December 23rd, and he got beat. He got oh, KO'd by Schlitt. He got KO'd on Pride 18. Uh, yeah, Takayama lost his first four MMA fights for, before beating uh, Hikaru Sato on U Spirit show in 2013, which it's U Spirits. So, <laughs> yeah, he lost Vegeta, Schlitt, Don Fry, and Bob Sapp. I know he's in, in, he's relatively as upbeat as someone could be about his situation with being a paraplegic. God, is it sad that after all the shit he went through, that he was still seemingly having a pretty decent quality of life, and then it's just a freak accident on a sunset flip paralyzes him. Yeah, it sucked. It was not good. Terrible. That as far as like freak accidents go, has there been like a bigger freak accident than got someone hurt than that? A move like as far as like danger level of the move than that. I can't think of one. Can you? I mean, for even a bu- I mean, it's not even a bump. For something that serious. No. Yeah, that's what I, I mean, mean. Yeah. I mean, Sid breaking his leg. But even then, he's coming off like he's at least jump. Like I guess. Well, so, I forget. Was he giving or taking the sunset flip? It's Akiyama. Yeah. Um, I think he was giving it. I think he has to because I can't see how that would even happen taking the sunset flip. No. So I mean, Sid's up there. But yeah, otherwise you think of like really catastrophic ones. It's there's some kind of big bump involved, or at least you know the, the draws. It's a power bomb, and they slip. It's like this, just timing slightly off, and that was it. Yeah. Okay, Tower is returning to miss some more than a month due to some sort of internal illness. Okay. By this point, they probably started should have started using terms other than internal illness. Because you remember, in this era, because of the taboos about cancer in Japan and stuff, and how Baba's death was handled, if you had some heard a Japanese wrestler had internal illness or an internal organ disease, you were very worried that they had stomach cancer or something. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, it was a buzzword. Yes. Yeah. I think we've gotten past that some, but... Probably should have used other wording here. And I'm sure Dave is just repeating what's being used in Japan. But it's in Japanese and that's what they do. I mean that's what that's how they describe, you know, something like that. And you know, that's our culture. Yes. Although it's changing, you know, thanks in large part to Kira Hokuto. You know, when she got the breast cancer diagnosis, she was very big on wanting to use her celebrity because she was a big talk show you know, celebrity type, to try to get rid of the taboos in Japan around cancer. And it seems like she's been somewhat successful with it. Well, I think, I think part of it, too, is the fact that she's a woman. And, you know, I think they kind of look at that differently because she's a woman. As opposed that, to, like, oh, the immortal giant Baba can't get cancer type of thing. Well, I think this male honor in and general. Bushido and whatever. Exactly. You gotta remember. I mean, these these places have their 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 ways when it comes to that type of stuff. Women being, you know, subservient and all that stuff, and you know, is some of that still in effect? All right. Uh, zero one. Shion Shimoto has four matches booked between December fifteenth and nineteenth. 
He's scheduled in a three-way against Gary Steele and Steve Carina for the big NBA title on December 15th in McKeesport, Pennsylvania. He's supposed to work the 16th in the Philadelphia area. UPW, Southern California on the 18th and 19th. And whatever plans to wear 0-1 run the show in December in Los Angeles, as soon as that sounds, have been officially dropped. Hashimoto wants to bring both Nair, Chicago, and Shinjiro Otani on tour with him. Okay, a few things to go over here. One, not sure why Dave isn't putting together that the reason that the Los Angeles show has been dropped is obviously that Zero One split off from New Japan. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, they have the UPW thing, too, but I gotta think this is this was planned as an extension of, you know, Anoki and the Do- the you know, soon to be coming LA Dojo and whatever company he had. You know, I think still technically it's UFO. But I got to think it was an Anoki thing, and that's why it's canceled, even though they still have connections in LA. Excuse me. Awesome. Now, the Philadelphia area show, I believe, is the the wrestling school show with the four-way, with the three from the three-way plus uh, Dylan Knight. Right? Well, that's PWX or whatever it no, was. No, it was PWF. PWF, that's right. But it was it was someone else's wrestling school, I think. It wasn't Philadelphia. It what? But he but that was the sixteenth, wasn't it? Or was that the third? Well, wait a second. Is that the thirteenth? It was. It was in um. Because I know we covered it on here. Oh God! It was. It was. It was in the in the suburbs of Philadelphia. You are right. December sixteenth, two thousand and one. Okay, it was the sixteenth. The thirteenth was the other PWF show. Without. Yeah. Yeah, which I can't remember the name of that that town. Uh, trying to see if I can find any town. Yeah, what town is that? Oh Jesus! I guess I can look on Wrestling Dead or something. But uh, Huntington Valley. That's right. There you go. Yes. Um. Also thinking about it in terms of uh. You know, coming off the AEW pay-per-view and Hangman doing it, you know, the weekend before we're talking about this. Is Karina in that four-way the first time, at least in American wrestling, that someone did the, in the middle of a strike exchange, some variation of, come on, motherfucker, is that all you got? Or is that all you got? I don't remember ever seeing that spot before that. Do you? No. So there you go. That. Um, but very memorable trip here for Ashimoto. Oh, yeah, they did a whole Samurai TV special on it. Mm-hmm. Falling around, him at Burger King, and uh, all, all the other stuff he was doing in the U.S., enjoying his time here. And, well, I can only imagine what it was like for Phil Schneider and the others who were at that four-way, you know, live. Even on tape, I can't imagine that match happening in any other building. Just because that tiny-ass school that looked like someone's living room. The acoustics with the stiffness and the chops and everything was perfect. Yeah. All right, speaking of working in tiny venues, let's go to Battle Arts. Although it's not too tiny here. They're working uh, at the Miwajima Regatta Place Event Hall in Hatsukaichi on November 18th in front of 3,782 fans. Maybe something else going on. They were just there. We had a pro wrestling rules match. Yes, they had those. Mr. Sakai over Kengo Mashimo. Takeshi Ono over Takahiro Oba. And another pro wrestling rules match as we have ladies on this card. Yuki Miyazaki over Yuka Nakamura. And Kasumi Yasuda over Kododaka. 
And then Karmalenko went to a 12-minute draw with Yuki Ishikawa. 12 minutes. So, yeah, this has to be some, some type of special deal here. Yes. And I don't remember the 12-minute draw, but those two always had excellent matches. All right. We then, well, also, this got to be towards the end of the line for Ono, right? They were 2002. But not much longer, right? Uh, he's around a little bit. All right. Um, we talked about Yuriji Yamakawa. He cracked it. Yuriji Yamakawa cracked his head on the floor months ago. Looks like he'll be coming back soon for Big Japan, and he does. But not the same guy. Uh, as yeah, he's in just, the ring. Yeah, he's not. Um, yeah, we talked about it a little earlier, but fairly simple. Wife Beater was doing a um, what was his tree slam power bomb thing called? I can't fucking remember the name of it. But he was doing it, I think, off the apron through a table and just completely lost him. Yeah. Wasn't good. Yeah. And, uh, okay, so I just checked. So, Ono, at least going by wrestling data, works into early 02. There's one Battle Arts match in 03. And after that, he's pretty much just a sporadic wrestler for the next several years. Returns in like 07 and is working battle art shows for the next few years, but that's about it. You know, and, and Futen as well. But he does take something of a long break. Not long. Enough. All right, DDT. They ran Club Atom on December on November 22nd, Shibuya in front of 248. Ken Oka went to a 10-minute draw in the Kamian exhibition match in the opener. Sancho Takagi beat Fatoshi Miwa in five seconds. Showa 80s and Showa went to a double count out in 1220. Tomohiro Ishii be Fusutori Karasu. Hintaro, Yoshia, and Takashi Sasaki defeated Mikami, Tanamasakotoba, and Asian Cougar. And then a three way dance where Jakai Tensho, Wizuswada Julie, and Hebikaji defeated Super Power and Sanjiro Takagi. Shoichi Jamiya doing his Takagi uh, ripoff. And Shichiro Takagi and Tomiko Hashimoto. So there's DDT. There's show for the week. FMW. Why Asian Cougar left? Did it? Wow. FMW ran the last preview on November 23rd. You'll call him a bucket gym for 3,000 fans with some outside stars brought in. Dendu Genichiro and Kodo Fuyuki beat Garuda. Tomokazu Marita, rookie with good physique, being brought in as a Mexican high flyer to take the spot of Hayabusa. And Tetsuya Kuroda in the main event went for Yuki, pinned Garuda after a lariat. Chen retreated Garuda like Undertaker would treat Taz and also destroyed Garuda by hitting him with a chair and beer bottle and he juiced. You will send Garuda to Mexico for more training and bring him back with a big push with moves like the Falcon Arrow and Firebird Splash the Hayabusa used to use plus a Luna which is a submission combination of a half crab and face lock. After the match was over they did a big brawl set next preview main event on December 9th for Cork and Hall where Team FMW Mr. Ganesuke, Kataro Kanemura, Garuda, and Mamo Sasaki will go up against Team War. Tenru, Fuyuki, Kokitahara, and Arashi. Total only two decent matches on the show. Kanemura kept the WEW title of a great Sasuke. Kanemura threw Sasuke off the balcony. It isn't that high. Dave said he used to jump off it. What? Through <laughs> 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 a table. Huh? How about that? And then pinned them at the three front of our powerbombs. I'm trying to visualize the Yokohama Bunker Gym balcony, and I can't. And Dave jumping off of it. This says up Kanemura going to mention Oka Protofi with Sasuke. Best well, match also, in the I women's. Just o- I, 
Chris, where did we learn on, on on one of the AWA Patreon shows of all things that Dave actually had some wrestling training? The FMW Dojo. Yeah. So there you go. Um, the best matches of women's undercar match were Kyoko Inoue and Linus Asuka team with team to be uh, to be Etsuko Mita and Mima Shimoda. They also had a tag title match where Mr. Ganesuke and Sasaki won the vacant titles over Biomonster DNA and Dr. Luther. But Gansuke and Sasaki vacated the titles after the match, and they weren't worth anything winning from the Monsters. Jimmy Snuka and Jason Ray, not Jason Rain, as it says here, lost a tag match to Goemon and Onro. Said it'd be terrible with Snuka looking bad. As opposed to Ricky Fuji wedding that come off, of the, come off as Nehiro Yamazaki stole Fuji's fiance from him. A bunch of the wrestlers had given monetary wedding gifts to Fuji and all wore their money back. President Suichi arrived and said they would put all the money up in the prompted battle royal won by Shinsukushame. They also had a match with Makiko against Mirei in a stripper match. The gimmick here is that Gansuke is doing both of them. Makiko had her dress torn off and was left in her bra and panties, but Gansuke ran in to cover her up. Ah, oh, yes, the Fuyuki era. Chuckaball Mukai over Sun Paul in your opener. Hitsukatsu Oya, Yoshisaki. And Masito Sasaki over Nasawa, Satoru Makita, and Senmu Yoshida. Then Makiko over Murray, Battle by Shusuku Sami. And Lemonade Minutes and Number Kikizawa, Kikitaro. Goemon and Onro over Snuka and Jason Ray. Kyoko and Asuka over LCO. Then Ganasuke and Mam Sasaki uh, won the FMWEW tag titles over Fireboxer DNA and Dr. Luther. Kataburu retained a singles title over Sasuke and Tenru for Yuki over Kuroda and Garuda in your main event. What a show. The thing that really sticks out to me here is, really, who the hell was Jason Wright? I mean, it was a guy that w- that bounced around. Um, I never saw the video, but at the time I remember people thinking it was a different name for Deuce. No. I mean, he was a guy that worked at different places. He he teen, he he uh, became like a new member of Public Enemy after Ted Petty died. I remember that with, with Johnny Grunge. Uh huh. That's right. I don't remember Jason Ray in that, but I remember it being a thing. And he went to Big Japan. He went to Japan in two thousand and five, late two thousand five. He became a, a, a Big Japan guy. Okay. Yeah. So he 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 worked in different places. But I don't remember him working for FMW outside of this. No, that was what was that was what was especially weird, because at this time, if you're bringing in Snuka for a one off with a younger partner who's not a regular and isn't coming back, you'd you'd think it would be Deuce who was working as Snuka Jr. at the time. No, but it was very confusing because you had you had Snuka Jr. He was also going by Solo Snuka. Then you also had Solo the Samoan. A lot of confusion with names and stuff at the time. Yeah. All right. Uh, Ichiazaki, okay, Ayabusa, still hasn't been transferred to a rehab facility in Tokyo. It's been delayed because he got sick in the hospital, believed to be pneumonia. Whoa. What the hell was that? Which isn't a comment from people. Something fell down upstairs, but it doesn't sound like there's either no one home or no one in the kitchen, so I don't know. Which isn't a comment from people who can't move for long periods of time. Yeah. He had a hard time. He really did. He did. He made the most of it, though. Yeah, he fought. He definitely fought hard, and, uh, yeah. And he, you know, he lived up to his promise. He was able to, you know, 
he never said he was going to, I don't think he's ever said he would wrestle again, but he, he pledged he would eventually be able to step back into a ring and he did. Yeah, he did. So, mm, tragedy. Kenojo. Takamichinoku, who will be out of action for several months after undergoing shoulder surgery under Dr. James Andrews dun, 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 in Birmingham, was in Japan this week to announce a new promotion called K-Dojo, which debuts April 20th in Divariaki. Taka said he would cater to a younger crowd using mainly no wrestlers, 25 of who are his students from his gym in Puerto Rico. They are charging just $25 for tickets for adults and 8 for students, which are very low prices for Japanese pro wrestling. He said he'd like to promote monthly shows at Corken Hall and Diffie Ariaki, and they didn't have a financial backer, but using the money he saved from the past four years of working for WF. He said he didn't know if he would make it or not, but be, would be given his best shot. Takas contract WF expires in June of 2002, and he indicates he expected it wouldn't be renewed. Gee, you think? He had number praise for the company, saying that they pay for his operation and are paying for him while he recovers. Paying him while he recovers. He talked about Michinoku Pro Wrestling, the company he started with started with saying that they have great wrestlers but lousy storylines he says he's got a lot of booking ideas for them but since he isn't working for the company he wasn't going to talk about them but especially praise Gato, Dick Togo and Tiger Mask for his great wrestlers so K so K Dojo was funded with Tiger I mean Tiger Taka's WWE money yeah and his students were not bad they were way below the level of what you'd expect for someone coming up through a Japanese training system, though, at that time, especially with someone like him at the helm. And and they didn't really bring in any names. You could tell that that Taka was running it on a tight budget. Yes, the only always the same people. Really, the only people that were there that weren't students most of the time were him and Pablo Marquez. Yeah, and there'd be some other people that would come in and out, but. I mean, it's the same people every time. Yes, and I think because of what Torimon looked like and the newer generation Mishinoku Pro guys and all that, I think everyone had really high hopes, and then it happened, and it was just, it was fine, but it wasn't that much. Yeah, it was kind of blandish in a way. The most famous wrestler in his promotion was Afune. Well, for reasons. Enough of that. For, re- for reasons. Yes. Is that, we're, is that a euphemism now? Well, I mean... Anyway. I remember all the fan sites for Ofune that I would see up on uh, the Japanese wrestling internet. <laughs> they definitely were into her. <laughs> for reasons. Anyway. Alright, so... Let's go to Osaka Pro. They ran a soccer festival game on November 18th for a 290. We have Kengo Takai over Tiger's Mask, Takeru Borahala over Daigoro Kashiwa, Kaiju Zeta Mandora over Takashi Takshibana, Ebison and Kaiju King Mandora over Kashiba Kamen and Shu, and then Super Delphin and Miracle Man over Gamma and Black Buffalo. Then we shift to Torimon. They ran Kashigaya Kasura Studios in Saitama on November 23rd in front of 1,020 fans. As uh, Susumu Mochizuki and Darkness Dragon beat Dragon Kid and Grand Apache in your opener. We had T2P exhibition match as Suji Kondo beat Raimon Mishima. Big Fuji and Taru defeated Man in Tokyo and Kenichi Arai. Osaki Mochizuki and Ryo Saido with a double count out. And Geki Horiguchi beat Shima. T2P had two shows that we'll talk about. 
the number 18 at Club Ozone in Nagoya in front of 618. Jun Ogawuchi over Shuji Kondo. Ogawauchi. Uh, Naraki Kawabata over Raima Mishima. Toruwashi won a uh, handicap match over Tarusito. Handicap rules, I believe that means, like, it's probably like three count versus two count type of thing, or he needed to win twice. Well, no, if he needed to win twice, they'd have multiple falls. So I think it was like three count versus two count was how they did it. Well, Tarusito is a mini working a regular guy. Yes, although these minis were just guys who were like five, two. Yeah. We had Young Dragons Cup going on. Round one match, Takamichi Iwasa over Junior Fukumasa. Taru over Kenyo Yunagi. Milano Collection AT, Masato Yoshino, and Brother Stevie Sujimoto over uh, Rio Sato, Kentaro Mori, Anthony W. Mori, and Takuki Yagi in your main event. Then the next day in Saku City Gym, November 19, from 2350, we have Shuji Kondo over Takuki Yagi. Handicap rules, Tarosito uh, over Ryan Mishima. Noriaki Kawabata over Junior Fukamasa. Kenya Oyanagi over Taro. Young Dragon Cup tournament match, Toro Owashi over Jun Ago Uchi. And Milano Collection AT, Masato Yoshino and Brother Stevie over Rio Sato, Kitaro Mori, and Takamichi Iwasa. Yes. And uh, I believe, based on where they were up to last I checked, all, all at least all the stuff that aired on TV from these shows should be on the Dragon Gate streaming service. Well, there you go. Rings. At the first being turned off or return date due to head injuries from the past. At the past, the physical Riggs has brought back former pro wrestler Kenichi Yamamoto, who once lost to Pat Militich in a USC lightweight title match for the December 21st Yokohama show to face Genki Sudo. Hey, Yamamoto took a month. She shouldn't have been fighting. He took a lot of punishment over his years. So. All right, now we go to the my favorite part of the Japanese section, the Joshi section, and boy, I can't wait to get to the big one. All right, All Japan Women, Zenjo, Ueda Citizen Gym on November 23rd in front of 1060. We have Tobiko Yamane over Saki Memura, Jimmy Kitagami over Ryoko Sato, Momo Nakanishi and Miho Wakazawa over Karito and Keonomi. Kamuka Mikawa over Miyuki Fuji, and then a tag league, the best match, Yumiko Hoto, Manami Toyota over Toboku Watanabe and Nani Takahashi. Gaia, X City Hamamatsu on number 18 in front of 800 fans. We have Sakura Rota over Carlos Sabano. Danabe Kansai and Shikari Nagashima of Ozkami over Kira Hokuro and Sakura Rota. Mayumi Osaki and Karu over Shikusa Nagaya and Toshiyamata. And then Meiko Satomura and Carlos Sabano over Aja Kong and Toshiyamatsu. It's a guy a spot show. I'm sure it was fun, but nothing super spectacular. And now let's get to this. JD at Differariaki. Here we go. Number 23rd. We have Kyose Ninja Remaru over Obachi Azuka. We have an Atris Points tournament match, Bix. Ayano Omori and Keiko Furuta over Shiaki Kashida and Teruko Kagawa. The Atris Bix, of course, uh, describe what that is. They were actresses who were recruited to become athletes as wrestlers, hence actresses. Mm-hmm. Bix loved his actresses. No, I didn't. If only they would have had them in Neo, I mean, it would have been perfect. It would have been the perfect promotion for you. <laughs> Let's continue. 
We have Chiaki Nishi and Shutose Yamamoto of Imi Tojo and Mizuhiro Ishikawa. Two out of three falls. Hiromiyagi, Hiroya Muto, Arya, and Haruka Matsuo representing Team JD over the Super Terrors. Fang, Suzuki, Sachiabe, Kazuki, and Maru in 2648. And then we have the main event. An LSD1H match for the AWF Women's title and Queen of the Ring title where the Bloody retain beating Sumi Sakai six falls to five in a one-hour Iron Man, Iron Woman match. That sounds good, though. The Bloody in an hour-long match, Bix. That is amazing. Six to five. What a match. But I like the Bloody and Sumi at this time. That sounds like this could be really good. An hour? I'm an hour to see it, but well, you have to remember we have much less patience with hour long matches than we used to. Yeah. All right. Well, LLPW ran Cork and Hall in the 23rd in front of 50. We have Mizuki Endo over Holly Sado, LCO, Eskomina Mishimoto over Shinobu Kandori and Norio Tateno. And a six woman tag title match is Black Joker. Igo Sawai, Rumi Kazama, and Takako Inoue retained over Karo Midori, Shoshoshuya, and Sayuri Okuno. And then, of course, Neo! Kidazawa Town Hall, Nurem 20 in front of 200 fans. We have Yuka Nakamura over Subo Genjin. Sure. Akute Sai and Kitty Chan. Kitty Chan! Went to no contest with Neo Machine Guns, Teddy Mouse, and Yuki Miyazaki. Chaprito Sari and Yukashina of Hiromiyagi and Marcella. Yes, that Marcella from Mexico. Ran Yuyu over Yoshiko Tamura. Tamura. Masai Genki <laughs> over Mima Shimoda. That match only went 613. If only that went to an hour. And then Kyoko went away and Linus Asuka went to a 10-minute time limit draw. I like mm-hmm. I like how not only do we have the Neo favorites in the top two matches, although thankfully they don't go long. Um... We also have two of the most unimproved wrestlers in the world in 2001 in the main event, in the top two matches, too. <laughs> in Shimoda and Asuka. Because, holy shit, did Asuka fall off a cliff when she left Gaia, didn't she? Yeah. You want to eat this up with a spoon, this old car, don't you? No, but yeah, you no, seriously, though, like, she went from being one of, like, the five best wrestlers in the world, man or woman... And then, like, when she got booked in control of Arcean and then started working for other promotions again, like, her in-ring slipped and Arcean fell off and it was just, it wasn't fun. It happens. All right. Well, let's go full international now as I go to the United Kingdom, England. We go to TWA on November 22nd at the Waham Snow Town Hall in London. We have the Legend of Doom over Tagori. Drew McDonald, Ben Doom McDonald over Jody Fleisch. James Mason over Chad Collier. Robbie Brookside over Brad Elliott. And then James Mason and Robbie Brookside over Brad Elliott and Damian Blade. Oh, wait. A British promotion in 2001 is doing ECW-style booking? I'm shocked. <laughs> that didn't happen all the time. There was no, no obvious ECW influence on British wrestling in this era. Not at all. Well, Alex Shane's not here, though, so there's that. No. Um, okay, so to go down the card, Legend of Doom, of course, is Johnny Sath doing his Road Warriors gimmick. 
I forget, it's Tagori, a white British guy under a mask, or a Japanese wrestler on excursion? I think it's the... Uh, I think it's the former. Okay. Um, okay, who else do we have here? Boys, Drew McDonald versus Jody Fleischnod match. Yeah. That said, James Mason versus Chad Collier in 2001 sounds fantastic. Yeah, interesting show. Yeah. Mason was... Mason was really the only guy trying to, even though he really broke in after that, keep the, you know, world of sport classic classic British wrestling style going at this point. You know? Yeah. Oh. You know who Tagori was? Who? James Mason. <laughs> well, how about that? So, he works twice. No, he works three times. Yes. I'm guessing this is his promotion. I don't remember. There were so many promotions in the UK at the time. It's hard to keep track of who's doing what. Yeah. But decent looking show here. Yeah. Kind of a transitional era for British wrestling. We are... A, we're going to have a little bit more of the Super Show era because... Because uh, Eddie Guerrero's on that FWA Revival show, right? Well, FWA so that, is a, diff a different beast. But still, we have that super show. That's the like the last of the super show era. And then things kind of settle in into the in-between period. Yeah, it, it just it, FWA is just a different beast uh, from some of these other promotions. So. Yeah. so, anyway. Let's go to other North America now. And we'll begin in Canada. And... Uh, ECCW at Thunderbird Hall in Campbell River, British Columbia on November 22nd. Moondog Manson over Rico Quinones. The American Dragon, Brian Danielson over Lane Fontaine. Although at this point, he's just American Dragon still. Yes. And I think he still has the Mac. mask in ECCW at this time, too. I don't know about that. Scotty Mack over Lady's Choice. Dave Swift over Michelle Starr. And it's Scotty Mack, Lane Fontaine, and... Rico Quinones over Moondog Manson, American Dragon, and Ladies' Choice in your main event. Yep. Brian worked a lot for uh, this group in this era, so... Well, especially when he had moved back to Washington, but that's about to change because he's about to get the APW trainer job, or... I mean, he's been offered it already because King of the Indies happened, but he hasn't moved yeah. there yet. No. All right, let's go to Mexico. Triple... Hey, they take TV at Dombo de la Feria de Leon on November 19th. We have Alan, Billy Boy, Desnes, and Pathfinder going up against uh, Mamba, Notaroja, Operativo, and Policeman. Then we have Alebrije and Heavy Metal teaming up with La Parca Jr. and Mascara Sagrada. This is uh, Mascara Sagrada Triple A, even though Alebrije is in this match. This is uh, the guy that replaced him, the former Mascara Sagrada Jr. Uh, going against the Bizo Negro, Cibernetico, Electro Shock, and Psychosis. I'm not spikers. sure that's the old Sagrada Jr. Let me check. Obviously, it's not Ali Brihe slash Cranio, but I'm not sure you have the identity right. Let's see. But keep going in the meantime, as I look those up. Guerrero de Titanes uh, also took place during our week at the Plaza de Toros. Mexico City for announced 15,000 fans. This is for your four weeklies rundown of it. Heavy Metal ended up losing the four-way hair match to Hector Garza. Pretty much what Brian expected. Rules were that if you pin someone, you eliminate yourself in the match, and the last man standing would have his head shaved. 
Latin lover pin Garza to, to eliminate himself. Paraguay Jr. pin Metal. And then Garza made Metal submit to win the match. And they shave Metal bald afterwards. And this is my main event. Cibernetico destroyed Antonio Pena. That's right. To win control AAA for 30 days. Pena was bleeding before the match even started. He also had a mystery man named Garuda come out <laughs> as his second, who was dressed in a devil mask and reportedly wearing a thong. I hope I don't have to watch this on TV, Brian said. Pena originally wanted Vampiro to play the mystery man, but Vamp refused to wear AAA television. Brian assumed he probably also refused to wear a thong whenever Pena's around. <laughs> this is, of course, Gronda. Gronda, yes. Yes. His Who, debut. He's not wearing a thong, but he is wearing, I think, well, we decided last week and to continue calling customs trucks. Well, whatever you want to call it. Uh, Steven Radico put the devil guy through a table with a powerbomb and then pin Pena. The rest of the results saw Estabareno, Estrellita, and Princesa Sugi beating Marta Villalobos, who had Demente, Brian's new, new least favorite wrestler in the entire world, and Tiffany, another match that Brian hopes that he has to watch on TV. Ice Cream, all caps, Tilda Bang, and the Barrio Boys beat Policeman and Los Diabolicos. Los Vatos Locos beat Los Vipers in their one millionth match to finally win the Mexican National Atomico titles. Felipe Hamley, the commissioner, was sitting in front row, so the match was toned down. A lot of the real hardcore stuff, like fire, wasn't used. Then Zorro, Pepinela Escarada, Otacosito, and Lady Apache beat a literal shock. Poivo de Estrellas, Minisicosa, and Tiffany by DQ. When Electro shot Zorro with his Electro shock stick. And this, of course, is a Relevos Triple A match as you have a male wrestler, a transvestite wrestler. A minis wrestler and a female wrestler on the team. And those were always a hoot and a half. Oh, yeah. Then you have Octagon, Alebrije, and Randy, the future Intocable, over Monster, Pentagon, and Darkness by DQ when the bad guys refuse to stop pounding on Octagon. Yes, two DQs in a row. But wait, it gets better. Connect, Dos Carters Jr., yes, Alberto de Rio. And La Parca Jr. teamed up with Mascara Sagrada. Bix, is uh, was I correct? Okay, so that this Sagrada is the no is not Mascara Sagrada Jr. It's the guy that replaced uh, Ali Brihe. Ali Brihe was the first long term replacement Sagrada, and then this guy was the most recent one who took over the name in '99 and went through about '06. Okay. Beat Jerry Estrada, Perata Morgan, El Tejano, and Sangre Chicana, Los Consagrados. Oh, it's um, a, a, a Super Triple A. Yeah, him. Yeah. When Connect turned on his team. That's three DQs in a row. Brian gets Pena figured that since he was going to be abide by the stipulation in the top two bouts, he might as well fuck around the undercard. Funny moment was when Mascarilla Sagrada ran in to make the save for the full size Sagrada. Isn't it supposed to be the other way around? <laughs> Ah, uh, triple A. Fun times. Yes, that's the Renico Pena match or something else. And that's where uh, we end up getting, you know, uh, more LL. Literally bring Latino out of that. So there you go. Mm-hmm. CMLL. They ran a run call sale on, the, on the November 18th. We have Arizona over Rodix. 
Nimingo Publico and Eke over Reyes Tapatillos, one and two. Mono Negro Jr., Olympus and Bodo Jr. over El Coriano, Carlos Jr. and Sangre Azteca. Brazil Oro, La Piera and, and Ringo Mendoza over Guerrero de Futuro, Mr. Mexico and Violencia. Bestia Savaje, Mascara Magica and Ultimo Guerrero over Black Warrior, Felino and Negro Casas. And Los Hermanos Dinamita, Cien Caras, Mascara and Universo dos Mil over Il de Lismarck, Rio de Lisco Jr. and Viano 4. Then Arreda Calceo on the 20th. We have Inimigo Publico and Rammstein over Sambara de Plata and Zeta. Bracito de Oro, Cicloncito Ramirez, and Ultimo Dracocito over El Ferito, Fire, and Sombrita. Pantera, Ricky Marvin, and Rigo Mendoza over Guerrero de Futuro, Valentin Mayo, and Virus. Then we have our handicap match Black Warrior, Higante Silva, Inio de Lismarck over Bestia Zavaje, Blue Panther, Scopito Jr., and Ultimo Guerrero. And then Los Vianos, 3, 4, and 5, beat Los Hermanos Dinamita by disqualification. But the big show of the week, of course, Arena Mexico on the November 23rd, where it went head-to-head with AAA's Guerrero de Titanes. And it was headlined by Emilio Chávez Jr. beating Apollo Dantes in a Caballero contra Caballero match after hitting him over the head with a flower pot, which looks sick with Dantes busted open. So it'd be a terrible match, but because of the issue, the heat was great. This is the build-up Emilio versus Shocker in their Caballero contra Caballero match on December 14th in the year in Spectacular. Yes, because Apollo Dantes and Shocker were, were allies. And the finish was obvious because Apollo Dantes barely had any hair on his head. So easy shade for him. Yes, although it, might, it year, probably year, wasn't year, fun year. with the uh, flower pot be, having just been broken over his head, though. No. No. But and, this show uh, is... Re- oh, no, I was just going to say, as far as them being aligned, the reason they're aligned is that they had been uh, Satanico's temporary Infernales earlier in the year. Well, oh, no, excuse yeah. me. That was Black Warrior, right? Well, they were all... Oh, no, no, I mean, they, no, Dante's they, was associated they all with teamed them, up. Too. Yeah. 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 Well, they all teamed up. Yeah. Yes, but they were but part of sh- that kind of makeshift group. Yeah. This show's remembered for this match. Rey Mysterio Jr., Hombres en Nombre, before my Ia de Rey de Lisco Jr., Negro Casas and Ilda Santo teamed up to beat Ubuntu Guerrera, and La Familia de Tijuana. Nicho and Millionario, Damian Seis and Halloween by DQ when the Rudos introduced the Kendo stick, beating the Renamesco in the third fall. Yes. Very excited in this time period when, when Ray was working uh, the CMLL TV shows. Oh my God. So excited. And, you know, teaming with uh, Ray Tito and Casas and Santo. Oh my God. And then, you get these uh, these Rudos to work with. Oh, it's great stuff. Rest of the card here. Mano Negro Jr., Tigre Blanco, and Volo Jr. over Dr. X, Ramstein, and Sangre Azteca. Onti, 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 Falls de Norte. Io de Desmarque de Lipico over De Killer, Puerto Barriqua, uh, father of Rouge, and Violencia by DQ. Atlantis, Barroso de Plata, Miss Niebla over Mascara Magica, Rebecca and Tarzan Boy. And then the Santo Mysterio Atomicos match, and then Emilio and Apollo in the main event. And then one right to Tito. After a split in the family, the wrestler formerly known as Io de Rey de Lisco Jr. is returning as El Hombre Sin Nombre. His father, this is for Day Meltzer, is returning as El Hombre Sin Talento. <laughs> um, Even though 
though Ryo Jr. is not his real father, his uncle. Yes. Okay. So, if you want to know why CMLL might be the best promotion in the world in 2001, this show is as good as any to find out why. Anytime that you got that Ray Jr. to... Yes. Um, that match is absolutely phenomenal. The hair match is really good, too. I don't know who's telling Dave that it sucked. But it was, very, it was a really good brawl. Dave, Dave was not a fan of those guys. It ain't nobody telling that. And it, you know, it's Dave not being a fan of those guys. He he, you know, he was always on the Dinamitas. He was always on those guys. Yeah, and also unfortunately, uh, Ombre Sunombre is still not long for the promotion because Uncle Ryo still aces him out even with the name change. Yeah, which sucked. And now we should say though. Ryo Jr. He he wasn't bad. He was a perfectly fine heavyweight luchador. Uh, let's not go crazy. <laughs> I said perfectly fine. He was not. He was not good. He was not good. He was not good when he was young. <laughs> yeah, I mean, remember we watched all the really good when we watched that when we watched that eighty stuff. I remember all of us commenting, "God, this guy's terrible." <laughs> Yeah, you may like him, and that's all right. You can like whoever you want, whether Some they suck or not. Some of the early 90s stuff I like. Well, I'm going to say, you can like what you like, but I know what I I I know what I didn't like, and I didn't like his ass. Sure. No, he, he did... At best, you can say he had a very short prime, but by but, and but large, he was not impressed. But here's, the thing, but here's the thing, though. I mean, he had charisma, yeah. and he was over. So, work be damned. The other liked working with him, too. Yeah, work, he was an easy guy to work with. So, work be damned, you know, but still, he was. No, his matches were not good. So. All right, IWRG. Arena Kapan on September 18th. Afisman and Afisman 2 over Akuma and Kabuto. Capita Sangre and Prisper de Fuego over Guerrero C3 and Voyager. Los. Payasos, Tricolor, Coco Blanco, Coco Rojo, Coco Verde over Suicida, Mixagora, Fantasy, and Nuevo Multifaceteco. Oh, yes, here we go. Serrano, Dr. Rebro, and Paramedico, uh, which I can't remember what their full name was as a trio, over Mega, Super Mega, and Ultra Mega. And then Bombero Infernal, El Interador, and Negro Navarro over Super Colo, Super Parca, and Ultimo Vampiro. The TV taping on the 22nd. La Sombra over Kabuto, not Andrade. Capita Sangre, Prisma de Fuego over Guerrero C3 and Zonit 2000. Black Dragon, Fantasy, and Nuevo Mozzafeseco over Los Payasos by DQ. Doctor Cerebro and Los Oficiales, Guardia, Oficial, and Vigilante over Los Megas, Mega, Super Mega, and Ultra Mega, and Miki Segura. And then a handicap uh, Canadian Lumberjack match. As Bombero Infernal and Terador, Rambo and Scorpio Jr. defeated Hikate Silva, Super Parker, and Ultimo Vampiro by disqualification. Very fun IWRG shows on paper here. Mm-hmm. I'm sure I've seen some of this. I just don't remember it particularly well. Um, that that 2000-2001 period, it just, it's so much fun because they have this core crew... And but you also see CMLL guys and, and some other indie guys mixed in, and it it had a distinct style and and also a distinct atmosphere because it's Arena Nakapon, you know. Yeah. I, I I love me some IWRG. You know that that 
if I ever take a trip to Mexico, besides going to Arena Mexico, I mean, my, my number two want-to-see wrestling there before I die venue in Mexico is Arena Nacopan. Well, they have a lot of shows there now, um, on and off. And a lot, a lot of young, young talent, different talent. I mean, there's some interesting stuff. Yes. All right, Monterrey, Rinaldo Monterrey, on November 18th. Crazy Demon in Esfinge over Android and Hakamotes. Chucho Mar Jr. and Los Orientales over Los Cafanes Raqueros one and two and Mongo Chio Jr. Alan Stone, Chris Stone, and Elantis over Bluefish, Satorio Negro, and Mephisto. And in our main event, Antivaz, Del Norte, Io de Santo, and L.A. Park over Averno, Dr. Wendler Jr., Scorpio Jr. Pretty good looking Monterey show there, especially, you know, anything with Orientales versus Confanis or Caros is going to be. Good. And we have Sa- and Santo and La Park on the same team here, and that's about to change pretty soon because they had their big bloodbath in December. Yes, plus uh, Park and Nantifaz had been attacking Monterey for a while. Yeah, Tijuana. November 23rd, Tijuana for a weak crowd was headlined by Gigante Silva, Rey Mysterio Sr., and Rey de Alisco Jr., beating Toto Wadda Jr., Otomo Guerrero, Pentagon Black, and Hilda Diablo. Plus a minis match where the original Mascarita Sagrada retained his mask and won the Caballera of Piratita Morgan. Hmm. So there's that. All right, Puerto Rico, IWA, Puerto Rico. And we go back to Figure 4 Weekly. IWA ran a Bruiser Brody Memorial Tour over the weekend. First show on Thursday night. That would be the uh, 22nd. So, uh, in Guillermo, open with Savio Vega, the Sona Commission coming out, leaning a 10-bell salute for Bruiser Brody. Afterwards, Vega announced that he was now storyline boss of the company. He didn't mention the storyline part, obviously. Miguel Perez Jr. hit the ring and said he was one half the tag champions and still to be working the second match on the car. So obviously, if he didn't like it, he could hit the bricks. Oh! As it turned out, he ended up working the fourth match on the car, beating both members of the Kamikaze clan by himself. Steve Carino ended up working the second match on the car, beating Super Crazy. That's why sort of being the NWA World Champion, which said it should be a bigger honor than being one half of the IWA Tag Champions. He did not complain about his spot on the card. Main event saw Apollo over Ricky Benderas in a hardcore match. Benderas took a stiff kick and was bleeding heavily from the nose. Then the following night, Carino lost to Super Crazy, this time to a brain buster, where Carino attempted with a chair after the match. Brian Wonderford Crazy has claimed to the NWA World Heavyweight title now, like Gary Steele did when he beat Carino in another match that was not for the NWA World title. Payne and Tiger Ali Singh won the IWA Tag Titles, beating Los Bariquas. Super Crazy also won the main event 20-man battle royal for the hardcore title. The thing they can headline a show with a hardcore title match, seeing as to how that belt changes hands almost as often as WF hardcore title used to. And uh, it's about how Vega came out before the show on November 17th, said the company was going to be doing some roster cuts in the future. It was interesting because the WF, which is remembered to be cutting a bunch of guys in the next few months, often says their developmental talent here. Vega signed Black Boy versus Zarux, neither of whom are on WF contract to lose lead time match on December 1st. Brian doesn't know the sign for the future of the developmental guys or just some sort of angle. They probably go hand in hand. Yeah. Now, Double Double C on their TV this weekend, they showed a lot of clips of Mr. Ratings, Ray Gonzalez, meeting with various people at the XWF tapings. And this is Meltzer, by the way. This is no longer Brian. Yes. They did a vignette on Gonzalez, Fidel Sierra, and Kurt Henning. It's all going to imply the Henning Gonzalez feud is over. 
besides uh, Cologne, Carlos Cologne, and Gonzalez, uh, Carly Cologne, also brought in Sabians was heel manager Barabas. They aired Carly and, and Gonzalez to promos for WWE TV, and Gonzalez talking with British Storm, Roddy Piper, Marcus Bagwell, Horace Hogan, Emery Hale, Hulk Hogan, Vampiro, and the Shane Twins. Vampiro did a promo saying he wanted to come to Puerto Rico because he hates the Cologne family. Uh, Gonzalez and Barabas, who haven't gotten together yet since Gonzalez's face turn, was put back together by Jimmy Hart. You see a major plan for all of them. and also showed Carlos and Carly doing an interview for XWF TV with Gene Okerlund. Yeah, the XWF, they got Puerto Rico for them. Well, that, 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 that was their life, you know, for a while. Yes, using some of the TV tapes mixed in, but mainly Invasion Angle stuff. Yeah, the promotion was dead other than that. Other than the uh, Puerto Rico stuff. Well, and however they mixed it into Memphis, too. Yeah, there's yeah that, too. So. All right. We have uh, TV ratings for the first time. IWA beat out WWC in the ratings on November 17th by a 10.7-9.5 margin. IWA's number wasn't much higher than it had been doing. WWC's way down. But November 18th, WWC drew a 10.8, and IWA is 7.4. So there's that. And both the Saturday and Sunday shows are head-to-head. Right. Uh, I think so. Yeah. Mr. Ratings. Yep. Alright, number November twenty third, El Toro won Pachin Vinces in Ponce in front of a thousand fans. Not good. Wilfredo Alejandro and El Profe over Tahitian Warrior and Rico Suave. Just insane over El Roquero. John Jim Steele over Jaime Pataro. Eddie Cologne over Barabas Jr. Invader won over Fidel Sierra. Dow Jones and NASDAQ. I love that. Over Bruno Sassi and Big Tilly Bix, also known as... By Delta Slam. And then Thunder and Lightning over Bronco, number one, and Super Gladiador. And Carly Colon and Abdul Butch over Rick Gonzalez and El Dene by disqualification. And yes, I, uh, this is Cage Match, so we didn't, we didn't get the wrestling data version of this, of Thunder and Lightning, where it would have had parentheses Lightning and Thunder. Yes. Also, wait a second, yeah, you just mentioned Mr. Ratings, but Mr. Ratings is still on the losing show at this point. He's about to jump. Yes. But well, not necessarily. They they won on one day and lost on the other day. Oh, you're right, you're right, you're right. So maybe it was the day he had more of a presence on that they won. Well, they won by a pretty big margin on the second day. Mm-hmm. But anyway. All right, now let's finish it up with the U.S. Altogether. Jersey Championship Wrestling, and we go back to figure four online. Ricky O, the promoter of Jersey Championship Wrestling, issued a statement explaining the cancellation of the November 17th show in Rawway, New Jersey. He said someone called him claiming to be a building representative and told him that there had been a small fire and the show was being canceled. He deduced that caller might, in fact, have been someone from a rival company and not a building representative. Bryant thinks the fact that the building didn't burn down would have been a pretty good indication that it wasn't someone from the building that called. Also, this does not explain why nobody bothered to tell the talent about the cancellation. Hmm. Bix, who would do such a thing? Hmm. All right, who do we have around at this time? Carmine Savia, perhaps? A, uh, or, uh, why am I forgetting his name all of a sudden? Oh, Gino Moore, maybe? Possible. 
Well, wait, what am I saying? Of course it's Gina Moore. Yeah, it's possible. He, he, <laughs> that. I mean, I mean, who else would be considered competition for Jersey Championship Wrestling? Oh, you think yeah, for a guy Davia, maybe? I'm just asking. I'm not... I'm just asking. I mean, I don't think he. I don't think Frank would have done that. No, I mean, he. That, that's what I'm saying. Well, that's why what I was about to say that yeah, that doesn't really sound like his style. I'm just thinking because it's North Jersey. Um, well, also, so would this have been if it had happened the first wrestling show at least of this era at the Broadway Rec Center? Maybe. Anyway, Jersey Championship Wrestling, of course, ends up being bought by Brett Lauderdale. It becomes Game Changer Wrestling, you know. They have relaunched uh, Jersey Championship Wrestling as their kind of, I don't know if you call it GCW developmental or what, but kind of the local indie component of GCW. Oh, shoot. Yes. Well, and they also have uh, LA Fights starting up, too. Yeah. Interesting story there. Yes. PWF. And it's really something... Can you imagine 20 years ago if I had told you that Jersey Championship Wrestling was probably the number three promotion in the country? Uh, no. <laughs> Whereas now it kind of is, because I think there's a good argument Game Changer is. Uh, I don't know. Still, Who knows? It's still something, you know? Yeah. All right, uh, PWF. Warrington, Pennsylvania on November 21st. We had a number of contender match for Universal Title Battle Royal, won by Chris Hamrick. Rock and Rebel over Gino Giovanni. Oh, thank you. Quiet Storm over Brian XL. Three way for the IWA lightweight title, PWF Junior Way title, whatever. Billy Bash retained over the Amazing Red and Trit Acid. That's a result. Then a three way for the Universal Tag Titles. Draven and Mad Dog beat the Rachis. Broadway Danny Rose and Adam Flash, who were the champions. And Joel and Jose Maximo. And Draven and Mad Dog are uh, the damned. Mm hmm. Nova over Nick Burke. And then University of title, Johnny Cashmere, retained over Chris Hamrick. Okay, so I've never seen this show, but you know, the following month when they have the Hashimoto show, I bought that, and I bought the show we mentioned earlier from a few days before, which was the regular show in their local TV taping. How do I explain this? So for some reason, they decided... To do a TV taping that would be made up out of, like, a regular show, but things would be in an order that didn't make sense, but I guess only with the commentary, but the commentary was live. So basically, if you watch the Smart Mark video version of the show instead of seeing it unfold on TV, everything was out of order. Like, I want to say... There's like a run-in, money-in-the-bank type or impromptu or something title win. I think Hamrick gets the title back. But it's out of order. It was very weird. Um, let's just say that Steve Carino would become a better booker as time went on. Yeah, if, if he was doing the actual booking here. I don't know. I mean, was he not? It's his promotion, isn't it? Yeah, but that means the necessary booker. I suppose it's possible there's someone else as the booker, yes. But, but anyway. It, but it, I don't remember exactly how it was, but it was very strange. I just remember watching it, and it's like, why Why are they doing it this way? Because it was, it, it for some reason, instead of doing new commentary later, they did commentary that reflected the order it would air. Even though most people were probably seeing it through Smart Rock. Yeah. 
All right, so NBA Wildside. Hey. We got this Ultra Torch. NCW Arena take for syndication. Malachi or Alex Steele. Ali Steele. G-rated. Kid Cool. And, uh, oh, God, what was... Uh, Kid Ecstasy. So Kid Ecstasy. Sal Renor yeah. Owen set the lay. Yeah, over a Slim J. Mike Pittman. Mr. Delicious J.C. North of a Sage and a Key. That's a match. Yeah, it's Death Valley Driver Tat Special. Yes, Jeremy Lopez over Todd Sexton. David Young over Tank. Caprice Coleman over Jason Cross. Kevin Northcutt with Big Business Brown over Lance Dreamer. Onyx over Shoot Andrews with Big Business Brown retaining the TV title. Blackout over Project Mayhem and Bad Attitude and the Lost Boys regained the t- Wildside Tag Titles. And J.C. Daz beat Jimmy Raven in a Lumberjack match. That is a hell of a Wildside TV taping on paper. And we'll talk more about that on the next uh, Exile and Bad Street. Yeah. So there oh, you go. Is Caprice versus Cross the one... I think that's the first time I ever saw Caprice do the stripper pole spot. Yeah, ain't the first time he did it. No, I don't think it's the first time he did it, but I think that, I think that match, because he's around when the TV starts in New York, is the first time I would have seen him do that, and the first time I probably would have seen Jason Cross as well. But a lot of interesting looking matches on this show. And also, for those of you who have not been listening to Exile, might as well mention this, because it ties into our Patreon show that's coming up. Bigness Business Brown is basically doing a John Collins parody gimmick here. You know he was doing the gimmick in 1995. But here they were framing it as a John Collins parody. Yeah, but he was doing the same thing in 1995 in I, Memphis. I know, but still, home, like Jeff shopping said... Ne- shopping Network and all that stuff. But still, they brought him in to do this gimmick because of John Collins. And let me see what I At least the way yeah. that Jeff explained it. Yeah, in a way. But anyway, all right, I mean, myself, House of Hardcore, two shows, November 17th in Charleston, Indiana. We have Quafa, the Flying Hawaiian over Terry the Great, Rolling Hard over Richard X, Two Out of Three Falls, American Kickboxer over Phoenix, Roby Dodd, Trent Baker over Hazaya, IWA Heavyweight Title, Chris Hero retained over Cash Flow in 59 minutes and 57 seconds. Wow. And then Nate Webb over me, Mitch Page, in the main event. Mm-hmm. Then we have Blood Feast, 2001, on November 22nd. Also, House of Hardcore in Charlestown. We have Cash Flow winning the three-way over Dysfunction and Rugby Thug. Paul E. Smooth, Chuck E. Smooth over Richard X. Isaiah over American Gitboss in the first blood match. CM Punk over Colt Cabana in a 30-minute Iron Man match. Loosely Town for 30 days. Todd Morton over Mark Wolf. 68 Steel over Adrian Serrano. Rolling Hard over Michael Shane. Ian Rotten's old lady Patty beating Bull Payne. <laughs> well, on this show, shouldn't we call call her Nick was older sister Patty? Yeah, I guess. Uh, anyway, Miss Up, Headway Title, Chris here, retained over Tracy Smothers. In a hair versus 50% ownership match, Ian Rotten beat Mitch Ryder, who had to get his head shaved. And double tables match, Mitch Page and Too Tough Tony over Nate Webb and Man Man Ponda. All right, let's see. Um, because I don't know if any of that non-shot by Smart Mark stuff is on IWTV. Hero Cashflow going almost an hour is one of those matches I always wanted to see, and I don't think I ever bothered getting. Um, but the word from people who saw it was that it was a tremendous match. I think so. Yes. Cashflow is really good at this time. It's always good. I know, I'm just saying. Like, he's a very underrated wrestler. 
Uh, I forgot that Chucky was still Pauly here. Um, and yeah. Bloodfeast, I feel like I must have seen at least some of the matches at some point. That's a very strong show on paper. You know, you got you got everyone kind of in like their right like setting to have good matches. Like even the people that maybe aren't always as consistent. Like I'm sure Ace Steel is able to get more out of Adrian Serrano than maybe other people would. And then you have stuff, you know, like our friend Mark Wolf taking on Todd Morton. They always had really, really good matches. You know, Hero and Smothers always really good. Punk the Band always really good. Isaiah and Kickboxer. Uh, Ian and Mitch Ryder. Yeah, very strong show on paper there. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, Memphis. Only thing we know of for the first tape in a new Memphis promotion run by Corey Macklin, Jerry Lawler, Jimmy Hart, Day Brown. November 22nd in Tunica, Mississippi is at Lawler. Brian Christopher, Bill Dundee, and manager Brother Ernest Angel. It's Weevil Televangelist. We're the headliners. First episode is good for December 1st. Although fall production isn't up to snuff, they may run infomercials until second taping is done. They ran infomercial in the wrestling time slot on November 24th on WCTV. They only use rest, local wrestlers. Wrestler Jimmy Hart was busy post-producing XWF and couldn't bring any of the XWF young guys. This show is designed to get them experience on TV. Dave Brown wasn't there either. So XWF younger guys would be like, what, Josh Matthews, Ian Harrison? Emory Hale. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, guys like that. And this was airing on uh, UP- UPN 30, where uh, MCW would air, right? It wasn't on WMC, I don't think. No. No, they at WMC, I don't think, had any wrestling once uh, opening the vault stopped airing. Yeah. All right, Mid America Wrestling in Winlet, Wisconsin. We have an open match where we don't know we don't have any winners. We have the losers, Nick Fury, Lethal Lee, and Jay Real. We have Jason Dukes over Cujo. Skull Crusher over Derek St. Holmes in a brass knuckles on a pole match. Man Matt Pondo, Dysfunction and Dino Bambino over Eric Priest, Chucky Smooth, and Matt Lontime. Wait a second, Chris, who did Pondo and Dysfunction team with? Dino Bambino. Oh, oh thank you. Handicap match, Farmer Vic over Colonel Blatnick and Hans Blatnick. Cole Caban over Ken Anderson. Canada. And the Texas Tornado Falls Can Anywhere match. Corporal Robinson, Ian Rotten uh, defeated Adrian Serrano and CM Punk. That sounds fun. Interesting match. Yeah. A very MAW show there. Uh, disappointed to see that it's not in West Atlas, Wisconsin. Well, I mean, they toured around Wisconsin in different venues. I know. I still can't get over how when I did the Google Trends look up for when Punk came back, how the two locations with the most interest relative to the population on Google Trends were West Atlas, Wisconsin, and Berwyn, Illinois. Well, I mean, good lord, it makes sense. I know, it's still funny. All right, XWF. And we'll close with XWF. Let me go to Perosa Torch. Last week, or numerous leaked on the DF that Lawler well, might be returning. Well, it's not the last thing here. We have the Martha Hart stuff, too. Oh, I forgot about that. Sorry. Yeah, but we've got um, a bunch of XWF and uh, some, also some WCW Fallout, too, actually. Yeah, I forgot about that. Um, when the rumors re- when the rumors leaked from DF that Lawler might be returning, Lawler did not negotiate with WF. There's no truth to that rumor whatsoever, he told the Torch just three days before he returned. <laughs> But I do have a deal with the XWF. I don't have any deals with WF. When asked if he was still interested in returning to WF, Lawler said, of course, who wouldn't? The XWF, as it turned out, could have blocked Lawler's return, as we talked about. 
He signed a 45-day contract with the group earlier this month. Last week, he was the lead color commentator during XWS two days of tapings. However, XW officials agreed to release from his contract. If he feels he can make a better living up there, more power to him. Brian Nobbs of the XWF told the Torch, We're not the type of company that will file a lawsuit or anything like that. We're just trying to have fun. They're having fun, Bix. A key WF source reports that despite Lawler's claims, Lawler had been contacted by WF and offered a job prior to XWF tapings. The contract signed with XWF, though, at first made it seem like a return would be impossible for at least a few more weeks. Just having some fun. That sure sounds like we have a money mark and we know this isn't going anywhere, so who, what do we care if Lawler's gone? <laughs> mm-hmm. There's no other way to read that. Well, they have a fallback plan, at least, though, according to the Torch. They said to be highly interested in hiring Mick Foley as their as a replacement for Jerry Lawler color commentary. So there's that. Alright, um the plan is at this point is and this is Dave now. The plan at this point is that the next tape is a universal being late January. The plan is to take four hours per month instead of eight, as though to hear last week. Which would be two hours each on two days of taping, which would be far easier on everyone than doing five hours per day. They're still planning three house shows. They believe in Madison, Green Bay, Madison, Wisconsin, Green Bay, Wisconsin, and Hammond, Indiana for late December. Although buying local infomercial time to remote them as was the plan is no longer a definite. There's a major divergence of opinion on whether they should do these shows. Dave's not sure what the positive is. The negative is they could go in these 3,500 seat arenas and lay an egg, which wouldn't be a positive way to start. The company, through its connections, claims they could purchase infomercial time because they buy in bulk. At a cheaper rate, so they run a few weeks of 30-minute infomercials in those three cities if it happens. And we covered those shows uh, when they did them, and they were bombs. And they don't tape TV again. Nope. So it was infomercial money was what was allegedly what was behind the company then? I think so, yeah. That's what I gathered. That's an interesting idea if there's any legitimacy to it, though. Like, we are a company that we primarily are buying infomercial time we do that in bulk so the expense is trivial if we put xpw on in select markets to promote hashes if there's any legitimacy to that it's an interesting idea Mm-hmm. it's di- it's a different concept for wrestling that's for sure do it that way yes and presumably though the most money that the xwf ever actually made was from wait for it infomercial selling all of the tv shows on dvd mm-hmm which also got bundled Shock- in with, like, a Jimmy Hart Memphis DVD and other stuff they had. Yeah, shocking. That's what it, what that was. <laughs> Former WCW referee Mickey J has been hired as a full-time office employee. Of the nine 80s WF and 90s WCW stars, the promotion seems highest on Simon Diamond and Don Marie. And Hulk Hogan definitely doesn't have a deal. When Hogan was booking, he was working on getting Scott Hall in. There's a lot less interest in Kevin Nash. Well, they'd have to buy out Nash's contract and... If they want to use it before it expires. Yeah, shocking that uh, that Hogan would not have any interest in Kevin Nash. Wait, how was Hogan able to work the taping anyway? He's Hulk Hogan. But he's untechnically... Uh, uh, well, he's suing WCW too, but he's also under contract to them. Doesn't matter. I never really thought about that part before. He's Hulk Hogan. Yeah, I guess so. He can do whatever he wanted to do. Good night, Hulk Maniacs. <laughs> Alright, so let's talk about uh, AOL Time Warner and we go to the torch WCW doesn't even qualify as a footnote in the trade journal stories regarding TNT's last year of changes 
a recent multi-channel news article about the negotiations to retain rights to NWA, NWA NBA broadcast stated that TNT will likely increase the rates it charges cable companies to carry their channel as a result of several significant acquisitions, including NASCAR and Wimbledon tenants. The article didn't mention that TNT ratings are down overall due to the loss of WCW programming, which was its highest rated weekly TV series on TNT. TNT and TBS paid $890 million for the rights to the NBA the last time they negotiated a three-year deal. The new deal with TNT and TBS negotiated in recent weeks is expected to be significantly higher, especially with Michael Jordan returning. Oh, WCW lost around $80 million last year and tens of millions the previous year. Over the long run, it cost TNT and TBS much less in return for much higher ratings than the NBA provides. WCW was year-round programming, not just six months out of the year, and other than occasional high-profile playoff games, always drew better than the NBA. More and more becomes clear that WCW is no longer around because of the stigma of the product and top-level executives' lack of desire to try and learn about what could have been and still could be a hugely profitable cable TV asset. For those reasons, it seems inevitable that eventually a new promotion will land on a primetime slot on a major cable network. Folks, wrestling people, it's not about the ratings. I'm tr- How many times have I got to pound this in people's heads? Ad rates it's- and carriage fees. Ad rates and carriage fees and perception. Perception is so big. I mean, uh, it, AEW, you know, compared to NHL, he, uh, you know, way bigger ratings. NHL is raking in a shitload of money in ad fees on their new contracts with, with uh, Disney and uh, Turner. It's insane how, how good they're doing. That's what it's about. And that they are legacy sports. You know, it's the NHL, National Hockey League. So I see people still complain about it on, on Twitter about how, how can they, when the rate, when, when TNT, you know, when the ratings come out for uh, Dynamite or whatever, I just can't believe how they fuse in hockey of this. That's why. It's why. This is why. This is exactly why. <laughs> That's just the way it is. Wrestling will never overcome that. No, they've made major strides the last few years. Well, WWE has made major strides, absolutely. And AEW to some degree. Yeah, but they're new. Well, but they they do also have Nielsen data showing them as being as having a more affluent audience too. Doesn't matter. <laughs> they're, they're 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 a new entity, and it's going to take some time for oh, them to build. Absolutely. To build, to build up, and remember, everything's corporate. Everything's about corporate. It's, it's your corporate standing, your corporate Q rating. That's what WWE cares about more than anything else. They they care about the bottom line to the stockholders and their corporate Q ratings. That's it. They can give a shit about wrestling fans. They don't care. You know what? Probably. So, oh, sorry. Is going to end up going down as like something very important that we probably haven't looked at that way. Stephanie getting that Eisenhower scholarship thing and doing like that business world tour, you know, Eisenhower fellowship, I think it was called. Yeah. That was really the beginning of the shift. Yeah. Cause it the, seemed like the improvements with their, them be, finally being looked at as more corporate and stuff came not long after that. Yeah. I mean, just her in general, just everything that she was doing. She is, like we said in the show before, she is the one that, you know, did more more work 
to rehab that company's image to corporate America and then enhance it and take it to another level. She did it. Okay, let me ask you this then. I have not sent in my Observer Hall of Fame ballot yet, have you? No. She's on the ballot this year, right? Yes. Are you voting for her? Um, I don't know. I haven't haven't even really looked at it yet. But if you, there really is a better argument for her than there used to be. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Oh, by the way, one guess on who wrote the multi-channel news article, Chris? Uh, Umstead. Ding 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 ding. <laughs> Our Thomas Umstead. TNT rides Jordan Appeal is the headline on, in the uh, November 19th issue. And yeah, no mention of the WCW. It's, it's mostly just about the NBA ratings. Yeah. Alright, uh, what potential scenario may open the doors for wrestling back on AOL Time Warner Cable channels while avoiding the so-called image class with the prestige networks of TNT and TBS? There are reports that NBA may join AOL in forming a new sports cable network that may replace the slot currently occupied by the struggling CNN Sports Illustrated Sports News Channel. If that is done, then the NBA would no longer air on TNN or TNT or TBS, but exclusively on a new channel. That channel will have a lot of hours to fill outside NBA games, and there's fear that cable operators may not pay the hefty rights fee that comes with adding the channel if it's only rating gener- generating program be NBA games several nights per week. It would be ironic if, in an effort to strengthen the all-sports channel's overall appeal, AOL Time Warner explored opening a new wrestling promotion or carrying outside wrestling promotions shows, such as XWF or new startup. There's never any official mention of a no-compete clause being part of WCW sale, although it's possible one exists and would prevent such a scenario. All right. Basically, NBA TV is kind of born out of this. Um, but not exactly. I'm looking at the Wikipedia now. So, this shuts down on May 15th. NBA TV had launched in 99, um, and then a lot of cable systems replace the NNSI with it, but Time Warner is not part of it until 08. Yeah. I forget, what happened to CNNFN? Oh, shit, I don't know. These channels just fade away. But <laughs> if the NBA is doing their own channel, they're not having fucking wrestling on there. And then they're not going to get, they're not going to pull their gains from prestige networks. How stupid would that be? That's why I remember, you know, every time I hear somebody like, like NFL would move, you know, move their games to NFL network and, you know, whatever. And talking about, you know, if they had issues with their network, Ain't no fucking way. Look at all that money. I ain't giving that up. Uh, CNNFN lasted until December 15th, 04, and some cable companies replaced it with CNN International. But there was no official replacement. So yeah, neither of those networks had any kind of, like, official, official replacement. They just disappeared, uh, which... That's well, what a lot of them do. For that era, it's kind of interesting, though, because, like, they had some valuable real estate on cable and satellite systems. You would think that maybe there would be a buyer somewhere, but I guess not. Yeah. All right, well, let's close out with Martha Hart and the Hart family. The controversy of the book Under the Mat by Diana Hart continued this week when Martha Hart made an even stronger threat of a lawsuit through her attorneys, demanding a retraction and apology and a withdrawal of the book from the marketplace 
in the present form by November 28th of a, or a lawsuit will be filed. Toronto attorney Peter Steinmetz has also asked that Diana Hart, co-author Kirsty McLennan, publisher C. Jordan Finn and Finn Publishing, and distributor H.B. Finn and company must come to the table and negotiate out of court settlement on compensation and cost. Steinmetz said that the parties don't agree to their terms, that they will file a libel suit in Ontario, Ontario Superior Court. In a press release, Martha Hart stated the book is filled with distortions, misstatements, and unjustified slurs that attempt to destroy the reputation of my family and me and undermine the memory of Owen. And their choice would deliver a formal, li formal libel notice. Diana, who's made enemies with most of the family, including members of the family like Bruce, that were formerly in her corner in the family division with her book, categorized Martha as a rich bully trying to silence her. Martha has the money to fight me on it, and I don't, she said in an interview on November 20th on a radio show. Maybe she thinks that's how she'll win this, but I know what I've written is true. The book categorized Martha negatively throughout as well and painted a negative portrayal of Owen's marriage to her. What a mess. Okay. So there's going to be more about the book and stuff, but... Well, yeah, there's... I mean, there's more coming here, but so right, you want to, but yeah, separate from the about, Martha stuff. No, I think we should cover the Martha stuff separately. I think you're right. Um, yeah. I, as I think many of the people listening know, the book gets pulled. Yeah, which that does not happen much. I don't know exactly how the defamation laws work in uh, Canada, but. This is a book they had put money into, as we'll talk about. They have her doing a media tour. Like, they must, she, Martha must have had a very clear case for them to just be like, screw it and pull the book, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, I pulled up the version of the book that has circulated on the internet to see if we can get a sampling of things she says about Martha. Obviously, just going to pick a couple things at random. Uh, any any ideas as far as how laid into the book you want me to uh, go here? I don't know. I'm just saying. Like, I just get an idea. I'm, Let's see. I have no fucking idea where, about this. Uh... All right. Here we go. All right. Um, oh, it's a chapter called Owen and Martha. Uh, all right. Just to start with. Owen always told me about Martha and her sister Virginia at the wrestling matches in the early 80s at the Victorian Pavilion. Which, by the way, of the many spelling and other errors in this book, it's the Victoria Pavilion. Yes. I won't say Martha was a ring rat, Jesus Christ. But that's when she first, where she first laid eyes on Owen. Virginia was being frisked at the match because a police officer thought she had drugs in her purse. Virginia was super straight. There was no way she had any drugs with her. But she was so shaken by the police officer that she fled to the bathroom crying. Why is that even in here? In later <laughs> years, Virginia did go a little wild. She and her husband, Ronnie, had five kids. Virginia would drive Chad, one of her sons, uh, to hockey, and that's where she started an affair with his coach, George. She eventually left Ron for George, and Owen was just furious about it. He didn't want anything to do with them. Yes, large portions of this book are just literally Diana going like, here is every negative thing I can think about about these people and their love. <laughs> yeah, she was putting it out there. In 1983, Owen was working at the tour selling programs, taking tickets, and witnessed the scene with the officer and the girls. 
taking on pity, taking pity on them, he introduced himself and tried to ease the situation with a few jokes. He began to look forward to bumping into Martha at the matches. One thing led to another, and before long, they were dating. Uh, Owen goes to wrestle in England when he comes back to wrestle in Calgary. Oh, that he had fallen in love, that he had strong feelings for some girl he met well, in England, allegedly. Uh, okay, so then there's this, which I think is the most infamous part of, of this section. Uh, let's see. Where does the wedding thing start? Here? Okay, here we go. Martha was the dominating and controlling partner in their relationship. She wanted a traditional wedding, yet neither of her parents were willing to contribute any money to the celebration. Not one red cent. Martha wanted a sit-down turkey and ham dinner with potato salad and jello for about 500 people. My mom cringed. She confided to us that it sounded like the menu from some 4-H club dinner. Not a proper menu for a wedding. But of course my mom refused to say anything to Martha. She didn't want Owen angry at her. <laughs> my mom, Georgia, my dad, Owen, Martha, and her mother all sat down. My mom urged Georgia to speak on their behalf. Georgia began, Perhaps the ham and turkey thing would be better suited to a Victoria Park community hall, she smiled. Victoria Park was the grungy area near the stampede grounds where Martha grew up, so it wasn't the most pol- Just, it says politic. She means political thing to say. <laughs> when Diana married Davy Boy, our menu came directly from the White House, Georgia continued. Our Aunt Diana, Diana's husband, Jock, was the f former Canadian Prime Minister Joe Clark's press secretary. That would be uh, Jock Osler, right? Yeah. Martha was furious. She literally stamped her feet on the ground. This is my wedding. I want a sit-down dinner. I don't see anything wrong with potato salad and paper plates. My mom swallowed. We're only trying to think about the guests, darling. A group this large, hors d'oeuvres would really be better. They can mingle that way. Sit-down dinner restricts them to their table. And Martha, darling, where will we seat 500 people? Where will we get the tables? Martha clenched her fist and accused my parents of being cheap. Martha's mother stood up angrily. Nobody's going to ruin my baby's wedding. But Martha wants she, Martha should get. The meeting ended with my mom and dad compromising. They grieved to serve ham and turkey along with finger foods. The food would be served on bone china, not paper plates, and there would be some tables set up. The counter drove my mom to her room and the bottle for two days. She was just sick about the conflict and Martha's lack of wedding etiquette. This is what my son is marrying? What will my sisters think? I'm sorry that I'm making her sound so Jewish, not just New York, New York, but whatever. And okay, and then. Martha's aunt drank too much at the wedding, and I, I, I. <laughs> there's more, but you get the idea. Um, uh, anything else later on that's worth? I don't, I don't but you get the idea. Um, let me real quick. I also I, didn't, I was about to pull up Calgary Herald from our week on the twenty first. Uh, see if we have any quotes or anything about the latest here. Headline: Libel notice. Widow wrestles to pull down tell-all heart book. Of course, that's the headline. Why wouldn't it be the headline? Okay, so from Martha's statement... Uh, oh, wait, no, this is the quote we had earlier. Uh, 
significant factual errors we had already, and then uh, okay, yeah, they believe everything in the book is true. Do we have the person of great integrity quote in the Observer? No. Okay. So, uh, the publisher called her called Diana quote a person of great integrity and remarkable memory. I feel she has a right to talk about her life, just as Martha has done very publicly over the last year. You mean stemming from her husband being killed? Well. And the libel note is surprised the guy at the publisher. I don't really have any comment at this time. I'm dealing with our legal people and they're looking at things. Um, and okay, in an interview Tuesday, Martha Hart said, I certainly wouldn't want to take any course of action unless I knew my position was strong. So, again, like they, they pulled the book they had already released from the market. It does not get that much more cut and dry than that, does it? No, but Diana had a lot to say. Yes. Uh, Let me just see if there's anything else here in the second part of the article. Okay, here's the last quote from the publisher. In the book, I believe Diana chronicles her relation with Martha pretty thoroughly. I believe everything written in the book is true. And their lawyer said, not going to say a whole lot about it, because once matters get to this stage... It's going to the courts deciding. And Martha said she wasn't interviewed for the book. Beyond that, she said she wasn't willing to elaborate on the libel notice. Yeah. So, yes, she went on her media tour, did Diana. She recently appeared on the Mike Bullard show, the Canadian late night equivalent to a Jay Leno or David Letterman. And her appearance resulted in comparisons to the famous Farrah Fawcett interview on Letterman many years back. Bullard largely made fun of her, and she didn't even seem aware of it throughout the interview. Two nights later, when Joni Lara was on was on Buller's show, he closed a conversation with her, saying he'd have her on the show anytime and talk about liking her as a guest. He didn't mention having Diane on the show and said that after his interview with her, he believed she couldn't have either wrote or read the book. Woof. Well, Diana would later claim that she didn't really write the book and didn't read it before it was published. Diana, on November 22nd, says she wouldn't retract anything in her book. Under the mat, I'll stand by my book and let the courts decide. I'm not prepared to back down on this. According to legal threats by Martha Hart, she'll be filing suit later this week. And criminal charge against Dave Boy Smith for making alleged physical threats against Bruce Hart was dropped on November 21st. Davey is currently living with Bruce's wife, Andrea. Yes. What a what a wild situation this whole family was. My goodness. Yes, I think we should all should we also add how uh Bruce and Andrea met? Go ahead. He was a substitute high school, the substitute teacher at her high school, and uh, around that time met her when she was fourteen, and they started a relationship. Mm-hmm. At least in their description. Mm-hmm. Yeah, although in his book, I mean, as far as I know, she he was never her teacher, but that's still not good. Um, in his book, he claims he basically acts like he had this divine like moment of her like, emerging out of light when his car broke down and doesn't mention her age or anything. But what a clusterfuck. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah, it is. Yeah, which... Here's so I hate to say it. I mean, granted, it's WCW. By this point, they're out of business. Who knows what kind of contracts they would have been signed to. Brett probably should have taken Bishop Bischoff off on his offer to at least like to hire Neidhart back and stuff to if it would kind of help ease all the drama from the lawsuit. 
Yeah. I forget if it was I mean, Nightheart and Davey. Well, Davey was technically in WWF at the time. Or signed to them, right? Uh, yeah. So. It been Jim. But yeah, but, you know, and remember, Davey had, Davey was on his way back and signed before Owen died. Like, it was, it was Owen asking yeah. for the favor that led to him being brought back. Yeah. So, that that's a separate thing, but... And again, it goes to some of the stuff we've been talking about lately and that we've been seeing on Twitter. Like, was he perfect? No, and especially as the stress got to him. But there are a lot of ways in which Eric Bischoff was much more of a Tony Khan kind of boss than a Vince McMahon. I mean, you don't hear anything. You never really hear a lot of negative stuff by Eric Bischoff as the boss. It's the creative. Yeah. It's always, really it's always the, the creative WCW. Really, the only negative is the flyer stuff. And... At this point, yeah. I'm kind of convinced there's more to it we don't know about. Yeah. Because it is, in t in the context of him being the boss, it is so atypical of him. Yeah. But, you know, he, again, like, he paid guys well. He made a point of when, because Eddie, I had not realized this until someone tweeted the, on the anniversary of Eddie's death, a interview he did in Power Slam, that when he had the car wreck, it was like right before his contract was expired and he, they hadn't signed the new contract yet. And Eric made a point of signing him to a new big money contract. So he'd be taken care of during his recovery from the car accident. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of stories like that. Giving Brett as much time off as he wanted after Owen died. Like all of, all of the egregious type of stuff with a boss dealing with the wrestlers, like in, in terms of basic work stuff, is not Bischoff. It's before and after. Mm-hmm. You know, Watts, Oli, you know, Bill Bush, or, uh, you know, even Diana Myers, even though she's not the boss. But still, she gets a lot of the blame for the, the way they handle the contracts all of a sudden in 2000 and cut people who were injured and stuff. You know? He... He did a lot of good things as the he did a lot of good things for the wrestlers as the head of WCW. Yes. Alright, well that's it for us this week. Next week we'll have one of those truncated type shows because um we have a week where we only have uh five days. I think we're no six days. Actually it's close to a full week. But anyway, we go back to nineteen ninety four. And we'll be talking about in WCW, Eric Bischoff being taking over and being fully now in charge of WCW as he becomes the general manager of the, of the company. So wait, 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 wait. wasn't he already the executive in charge by in February? Not according to this. So we'll talk about that. God, his uh, his parade of titles gets so confusing, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, so we'll have more on that. Uh, it's there and. What exactly is going on with the creative at WCW? Plus, Randy Savage makes an appearance on an appearance on Chet Kopic's show to talk about uh, his leaving WF and possibly joining WCW. So we'll have a report of that. Plus, a, a sort of mini ruckus at the uh, Saturday Night TV tapings at Center Stage involving two people that are not employed by WCW. <laughs> and we'll have all kinds of WCW craziness there. But these are two people from Minnesota, right? Uh, yes, two people from Minnesota. 
Then we got Japan, where we'll talk about uh, the, the big tours are going on, Real World Tag League, New Japan's got a lot going on there, so we'll have that. And, of course, other assorted Japanese results. We got some Europe stuff, including a, a different promotion running in Germany, so we'll have that. We'll have news on AAA and their U.S. expansion, plus what's going on after the death of our bar, because our bar's death was the week before our week. So we'll talk about that. Plus, what's going on at CMLL? What what are they doing? Everything. We'll have ECW television to talk about. We'll have uh, Peach State Wrestling, Thanksgiving Thunder Tour, and Smoky Mountain Wrestling to talk about. We'll have uh, some Memphis stuff. Unfortunately, no television, but yes, the TV is not on YouTube anymore for this week. We have news for the AWF in Chicago and NWA Dallas. So we got all kinds of new starter groups. But the big story of our week... Diesel wins the WF title at Madison Square Garden from Bob Backlund. And we'll have special promos that aired to pimp that match on the Saturday show. Yes, only aired on Superstars of Wrestling in the New York market. Well, one did and one was a national. Yes, there was one. There were were a few. There was one that aired on Challenge. Well, there was also a promo that aired on Challenge with him as new champion, too. Well, I think that, that aired on Action Zone, too, didn't it? Yeah, so I mean, we'll have we'll have all that stuff. Plus, uh, we'll have, of course, the clips of the title change. We'll have all the other stuff going on. Plus, a lot of controversy involving Gene Oakland and the WCW Hotline regarding a major WF star and his uh, status with the company. Plus, uh, we'll talk about the new WF talent that's coming in, and Tatanka spits in a fan's face. All that more next week on Between the Sheets. All right, Bix, as always, you're the rock of the show. And uh, no guests next week since we're recording on Thanksgiving week. And we just, we'll just, you know, Thanksgiving schedule. Don't want to, you know, fool around. So we're and just we going to be. Patreon to juggle and stuff to do. Well, yeah, so no guests again next week. But we'll try to have a guest on week after that. Yes, which that will be a, pa- a Patreon show. Yes, Jared Hunt picked uh, 1996. Yeah, so there, so there's that. All right, so big thanks as always to Rock the Show. And this is Chris saying so long from the Peach State of Georgia.
Hello, everyone, and welcome to Between the Sheets Patreon Special Edition number 61. I'm your host, Chris Zona, joined as always by my co-host, David Bix and Span. And Bix, it's time to go back 25 years and talk about the NWO again in part two of our uh, series on uh, the birth of the end of New World Order. Yep. And thankfully it didn't end up being too long to fit it in through our intended endpoint. So everything worked out. This is part two of two. And then next month, I guess we'll explain that at the end of the show. Yes. Yes, we will. Well, let's venture to September now. Week of September 2nd. Torch, September 7th. Observer, September 9th. Blair, it's September 11th. Cover story. Giant joins NWO. Bulldog almost joins WCW. Secret plans for Bulldog joining NWO fell through. Waltman's delayed, delayed due to unresolved release by Way Keller, Torch editor. Some promoters book meticulously and with confidence, planning each progression of ongoing storylines months ahead. And others wing it. WCW is definitely winging it. Or at least they wing it when their best laid plans fall through. The Giant joined the New World Order on Monday, and he and WCW Bookers had all the 48 hours to ponder how he would turn. The subject of him joining the NWO had been discussed in the past or discounted. After all, the NWO needs someone to wrestle. A week earlier, WCW had at least two other ideas in mind, one of which would have been a major bombshell, but fell through. Sean Waltman had been scheduled to join WCW as an employee, and the NWO storyline in them for a number of weeks. The plans for him to find debut on September 2nd f- fell through when legal matters weren't settled yet. In fact, he had neither seen his release to WWF nor worked out the final details of WCW in time to debut on Monday. In addition to Waltman de- Waltman's debut, WCW had a major surprise plan. The British Bulldog Dave Boy Smith totally planned to join WCW without getting, giving notice to WWF. On the one-year anniversary of Nitro's debut, Air Bischoff was going to unveil a jump of the same caliber as Lex Luger's a year earlier. Bulldog had not signed a contract to WWF, although he had a verbal agreement to stay and his lawyer signed with an attempt to sign an agreement. For the last two months, Bulldog had been receiving contracts from WWF's front office, but he kept sending them back with minor changes. While it was aggravating for WWF and McMahon, McMahon didn't suspect Bulldog was playing a similar game as Luger. Bulldog hadn't let any, or at least not many, fellow WWF wrestlers in on his plans, but did make a joke out of how he was messing with Vince by sending the contracts back. Fellow wrestlers thought Bulldog was just ribbing Vince in return for Vince making a few promises. It was more than just that. Last week, Bulldog's original WWF contract expired, and he still hadn't signed a new deal. Vincent found out about Bulldog's secret plan, and sources say that man blew his top and immediately called the Bulldog and demanded he put on paper what he had already agreed to, a five-year deal for $250,000 per year. Bulldog agreed with McMahon and flew to Stanford, Connecticut on Thursday and inked the five-year contract with a promise from McMahon that he won't be punished for his alternative scheme, but will instead get a major push, including a tag title run this year. McMahon, though, probably didn't put that promise in writing, although it is not to his advantage to bury Bulldog now that he has him under a five-year guarantee. Now to the Observer. The original offer made a debut months back was a three-year deal of $400,000 per year, and the latest offer had to be at least that figure, if not higher. When Smith gave notice to WF three months back after his messed-up pay-per-view title match with Shawn Michaels, which wasn't that, that he necessarily was leaving, but to avoid his contract rolling over, WC officials secretly believed he was coming in. However, several weeks later, Smith's attorney sent WCW a letter saying that the two sides weren't able to come to terms. And Smith had also moved from Tampa back to Calgary, which most assumed meant he was no longer concerned going to WCW since Tampa would be perfect city to live given where most of WCW events are scheduled. At this point, Smith agreed to stay with WF with the lower money figure guaranteed reportedly not being the crux of negotiating problems 
and it was more that he was unhappy about not being told his future programs ahead of time and not getting what he thought was the push he was promised into the title picture. In particular, Smith was reported to having what most considered the two to three best ever matches over the past nine months. Title match against Brad and Hershey and Shauna Milwaukee. In either case, was he programmed for rematch at the house shows and instead used at the house shows lower and more of a stepping stone role. The other side of the coin is that even though he had two excellent title matches, neither drew huge buy rates, and Davey was thought of a guy as of as a guy who can be a great worker when he's motivated, but not a great draw on top as a title challenger. Titan and Davey have been going back and forth over the past few weeks regarding actually signing the contract when negotiations with WC picked up. As WCW informed Davey they had no problem flying him in for Calgary, as they do routinely with other regulars who live in foreign countries. With any verbal deal Davey may have made with WCW is unknown, but when WCW shot the angle August 26th, where Teddy Biasi thought to introduce a number four and number five, at that point, WCW was apparently believing Smith was to be number four. When Vince got wind, which was believed to be on August 28th, when D- that Davey was on the verge of making the deal with WCW, he made a phone call to Davey, along with WF attorney Jeremy Devitt, and finally reached him the next day and said they'd been furious. The bone of contention was that Davey had apparently made a verbal agreement to continue with WF and sign a five-year contract, even though he had not signed, actually signed the deal. And, um, and Smith's attorney had already signed a preliminary entering a contract several weeks ago. The latter basically was that two sides agreed that Davey was staying, but all terms hadn't been agreed to, so he wouldn't have been phased out on television, while details and negotiations were still ongoing. Where the legal threats in regard to what we see as going back on both verbal and written agreement were made, as Titan was under belief that had written an agreement with Davey and is obviously going to enforce it, are not clear. By the end of the day, both sides had agreed the terms and Smith signed a deal. Now about the way. WCW tried once again to get Waltman's deal done, but there just wasn't time to work through all the lawyers. Therefore, WCW had to come up with a new plan. Or whether they could write Wolf a few times really in the NWO storyline, WCW didn't want to renege on their promise, more specifically Teddy DiBiase's promise of revealing the fifth man. That led to some brainstorming concerning all the obvious choices, Luger, Sting, and some not-so-obvious possibilities. The decision obviously turned out to be turning into Giant against WCW. Giant beat Brad Armstrong in a singles match on Nitro. Jimmy Hart was in his corner in a match. Led him to show for horse and battle Dungeon of Doom. Kevin Sullivan, Big Bubba, Barbarian, and Ming. Late in the match, Hall, Nash, and Hogan interfered, jumping all eight men. Sting and Luger out of the picture, having stolen a police car to chase Ted DiBiase's limousine around town. Now that for Andy Savage and the Giant, as the two WCW big boys left make the save. Savage ran to the ring, but was soon overwhelmed by the fresh NWO threesome. Giant then made his way to the ring. Fans who popped big for his ring entrance and chokeslam finished earlier the show gave him another babyface pop. When he got to the ring, though, he chokeslam Barbarian. As Eric Bischoff screamed no for the announce move, Giant and Nash hugged. Giant explained afterward, or tried to, since Hogan interrupted him, that he was lured to the NWF to meeting with DiBiase. He was so impressed with DiBiase's 25,000-foot square foot mansion that DiBiase and DiBiase's lifestyle that he won't be part of that. Nitro didn't went off the air before there was any t- time for any follow-up. All right, let's talk about Davey first. Um, boy, if Vince didn't find out, that would have been something. Yeah, but I also, reading this, don't necessarily get the impression he ever had real intentions of going to WCW. Possibly, yeah. I mean, it doesn't sound like he was, you know, really concrete in it, No. It seems like he was using it entirely for leverage and only started to consider it once they told him they'd be happy to fly him in from Calgary every week. Yeah, and if that's the case, then why do you want to turn that down? Yeah. Um, I get that they apparently thought they had two different options for the fifth man, and neither went through. 
But yeah, you could have gone with Luger or DDP if you really had to. You had to deliver something. You absolutely did. And for a main event angle, it probably would have had to been Luger, but we don't get the Sting angle, but in the moment... Now, granted, they probably already have the Sting angle planned to some degree. I don't know. I can see... Like, I see the argument of not using Luger because he's more important to the Sting angle if they've already started planning the Sting angle. And I can see why DDP wouldn't work in this angle. But the Giant was still a terrible idea. Yeah. But I'm just not sure what the exact right answer is. Luger's probably the best one, but it affects so much DDP. other stuff. But DDP wouldn't be weighty enough to put in this one, to have him join the NWO here, after you did the DiBiase thing the previous... Well, it does because of the benefactor thing. That's what makes it work. But it's still... It's a letdown, though, at this point, because he's not, he's not that guy yet. No. If nothing else, they were between a rock and a hard place, and it wasn't entirely their fault. No, it wasn't. But, mm. That said, the they fans... should not have shot the angle until they had what they needed on paper for either Wallen or Smith. Yes, and, and a, a giant, I mean, yeah, like I, said, I guess it says here, I mean, the fans got were into him as in this new character, version of himself. You know, he still is with the Dungeon of Doom, basically. You know, I mean, he's still, he's become a babyface because of he's feeding with the NWO. So, yeah. But yeah, it sucks that the giant, uh, the giant turn because there, there was stuff that could have been done. And then, and then here's the thing though, Bix. They turned him back just a few months, three months later. After turning him three weeks after Hogwild, yes. That's the thing. It turned, they turned him back quickly. You know? They that, turned him that, here because they needed a turn on or surprise on this night. Yeah, and then they turned him back because they needed somebody to be in WC, be a WCW guy. That tells you how I many how much everything is being winged, and probably also because they realized where the Sting thing was going. Because I gotta think he was. We'll talk more. I think later. I think I have it in here about how his hiatus was about using up his maximum dates. But that's going to expire at some point. I'd have to check when his calendar year started. I mean, excuse me, his contract year started. But I got to think if it's by December, they know they're going with Sting as a long-term thing where he's not wrestling. And that's why they turned Giant back. Yeah, but still. Now, all of that said, the best work that Paul White does during this period is once he turns babyface. For the most part. Yeah. The, yeah. The Luger stuff that leads into the turn is also very good. But they were in a bad spot. The, their fault was shooting the DiBiase angle before they had anything in writing from Davey. Or Just get Jeff Jarrett to show up. He ain't got to wrestle. Just get Jeff Jarrett to show up. Also, after the DiBiase angle, you can have Jarrett in the crowd. Yeah. I mean, that's probably playing with too much fire before his release, but... There's stuff you could have done. They had other options, though. Alright, well... Back to the torch. Throughout the first hour of Nitro, Larry Zabisco repeated that while the NWO have leaders in D.B. Austin Hogan, WCM has them anyone who be considered a coach of their side. That might suggest a well-led Bret Hart. 
is waiting in the wings, ready to join Team WCW, and even the odds are at Giants on a covert mission on WCW's behalf. But Ashes Abisco was laying groundwork for a Dusty Rose proposed idea that he become the honorary coach of WCW's wrestlers against NWO. Because the NWO original is going to consist of just Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, Sean Waltman, and Jeff Jarrett, but now includes Hulk Hogan and the Giant, WCW is considering not having Jarrett join the NWO after all. Although it appears that Waltman's a lot because of his friendship out of the ring with fellow clip members Hall and Nash. It does appear the idea that Nancy Boys joining the NWO is back on the back is on the back burner. But given WCW's pattern declining, deciding on major shifts in storylines just hours before they go in the air, nothing can be said 100%. And while it's not by design, that's the way WCW likes it. And look, Jeff would not have been a good fit in the NWO. I don't know. At the, well, look at some people they had in NWO. No, but I mean, he, if he's a continuation of Double J, I don't think he. Well, he would. He wouldn't. He wouldn't have been. I don't think he would have been. You think they tried to make him at least when this is the plan into like 1997 WWF return Jeff Jarrett or something like that? I don't think he would have been in the double J type gear persona. No. Okay. He's just Jeff Jarrett. And maybe, th- maybe this would be the chance that he would have a different hairstyle. Yeah. So I don't know. Also something to note too, other than Hogan until this point where giant turns, everyone that's either joined or is rumored to join the NWO is someone who left WWF in that calendar year in mm-hmm. 1996. Hall, Nash, Waltman, DiBiase, Jarrett. Yeah. Or was going to leave Davey. Yeah. You know, Mabel. Yeah. If you want to go way back. Yeah, that's also why Luger would have worked because it's only September 95. It's right before all that. Mm-hmm. And the timing of everything. So, and how about him? Tur- and how about him turning heel on the anniversary of his debut? On the first anniversary Nitro, that would have been the best part. Yeah. To hear this entire show, support between the sheets on Patreon for just five dollars per month. Go to patreon.com/slash/between-the-sheets.